I work third shift as a security guard. I was at a location in a small town for about two months. There was a main building and a small guard building outside. That's where everyone passed through to get to the other building. Now, my nights consisted of watching the CCTV monitors. But on nights when no one else was there, I would patrol the outside area and inside of the building. One night, I was looking through the camera footage as it played live, and I swear I saw an orb appear on camera. It was just outside the guard building. I honestly thought it was a bug or something at first, until I realized it was just floating there in one spot, and it was pretty bright. I checked around to see if a puddle of water wasn't reflecting anything, but that thought was just me grasping at straws as it hadn't rained for days. So I just wrote it off as a camera glitch or something, until I saw a mist-like figure appear to be standing directly across the little road that ran past the guard shack. I looked out of the window to the exact spot that the figure had appeared on the cameras, but there was nothing there. I grabbed my cell phone and I started to record it with my camera. This is a big no-no when you're working security. I filmed the figure on the screen for a bit. Suddenly, the orb disappeared, and the figure soon faded away as well. This encounter was nothing more than creepy to me, and I messaged the video to my fiancé and her sister. The sister, of course, who was skeptical, said that it was nothing, that the place couldn't be haunted and that the cameras had glitched up. So, I tried to write it off myself. That was until October 8 of 2016. I was looking at the monitors again late at night after finishing a patrol. As I watched, the main building's motion sensor door opened and it closed right as I looked over to the camera feed. There was no wind blowing, no leaves, no animals, or any reason for the door's motion sensor to go off. Instantly, I was filled with a dreadful feeling, like I was being watched, like I was not alone. And then the clicking started. It sounded like someone was flipping the light switches on and off. The lights, however, weren't turning on and off, but the clicking sound continued. Then I realized it was coming from the other side of the dropped ceiling. Then clicking erupted from different directions. The noise multiplied until there were about six different clicking noises in the ceiling, all out of sync and moving around. I reached into my pocket and I grabbed my multi-tool. I tried to convince myself not to give in to this fear. I did not leave, and I constantly checked my surroundings. Then suddenly, as quick as it all started, it all stopped with one final click. Then silence. I sat there in that silence for a long while. Eventually, the fear and dread left, and I sat there, nervously watching the cameras again, until my relief showed up. I have experienced a lot of strange things in my life, and I believe I've been attacked once or twice by evil spirits. But this experience by far is one of the creepiest I've ever had. Holiday Inn Horror Submitted by Felix McGee I'd like to preface this story with the fact that this isn't from my point of view. This is my friend David's story, and it's from his point of view. While he's no longer with us, I knew he loved telling this story. So, here it is, from his perspective. 
I used to work at a Holiday Inn for about 10 or 11 years before quitting due to different reasons. It was around Christmas, so we were definitely swamped with people. It was around 12 a.m. when I got a call on the phone requesting me to go up to room 177 because of a noise complaint. I used the elevator, walked over to 177, and I knocked on the door, but no one answered. Instead, I heard the door behind me open. A resident named Tanner exited into the hallway, him being the person who had called. He said, They keep screaming at random, and two other people have tried knocking to see who's in there, but no one has answered. Before he could completely finish with his explanation, a loud scream came from the room behind me, and it sounded feminine. I first tried the handle and had no luck, and the only reply was the slam of a door inside room 177. I pulled the two-way radio from my belt, and I requested that someone bring me a key for this room. Not long after, we heard the ding of the elevator bell, and I saw my friend Jerry step out. Hey man, what's... Again, a loud scream came from beyond the door. Oh, he simply said. Jerry was very wide-eyed looking at the door now. He walked up to it and unlocked it with the key. Then, before he put his hand on the knob, the door opened just a crack. Jerry backed away slowly, and I moved forward with my flashlight in hand. Before I pushed the door open, I asked Tanner to go back into his room for safety. After his door shut, I pushed the door to 177 open to be met with nothing behind it. I tried to take a step in, then the door slammed shut, hitting my toe in fact. I replied with a loud cuss, which brought out another resident next to room 177 to poke his head out into the hall. Can I ask what's going on? Are the people in there okay? I replied saying that everything was fine and that they should go back into their rooms. I grabbed my two-way and asked for the name of the person staying in room 177. The response was that it wasn't being used until after Christmas passed due to a recent suicide. Completely stunned, I put my two-way on my belt again and I looked at Jerry, who in turn looked just as scared, his face white as a sheet. I looked back at the door, standing there, before being brought back to reality by another ear-piercing scream. I asked Jerry what we should do. He opened his mouth to speak, only letting out a small breath, and then he shrugged. I turned to the door and tried the handle again, noticing that it was still unlocked. I asked Jerry to go get a crowbar from downstairs. I stayed there, hand on the handle, making sure that it wouldn't be able to lock while I waited. Jerry returned, crowbar in hand. Here, just don't get locked in there, Jerry said, handing me the crowbar. I opened the door, walked in and looked around with my flashlight. I checked every room and walked back out into the hallway. Nothing, I said. What? That's impossible, Jerry replied. We then heard a god-awful noise over the two-way. It sounded like dumping metal in a blender and setting it to smoothie. Then it got quiet, and all we heard was a whispered, Thank you. Before the door slowly swung shut and locked itself again. After that, there wasn't much of an issue, but anytime someone stayed in 177, 
They always said that they felt someone else in the room with them whenever they were inside. David always said this story was true, and I never had any reason to distrust him. He had always been genuine and trustworthy. Ghost Robber in My Room Submitted by Emily When this story took place, I was twelve. I am a female, and I stand only at about four foot eight. I'm easily scared, knowing I can be taken down without much effort. One night, I was sitting in my living room texting my boyfriend. My nephew and sister had just left, and my parents were away for the night. I was all alone and already paranoid. My house is haunted, I believe, by a few spirits, who I think are nice unless you say something they don't like. So I was pretty used to the creaking noises here and there. But on this particular night, I heard a clicking noise that made my hair stand on end. I turned down the volume on the TV so I could hear it more clearly. I heard a loud bang come from my bedroom. I jumped. Scared, I hurriedly and quietly ran to the back room. I kept hearing loud noises outside, and they seemed to be getting closer. I rushed up to the attic, and I told my boyfriend I thought there was someone in my house. At first he treated it like a joke, but when I told him about the loud noises, he seemed worried. I told him I loved him, and I put down my phone. I waited listening, until I finally had the courage to leave the attic. Normally, all you have to do is kick the door and the stairs fall. But I sat there, pressing all my weight on it, and it wouldn't budge, as if someone was holding it up. I began to cry, thinking that I would not make it through the night. I could hear more noise downstairs. It sounded like someone was just throwing stuff everywhere. I could hear things breaking in the kitchen. I put my hands over my ears, whispering, No, no, please. At this point, I wasn't sure if there were people in my house, or if it was the spirits. Suddenly, it all stopped. The stairs fell on their own. I raced down, and faster than I've ever run before, I ran out of the house. I stayed at my neighbor's place until the next morning. The next day when I got back home with my parents, there was no trace of anyone being there. Nothing was disturbed, but all of mine and my mother's jewelry was gone though nothing else of value was touched. Yes, I know it sounds like a robbery, but I swear it was not another person in my house that night. Even stranger still, all the messages on my phone from that night were deleted, and when I talked to my boyfriend about the conversation from the attic, he has absolutely no memory of us talking at all. And what about all the breaking and crashing I heard downstairs? There wasn't a trace of anything broken. I still don't understand any of this, and I have a bad feeling it's going to happen again. An Evil Cloud Submitted by Mike One night after the midweek church service, my parents went over to my aunt and uncle's house. I was ten years old at the time. I was told to go into the kitchen and tend to the soup cooking on the stove, to stir it so that it wouldn't burn. Soon the pastor and other elders from the church came over. They just said that they were there to pray for my uncle. I thought that he was just sick. 
They all went upstairs together, where my uncle was, and soon I heard the noises and banging on the walls, and someone was yelling and screaming. It was all but inaudible to me downstairs in the kitchen, but after a little while things calmed down. Then I heard someone walking in the hallway upstairs and down the steps, and I swear, to this day, out of the stairway came this black cloud like a fog. It came at me and stopped at the kitchen doorway. I stood there too afraid to do anything or realized what it was. Then it suddenly went across the dining room and into the living room. The front door then opened up in front of it, and the black cloudy fog went outside. Later I learned that the pastor was there to do an exorcism on my uncle because he was foolish not to believe that there was a real devil, that he had done some very nasty things to invite the devil inside. I wasn't told much more, but it sounds like my uncle got more than he bargained for. Shadows That Stare Submitted by Faith I am a 15-year-old girl and I live in the small town of Pudsey in England. My story is about something a lot of people may have experienced, but never realized. Last year during autumn or fall, as you may know it, I had an encounter that still haunts my mind to this day. It happened late at night, around 3 in the morning, and I was fast asleep. I had never had problems falling asleep and I've been a heavy sleeper all my life. I rarely woke up in the middle of the night. But during my sleep, all of a sudden, I felt a pressure on my chest. I didn't open my eyes straight away. I was too confused. The pressure increased as if someone was sitting down on me. I couldn't breathe at all. In fear, I tried to move to sit up. And at first, I tried to move my arms. They wouldn't budge, and it felt like there was something wrapped tightly around them. So tight, in fact, that it was hurting so much I wanted to scream. But I couldn't make a sound. In fear, I opened my eyes, and what I saw was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. In front of me was a pitch-black face with only big red eyes and teeth. No lips, just teeth set up to resemble a grin. But that wasn't just it. It was set on me, staring right at me, staring and smiling, gripping my arm unbelievably tight. I wanted to scream and cry, and this went on for about 45 seconds and it just disappeared. It just vanished right in front of me. I sat up panting and choking, fighting for air. I looked down at my arm, struggling to see in the dark, but what I saw was very visible, even in the darkness. Finger marks. Large finger marks wrapped all the way around my arm. It made a bright red ring around it, and it was hurting. I did not go back to sleep that night. I just stared up at the ceiling for hours, trying to process what had happened. The next morning, I told my dad. He looked at me frightened and told me a couple of nights ago he had experienced the exact same thing. My dad normally isn't scared of anything. He's a very tough man, but he was terrified when he told me this. I went up to my room and searched if there was a reason this had happened. I found that not being able to breathe and the feeling of being sat on was also known as sleep paralysis and people experience it all the time. Thinking that's what it was, I should have left it there, but I kept on researching, and I found the Shadow People. They are dark beings that watch you while you sleep, and if they are interested enough, 
They will sit on you and stare to get a better look. I knew then that that's what happened. I've not experienced the shadow people again, and I'm glad, and I'm still terrified to this day. The Family Curse From Jamie Redfield Now this story came to me from a friend of a friend, so its legitimacy is up in the air, but some of the facts surrounding it have to be true. I met my girlfriend through her cousin, who happens to be a close friend of mine. They're both no-nonsense kind of people. They were raised by hard parents who had a very no-nonsense point of view. Naturally, they laughed off ghost stories most of the time, but not this one. My friend and my girlfriend have family in Utah, and they visit regularly, and when they go, they always catch up with a friend of theirs. Let's call him Jones. This story belongs to Jones. So way back when, around 1998 or 99, Jones was just a kid. He had a pretty tight curfew and wasn't allowed to stay up past a certain hour. This was a problem for Jones, since he has a profound love of gaming that he still has today. So Jones snuck out of his room one night to play a few rounds of some games before really going to bed. He walks down to the basement, where the console was, and starts to play. So far so good, right? Anyway, he's playing when he hears a loud thud from one of the basement windows. The kind that are just above ground level. He looks and he sees a bright red, almost pink, hair-covered hand. And then this face pops into view. And it's just plain wrong. Oddly colored eyes, long, misshapen nose, and a too-big smile is how he described it. Immediately, he feels wrong and starts screaming and shouting. After an indeterminate period of time, his father comes down the stairs with a gun in tow and sees the thing. He starts shouting right away, He's too young! He doesn't need this yet! And stalks out to the yard and fires a few shots. About ten years go by without incident. Fast forward to around 2008. Jones, now closer to being man, is having strange dreams of that creature. It's sitting on a rafter in his dad's shop and pointing down, grinning like a madman the whole time. He has this dream for about three days, then it suddenly stops. He gets called out of school one day and finds out his dad has killed himself, hung from a rafter in his shop. The funeral comes and goes, the family grieves and largely comes to terms, until one day Jones gets to talking with his grandmother. He finds out that the thing that came to him in his dreams is something that all of the men in the family see. Some are strong and don't kill themselves, but others cave and do. She tells him about how it's been something that's been going on in the family for a long time, all the way back to when they first came to America. Motorcycling Encounter from Greg This incident took place in the spring of 2005 on a road called Spooks Hill Road. Go figure. The road borders a reservoir and gets relatively deep into the woods. At the time, I was 17 and riding my motorcycle back from my friend's place. It was the time of day where the sun had already set, but it wasn't quite nighttime yet. The sky was a dark blue and the woods were pitch black. I think it's called twilight. 
I was on a sport bike and thoroughly enjoying the twisty nature of the road, barely in excess of the posted 25 mile per hour speed limit. I had my high beams on to see further through the turns and came upon a wider right turn in the road, with the guardrail on the inside of the turn. The reservoir was also on the right side of the road, but there were a few hundred feet of woods between it and the road. As I came upon the apex of the turn, I was a few feet away from the guardrail and saw what I can only describe as a six or eight year old girl on the outside of the guardrail. She wasn't illuminated per se, but the headlight definitely made her white clothing light up. She appeared to be wearing a gown of sorts, almost like one of those old-timey nightgowns. Her hands were on the guardrail, and I saw her head follow me as I went by. I was probably going 50 or so at the time, so I didn't have much time to look at her. But what stuck out the most was she had no face. There was just black there. The closest image of what her face looked like was the thing from the Muppet's Christmas Carol. The hairs on my neck stood up so fast that it stung. As soon as I was able to, I slowed to a stop. The rational part of my brain told me there might be a young girl lost in the woods. The primal part of my brain was telling me to get the hell out of there. I had gone too far past the turn to see the apex where she was, so I turned around. I slowly went by the turn, looking at the spot where she had been, and saw nothing. No one. Then I tried to reproduce the incident by going by that fast again, hoping it was some sort of optical illusion with the headlight. Still, nothing where she was. After the incident, I rode home. There, I told my grandmother about the incident and how thoroughly creeped out I was. My grandmother, a super-religious lady, said she believes it may have been my guardian angel and that its appearance forced me to slow down, possibly preventing me from hitting a deer or something. I'm not very spiritual at all, but it is a nice perspective on something that was truly creepy and hard to explain. I've been followed by an invisible hand. Submitted by Das Maui this began when I was little. My mother's friend was a security guard, and one day she brought me a list of those codes they used to communicate different situations without making the public panic. And I invented a game where I would knock the different numbers on the wall and it would mean something to the imaginary monster in the wall of my bedroom. I played this with a friend of mine for some time. Then we went into a place my family called the Secret Bedroom, which is basically a room on the second floor that was all the front house in length connecting my parents' bedroom on one side to my brother's bedroom on the other side. The room was never finished, and it is extremely dirty with tons of dead insects and graffiti we did over the years, but it was our favorite playroom. So what we did is that we sat in the middle of the room and started playing again. Then one of us had the idea to knock nursery rhymes onto the wall to see if the monster would answer. And strangely, this time, he did. He would finish all the songs correctly, to the point we were convinced it was my youngest brother in his bedroom playing with us. But when we opened the door to his room, we saw he was simply playing video games. He got mad when he saw us enter his room. We also realized the spot we were knocking on wasn't even connected to his bedroom. It was right between the two rooms where there's nothing on the other side. If you go far enough, you would just reach a wall that was situated over the main staircase. And to actually reach it, you would need a really tall ladder and to dare yourself to install it right in the middle of the stairs, so it was impossible someone was playing with us. 
But being the kid I was, I just forgot about it after a couple of days. Not so long after this, I was taking a shower when I heard someone knocking on the door. I yelled, What is it? But no one answered. I left the shower and opened the door to see who it was, thinking they didn't hear me. But no one was there. I could hear my parents in the living room downstairs and my brother playing video games in his room. I just shrugged and went back to my shower. Time passed. On one particular night, I really wasn't tired, but since it was bedtime, I was stuck inside my room for the night. I played different games in my bed when I had the idea to make a small tent by getting under the covers and extending my arm, forming this so-called tent. When I did, someone knocked, but right on the palm of my hand. I got a chill in my back and just waited, thinking I just imagined it, but it happens again. I could feel the knuckles on my palm and thinking I would catch my brother doing a prank on me. I quickly removed the blanket off of myself, but still, no one. The door was still closed and there was no sign of life. I had trouble falling asleep that night. The next event jumps all the way to the holidays, so long later that as a child I actually completely stopped worrying about it. I believe it was a Christmas morning. I had been woken up by knocking in the wall of my bedroom. The knocking clearly did the first verses of Jingle Bells. And thinking I was imagining it again, I jumped right out of my skin when I heard my father yell from the other side of the wall that I need to stop knocking on the walls because he needs some sleep. And my father is not the joking type. It clearly wasn't him. I talked to my mother later that day and said she heard it too, but she just didn't really care. The very last thing I ever had to do with the hand was when I was playing in the basement with my cousins and my youngest brother. We would play a game called The Whistler which is pretty much hide-and-seek in the dark, but the point of the game is that the ones hiding need to scare the ones searching before the seeker scares you. My cousins and I were all hiding in the same big room, and I hid inside an old wardrobe on one side of the room while they hid on the other side, so we could get him from both sides at the same time. When my brother began searching and entered the room, I was getting ready to strike when something grabbed my ankle. I screamed, and I was a bit mad I lost so easily, without even noticing my brother. But the truth is, when I went out of my hiding place, they were all staring at me, with huge eyes. I told my cousins my brother got me, and my brother said, no, I couldn't have, I was still at the door. My cousin, still on the other side of the room, just didn't speak a word, and we exchanged roles. This was the last time I had contact with the hand, and since then I have moved out of the house, so I doubt I will ever feel or hear it again anytime soon. Shared Nightmares During my time in the Marines, I have never had any odd or terrifying experiences until my last deployment. During this deployment, I was sent to the Middle East. My command kind of tossed me aside because they already had one sergeant in control of the section I was supposed to be in. I was then sent to the security forces for the base. While on security forces, or SEC-4 as us in the business call it, I was assigned to the NCOIC, non-commissioned officer in charge, for a post on the night shift. Funny enough, ghost stories about old military bases stretch very far in the community and most of them are not believable. While on this post, I was in charge of four other men, two of them who were originally from the section I was recently whored out from. Every night was spent watching his cars drive in and out of our gate, the usual. 
We had several paranormal encounters involving that post that I won't go into to save time. But fast forward a few months of standing this post every night. Marine Corps deployment living, me and my unit returned to the United States to our home base. And that's when everything started. Originally, I thought it was just me. About once or twice a week, I had the same nightmare over and over. In it, I was strangled by a faceless shadow who was extremely tall and had very long arms. The dream originally started as just another nightmare, possibly due to a side effect of vaccinations, change in time zones, flight exhaustion, alcohol, anything else. But this went on for about two weeks. When I went home on leave to my home in another state, the nightmares seemed to stop for a week or two. Until my last night at home. I was going to sleep as usual in my family's spare bedroom. I've been moved out of there for several years already, with my trusty dog sleeping beside me to keep me company. That's when the nightmares got worse. This time it was very vivid and surreal, where I didn't wake up at the first sign of being startled. During those dreams, everything started very boring and normal-like. In the one I remember the most, I was going about my daily routine on deployment. I was off shift and walking to the chow hall when I stopped to have a smoke with my guys where I would hear them say, Hey sergeant, did you hear about something something? I don't remember what he told me. And I would sit there and continue to make conversation for a few minutes as I took drags off my cigarette, occasionally cracking jokes. Then I'd give the younger ones life advice. When walking into the front door of the chow hall, I would clear out my rifle. We had one on us at all times. When opening the doors, everything went black like the doors opened to black as I stepped inside to look around. I would then stop and turn around to head back out the doors when everything behind me disappears as well. I'm alone, still in my gear from standing post, when all of a sudden, I see out of the corner of my eye an even darker shadow moving towards me, and when I looked straight at it, I was paralyzed. The shadowy figure stood around eight feet tall and had long arms. Once it was close to me, it wrapped its hands around my neck, and I could feel myself gasping for air, slowly losing consciousness. After what felt like forever of screaming, I woke up in my bed, back at home, actually screaming my lungs out. My dog was freaking out. I woke the entire house up that night. About a week after that, I have already driven back to my home base, and I was back to work. While back... I was losing sleep. The frequency of those dreams were reaching about three times a week at this point. It was the end of the week and about to start a weekend. I was then assigned to barracks duty. Barracks duty is a mindless job. You tour the barracks, stop a drunk guy here or there, tell people to turn down their music, occasionally have to talk to someone important who wants to check up on his marines. So yeah, that post was 24 hours long every day. When one night, about 3 a.m., I was touring the smoke pit of the barracks, and I run into two of my guys I stood post with. I walk up, light a cigarette, and decided to talk to them for a few minutes before I returned back to the duty hut. I asked them what they were doing up so late, although it wasn't uncommon to see a marine up and in the smoke pit at 3 in the morning. I wanted to make a friendly conversation. My two guys started talking about nightmares and not sleeping. I was prying into it for a few minutes out of curiosity when one of them pulled out his sketchbook for tattoo ideas. He then said, This is what I see in my nightmares. Both me and my buddy went very silent and extremely cold. That creature was the same thing we both saw in our dreams. We then went into detail and saw that all of our nightmares were the same. Doing normal things, 
fades to black. Shadowy figure strangles us. Down to the very shape of the figure itself, it was all the same. None of us were able to sleep that night. Even though it was my job to stay awake all night for duty, I didn't feel the want to sleep that night at all. That was over a year ago. I have since left the Marines. I decided to go back to college, and those nightmares have seemed to have gone away. But every few months, I do have a nightmare similar to those I used to have. I wonder if my guys are still having them too, and if these nightmares mean something. Or if something is just simply haunting us and followed us home way back from the Middle East. Ghost and the Shoestrings As I am sure that many have had experiences that range from the typical to the extraordinary, I would like to share an experience that was tactile and carried with it a still-pondered thought of what else could something like this do. I also want to say that my whole life has been filled with more unusual things than I care to recall, from seeing ghosts to encountering UFOs. It has been such that any more when I make friends with someone, I tell them that they might have something odd or strange happen to them in the course of our friendship. With that being stated, here is a recount of an occurrence of high strangeness which was witnessed by about five people, myself included, that we refer to as the shoestring incident. It is a short story, so without further ado, back in around 95, I lived in a two-story house of which I occupied the second floor. I had bandmates and like two friends all sitting and talking about everything, from Spider-Man to the question of, do aliens exist? While we were talking and such, my drummer dozed off, like he usually does when we're all winding down from practicing. He was not out for five minutes when he jarred himself awake and readjusted the position of his feet, which, at the time, were right foot over left foot. He found himself not being able to adjust and looked down to see what was preventing him to do so. He uttered out loud, what the hell? Then, guys, what the hell is this? We all asked him what he was talking about. He said, who did this? At that point, we all gathered around him and were more than a little freaked out that his shoelaces from both shoes were retied into a checkerboard fashion at about a 7x7 seven seven square. Not only that, but in the center of the checkerboard was a wildly arranged knot, like a Japanese ornamental knot, which he nor any of us could figure out how or who did it. He had to remove his shoes together as they were very tightly bound. Three of us were working to get it undone, and the others just stood around and were too shaken by it to really be comfortable. After about 45 minutes, we finally got them undone. After that, a close friend who was present moved out of the state, but before he left, as we were hanging out, he told me, Man, I'm going to move to Michigan. I just wanted you to know why. I've been thinking about that time when T's shoes were all knotted up. I can't make sense of it and that scares the hell out of me. That's why I need to move. Needless to say, my old friends and former drummer tells me that there is not a day that passes that he does not wonder what happened that night. You never know when you might wake up in the middle of the woods outside your home with no recollection of how you got there. You just can't remember the needle going into your arm and the man standing over you. You can't even recall being dragged a mile into the wilderness, and whatever else you don't remember, it's probably best that you don't. It's a surprise at all if you get back to sleep.
So, night watchers, beware our strange world, and good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. Thanks. The Floating Man This happened when I was about twelve. It was a summer night, and I had just finished playing soccer with a couple of other kids from the neighborhood. We played in the back of the neighborhood, which had an open field with some tables and surrounded by forest. We sat down for a while until some kids started to go home. When it was just me and a younger boy, I started to hear whispering sounds coming from the woods. I looked in that direction and didn't see anything, so I continued to talk with the other boy. After a while, I heard it again, and I noticed that the other boy heard it as well. This time, when I looked in the direction, I did see something. Even though it was dark, I could clearly see that it was a man in a black hood, floating. His head was at a branch of a big tree, which had to be at least fifteen feet off the ground. After I heard him making weird whispering sounds again, I ran, and the other boy followed. We eventually came to a couple of other kids still outside, and we stopped. I noticed my companion was crying, and he ran to his brother, who was one of the older kids that was outside. Feeling safer, I walked home and told my mom what I saw. I guess she thought I was just joking, because she told me, that's what happens to kids who stay out too late. Needless to say, I didn't go back there when it got dark. This experience made me realize, there are a lot of things in this world, strange things that no one may be able to explain. And a lot of them happen in the dark. The White Lady Submitted by Nightwatcher666 My gran used to tell me a story, a story of the White Lady. She is a ghostly apparition that appears in the dead of night around the country roads near my gran's house. Some people have encountered her and say she is truly terrifying. She's a huge white spirit that haunts the nearby roads, frightening anyone who happens to be driving in that location at night. The most terrifying description of the white lady is her face. She has no features at all, no nose, no mouth, and no eyes. Just a pale, blank face that digs into your soul. I once heard that my uncle was on his way to my grand's one night after a few hours of drinking. Apparently, he was walking down one of the roads in the dead of night when he encountered her. She appeared right behind him. Terrified and afraid, he sprinted all the way down the road to my grand's house with the white lady close behind. After that traumatic experience, he has not been down that road ever since. One night, I stayed at my grand's. I got up for a drink of water around two in the morning. I quietly walked downstairs in the front room, and to my curiosity, I stupidly opened the curtain and looked out of the window. What I saw that night scarred me for the rest of my life. A pale, white, featureless face looking right in at me. Just like all the stories I heard of her, I then shut the curtain and quickly raced upstairs straight to my grand's room. I spent the rest of the night up there. That image will always stick in my mind. Truly, it was a terrifying experience, and I hope I never see her again. Ghost in My Bedroom Submitted by Cat Lover 
My family lived in Texas for seven years when they decided to move up to the Pacific Northwest of Washington State, where we still live, and where my story begins. My bedroom is on the second floor. My dad has commented that I have the nicest bedroom in our community, and it is. Now, I always sleep with my bedroom door closed, so no one would disturb me while I slept, and that included our two cats and a dog. For a couple of times within the first few months, I would feel pressure on the side of my bed, as if something had just sat down. I would put my hand on the spot where I felt it, but there was nothing there. I also didn't see a thing. I believe I am one of those people who would never see an actual ghost, but things did start to change. One of our cats, a short-haired brown tabby named Rosie, loved sleeping on my bed during the daylight hours. I would always find her curled up on my bed. In June, before I graduated high school, Rosie was attacked by dogs and disappeared. We never did find her alive or dead. Since then, I often would feel something up against my legs while I slept. During one of these times, I heard purring, and I knew that it was my beloved cat, Rosie, sleeping on my bed like she used to. Then suddenly, I stopped feeling it, which caused something to change. I would continue to feel something against my legs and also on my back as if something was sleeping next to me. I would feel something weird going up my back as if something was in the room. Something was trying to harass me, but couldn't. But that wasn't all that was happening. We have a small little deck on the second floor, and I have a door that went out to that with a window right next to it, which would leave plenty of light from the moon to shine in. Several times during the night, I have seen a dark shadow blocking out the light. I could never really tell where it was standing because it was so large and massive, and I still see it to this day. I don't know what it is, but so far it hasn't become physical. That is my only worry, but I can deal with it because I can only see it at night. The Barrett Ranch House Submitted by Alyssa Scarlet Hello, my name is Alyssa. I have a story for you. I am 17 years old, but my encounter with the paranormal happened when I was 16. My story takes place around May or June of 2016. It was moving day. I was helping my stepmother move. Since I had not seen her new house, I went with my uncle to go see it. While waiting for my family, my uncle began telling me that the oldest brother... Mondo, himself, and his on-and-off girlfriend had been visiting haunted places and playing with a Ouija board for the last two weeks, but kept returning to this farmhouse for the last five days straight. As my uncle told me about this farmhouse, my excitement grew and grew. I really like creepy things, especially anything that had to do with the paranormal. I then confessed I wanted to go visit this farmhouse as well. Turns out, they were going again that night, so they let me join them. We left the house around 11 or around midnight. The farmhouse is called Barrett Ranch House. It is located right off of Proctor Valley in San Diego, California. The miles of dirt road travels from Chula Vista to Jamul. Proctor Valley is notoriously haunted and it has been for over a century. So the way I saw it was that we were driving on a haunted dirt road to a haunted farmhouse. However, our actions continued to reflect our idiotic behavior throughout the night. It didn't help that this took place during a full moon. According to Bondo, cults tended to worship at Proctor during a full moon, 
To make matters worse, by the time we were actually on Proctor Valley, it was witching hour. The whole time, Mondo was texting a girl who had went with them last time to the farm. He was asking her if she wanted to go. She said she was at the border at the moment, but would take an Uber ride to meet us there. When we finally arrived at the farmhouse, my uncle made sure to check with his headlights to make sure no one was there. As soon as we pulled up, I felt a sense of déjà vu. A few nights before, I had a dream that I was five and had went to a red school that was located next to a red house. Both buildings had looked exactly the same in my dream. After knowing it was empty, we drove back to a gas station to wait for the girl Mondo was talking to. We'll call her Tiff. After what seemed like forever, Tiff finally showed up. We repeated the process of making sure no one was inside. The coast was clear. After we got out, we all heard a bat. Mondo explained every time they heard the bat, something was going to happen. From the farmhouse, you could see Proctor. The whole area was covered in red clouds that had specks of gray and black. The farmhouse's clouds were white with hints of blue and green from the full moon. This only added to the eerie feeling I felt. I also felt sick to my stomach. All of us except Tiff had a weapon and slowly we made our way into the house. The door was missing. Windows that were covered up were now completely exposed. Random items such as photos or board games were scattered all across the floor. There was a shredded wall with a big hole on the left side when you first enter. There's a chimney to the right. After the main room, there's a little hallway. And at the end of that hallway, you can either go straight into another room or you could go upstairs that led to the attic so there's a total of three rooms in this house. The room next to the end of the hallway had all kinds of rubbish. There was even a sign that said not to vandalize the house. Apparently, one day, the owner wanted to restore it to its former beauty. After we left that room, we headed towards the attic. This whole time, I was gripping my knife so tightly that I could have cut myself with it if it wasn't in its sheath. I could feel my heartbeat pounding in my ears. I have never been so scared in my life and that bat wouldn't shut up. It was like a fire alarm system. It would stop for two seconds, but then would start up again. There wasn't much in the attic. It was small, probably about the size of a classroom, if not less. There were a couple of wrappers from the gas station that was across the street. This hinted that someone could possibly be living there or hanging out there at the moment. There was also a hollow space that was probably used for a closet, but it was empty. My uncle's on-and-off girlfriend, who we will call Kate, had told me that I looked sick. I reassured her I was fine, even though I really wasn't. We finally went downstairs to the main room. We went through the rubbish on the floor. My heartbeat was still beating pretty crazy, but within the next second, it dropped to the pit of my stomach. In one second we were chatting, the next we heard footsteps from the attic. We all turned to one another. The expressions on everyone's face told us that they had heard it too. Quickly, we huddled together. We debated on what to do. Like the coward I am, I wanted to go outside. I wanted to get away. Kate had said she had heard the bushes from outside shuffle. However, I was running on fear. That meant I didn't care. I hadn't heard it yet. I listened closely. Sure enough, there was something moving in the bushes outside. At the moment, I thought it was a rabbit, so I insisted on going out. Mondo and my uncle decided to stay and check out the attic. They wanted to take pictures and see if someone was up there, even though we were just there like five minutes ago. Kate, Tiff, and I all went outside. Mondo and my uncle didn't go straight to the attic like I thought they would. At first, they just stood in the main room. 
Mondo took lead into slowly going into the hallway. The girls and I stood outside more than fifteen feet away, staring at the shuffling bushes. None of us moved, though. We wanted to wait until the guys had come out to investigate. My pounding heartbeat only sped up as I remembered the cults that were out that night. I thought there was a possibility someone or a group of them were in the bushes, ready to lure us out to our deaths or jump us. The bushes in the back were a couple of feet tall, but in front was a patch of small, thin, see-through bushes. They were almost like flowers. There were two right next to each other, so close they were touching. In spite of that, only one was moving. Two large bushes and only one was moving. By the sound, it seemed like something was stepping on it. Kate had her eye on the bush that would move frequently. I kept my eye on Mondo and my uncle. They were about to enter the hallway, when all of a sudden, they ran out of the house as fast as they could. My panting brother commented that they heard a loud thump that was right next to him. Kate pointed to the bushes, saying how they were moving. At first they were still, but then they began to shuffle once more. With squinted eyes, my uncle made his way over there. Then it stopped. A few seconds later, the bush shuffled again. My uncle stuck a camera into its face, and it stopped again. My uncle backed away, and again it began to move. My uncle commented that it seemed to flatten, as if it was being stepped on, which is what I had thought as well. We all went over to the area and stuck our hands out. It was as cold as a dead body. You could immediately tell the difference of the temperature. My uncle wanted to see if anyone was there messing with us, so we walked towards the house that was next to it. And there was no one. Tiff yelped, explaining there was someone in the window. Kate shouted back that that was impossible because the windows of the first house were covered with wood. They weren't. They were covered last time she stood mouth agape. We made our way back to the second house. My brother and uncle wanted to go back in, but I just wanted to leave. In the midst of our talking, I heard something scraping across the cement outside the house. That table just moved, Mondo gasped. I hadn't seen it move, but I heard it. It was a black stand that looked kind of like a table. No one else saw or heard it, but I immediately believed him since I know I had heard it too. It looked heavy, so I doubt anyone could move it easily. After that, Mondo, Tiff, and my uncle went back into the house. Kate and I went down the little hill to our car. I heard those short, two-foot-high bushes move. I literally jumped into the seat, not caring that I landed a little painfully on a purse. We had to wait probably 30 minutes before Mondo, my uncle, and Tiff returned to the car. We made our way back to Proctor Valley. They wanted to play the Ouija at Proctor. Now my father is a devil worshipper, so I knew it was wrong to. Not to mention it was a full moon, and it was the witching hour. However, I considered playing. We settled in the middle of Proctor. We all sat in the car. Mondo asking if we were going to play or not. My uncle cut the engine. We were in complete silence. We all waited until someone got out of the car. But no one does. Mondo lights a cigarette. Apparently last time they played the Ouija board, there was a little girl and a little boy. My brother calls out the little girl's name. Do you want to play with Kate, Sarah? Mondo asked. Sarah was apparently the little girl from the Ouija board. Kate curses at him. You could tell she was starting to get scared. She then too asked the little boy if he wanted to play with Mondo. Did you hear that? We all froze. 
Kate sat in the passenger seat while Mondo sat behind her. They were the only two that had heard the noise. We sat in silence, still debating to play the Ouija board or not. We beat around the bush about playing it. Still, no one got out of the car. I closed my eyes, then I heard something break behind us. The closest way to explain the sound was as if a chip bag was opening. Mondo had asked if anyone heard that one. Everyone shook their heads except me. I nodded. At this point, Kate was pretty scared when the tree a couple of feet away from us also shuffled. My uncle took pictures around the leaves. Kate pushed herself closer to my uncle. Look at the tree, she pointed at the camera. Yeah, it looks like a blue orb. My uncle took more pictures. Sarah, is that you? Do you want to play with Kate? Mondo teased. That's not funny, Mondo, Kate cursed. They're right outside my window now, she yelped. My uncle looked through the photos with Kate. They do look like orbs, my uncle repeated. Let's go. I want to go. There was a plea in her voice, and I wholeheartedly agree. We did leave since it was near the end of the witching hour. We didn't play the Ouija board, and I fell asleep after that. I never did get to see those pictures. I asked about them, but my uncle said he didn't know where they were, and that was the end of that. Later, I found out that the Barrett house had been a nursery. The Little House in the Woods Another submission from Doss Maui This story happened when I was about eight years old, and I even confirmed it with my mother recently. A long time ago, my grandfather built a wooden cabin deep into the woods so my family could spend some time with nature. There was no electricity, no running water, not even toilets. Since the only thing to do was to play outside, I explored the area a lot. The only rule was that if I didn't see the cabin through the trees anymore, I have to come back. When this happened, I was pretty experienced in navigating myself through the forest, so I dared to break the rule, and this time, go as far as I was comfortable with. I told myself that if I was going to do this, I'd walk in a straight line to be sure to not get lost, even when I don't see the cabin anymore. So I started my little exploration, and sure enough, after a couple of minutes, I couldn't see the cabin through the trees. So I continued forward. Some time passed and I noticed something in the distance. A wooden fence. At that time, I was already pretty sure no one lived in that direction, and even less so close to our cabin. So I went to check it out. Suddenly, I heard a dog bark repeatedly. When I reached the fence, there were some little holes in them, as most wooden fences do, and I looked through. I could see a dark, short-haired dog barking at me at a small house. It was nothing impressive. It really was just a regular small house with one floor and maybe an earth basement, but I couldn't really tell. My first reaction was to tell myself that someone built a house on our land illegally and thought they wouldn't get caught. So I ran back home like if the house was going to disappear and I found my mother on the front yard. I sprinted towards her, and I told her everything, and obviously she said there was no way someone could have built a house there without us knowing. And she thought I was joking or something, but I insisted so much that she decided to ask my brother to follow me so I could show him this house. And my previous fear became real. The house had completely vanished. I searched for the wooden fence again. It couldn't have been that far since I had gone in a straight line. But nothing. My brother just got bored and told me we were going back. 
I told my mom we didn't find anything, and the experience stopped there. But a couple of years later, I was talking to my father about the land, and he told me we weren't the first to own it, as there were two other people living here a long time ago. They were in little houses, and there were one or two old farms, but nothing was left of them except ruins. I visited these ruins and realized at the time that it was what I saw. It was one of those small homes that was here, standing here, a long time ago. I seem to keep moving into haunted houses by the gatekeeper. I used to live in a very small town in West Texas. You could ask anyone there to share a true paranormal story, and they would give you at least three. I was one of those people. The first encounter I had was when I was 10 or 11. My grandmother had woken me up so we could go to church. I had gotten my ears pierced a few months before this, so I would put my earrings on in a very old mirror we had hanging behind the front door. This was when I noticed something moving behind me. I turned, thinking it was my great-grandmother walking by. No one was behind me. This didn't really bother me until I turned back to the mirror and saw a man walking toward me with his hand out ready to grab me. This is one of my most vivid memories. He was tall, had black hair, and was wearing a gray shirt and red pants. When I turned around again, he was gone. I called for my grandmother, scared out of my mind. I explained that I had seen a man behind me in the mirror, and she just brushed it off. That was certainly not the last time I saw the man. As I got older, the entity became more malicious in a way. I didn't feel safe in the living room. I couldn't sleep with my door open anymore because I could see a large shadow standing in the kitchen doorway. I could hear men arguing at night and someone pacing in the hallway. I would mess around on the piano when someone with heavy footsteps would pace and then I would get this horrible feeling of dread. One night, I had slept on the floor with my dogs and my closet doors began to rattle like someone was banging on them from the inside. I would try and explain to my grandmother what was happening, but she would tell me it was the house shifting or it was just my imagination, but it wasn't. My friends never wanted to come over anymore because of how creepy the house was. My neighbors saw someone standing out on our back porch looking into the window at us. I spent most of my time at my friend's house or in my bedroom because of how scared I was. This was about the time my neighbor's older sister got a Ouija board. We played with it a few times at her house, never bothering to read the instructions. She ended up giving it to me and her brother after a series of nightmares she had had. We decided to use it at my house. Whatever we contacted was violent and did not like my grandmother. I ended up throwing the board away after having a similar experience to what my neighbor's sister had. I sort of learned to deal with whatever was in the house after my father kicked me out of my bedroom so he could use it and made me sleep in the living room. I had vivid nightmares that would keep me up. I would see people standing in doorways. Something would pace around the couch I slept on, but I just started, started to tune it out. My mother visited at one point and remembers hearing a little girl say something about makeup and also what sounded like someone running from the hall to the couch I was on. I moved out last summer, and I feel like whatever it was either followed me here, or there is something in my parents' house. We hear voices in the hallway, and something mimics how we talk. 
My mother thought she heard me in the living room when I was in my bedroom. There are two distinct voices that I've heard. There is a woman near my room in the short hall leading to the master bedroom who wants my attention, and a man in the kitchen and din area who really doesn't want me there. I had finished baking one day when the cabinet that has the cookie sheets in it opened and slammed shut on its own. The oven has opened and closed while I was cleaning some dishes, too. The kitchen and living room area, again, make me feel really uncomfortable. I feel odd breezes, like someone rushed past me, and an unexplainable feeling, like someone is chasing me down the hall to my bedroom. I remember whistling once while I was walking down the hall to the bathroom, and the minute I shut the door, something mimicked the tune I had been whistling. This happened at around 2 in the morning when no one else was up. Recently, I was waiting for a family member to come and pick me up, and it sounded like someone was walking on the tiles that led to the kitchen. I thought it was my cousin at first. But then I realized it wasn't even 9.30 yet, and it was a Saturday. No one was up. I would periodically look into the kitchen and see if it was actually somebody, but no one would be there. Then the walking would start up again. I ended up waiting for my ride outside, too scared to go back inside. Apparently, someone has done some weird rituals in this house. There are two Venus symbols facing away from each other, painted on my parents' ceiling no matter how many times they paint over it. It somehow bleeds through. There were also several bloody rags and weird symbols carved into some of the wooden posts in the attic. I usually don't like talking about some of this because I feel that when I do, the activity gets worse, like I'm angering whatever it is. But sharing is caring, right? I Make Ouija Boards, submitted by an artist. To tell my Ouija board story, there needs to be a little context. I make Ouija boards. It's one of my many hobbies, but not just any flimsy pizza box and sharpie ones, but sturdy, wooden ones with calligraphy lettering, inlays, and the whole nine yards. I spend my time on them, making them unique and putting care into each of them, so I haven't made many. I'm not sure, but these details may be significant because I have a connection with each board. I believe it's affected the way my experiences have gone. If not the connection, the quartz inlay on my first board definitely did. My friends were excited to try my first board. None of us have ever used one before, though. We didn't dive into it blind. I made sure of that. I looked up things to do, things not to do, to not let happen. We didn't find all of the information I now know, but we had enough to know when something went wrong. There were four of us the first time, three in the round each time, and one always is a scribe. Of course, nothing happened at first. We made little circles on the board and stayed on it for a long time with nothing happening. Soon I tried something I had heard about. I offered energy to the spirits. Then it started slowly. I made sure none of my friends were pushing it around, and it seemed legitimate. To add to the volatility, I noticed each spirit we contacted had a sort of handwriting, meaning they moved the planchette with their own little quirks, and none were the same in the way they might move the letters or say yes twice in a row. We tried to keep constant with the questions we asked, and when one spirit said goodbye, we would switch out scribes. Some of us got tired through the rounds, but I stayed fine. 
I switched out of the fourth round just for the sake of it, though. Things went south in that round. The first three spirits were generally friendly and helpful until I was the scribe. I had led the other rounds, and this time it was one of my friends. Now this is where the quartz comes in. For the sun and the moon on the first board, I wanted to make them inlays. The sun was mother of pearl, and the moon was little quartz stones. She started off like we always did, asking if there was a spirit with us. It said yes. When she asked it for a name, all it would give us was O. So we started guessing names that started with O. We asked it if its name was Owen, and immediately it said yes. I thought it was odd we got it on the first try, but I dismissed it as coincidence. We asked him his age next, and he said zero, but then he went to two. We thought this was also odd, so we asked it if he meant he was twenty or just two. We told him to go to the sun for two, and the moon for twenty. He went to the sun. He did a lot of things I dismissed as strange, like starting to go through the alphabet and making little circles on the side of the board. We asked him before he got too far into the alphabet if he was playing a game. It went to yes. Things got weirder, though. He went to the two corners on the side of the sun and kept making loose, irregular ovals and kept going back to O. When the planchette moved so far towards one of the players that it nearly went off the board, we had enough. We forced it to stay on the board, and we said goodbye. We found out how many signs we missed and mistakes we made when we looked up more information right after, and over the next few days, especially after I realized an important fact. The planchette never went to the side of the board with the quartz moon. Supposedly, quartz wards off evil, and not once did the planchette even go next to it. It wasn't very clear quartz, but it still seemed to have an effect. I realized the planchette was also trying to go to the four corners of the board, through the alphabet, and off the board, all to let the spirit escape and have a doorway into my home. When it did those odd ovals, I realized it was probably trying to do figure eights, another sign something is wrong. It finally hit me that we might have been dealing with the board demon, Zozo, when I realized it kept going back to O. The letter Z is on the other side of the board, and so it couldn't spell the other half of its name. It's only a possibility. I've had others since then try to act like they are him to scare me, but the evidence is compelling enough for me to believe. I started putting silver on the board. After that, whenever I used it, I stayed in every session. We took breaks between spirits, and I haven't had problems since. Nothing too notable has happened with me in Ouija boards, until my session a week ago. I don't often use the board, and this was at a party. Now I am depressed, and occasionally have suicidal thoughts, as much as I try to fight it and push them away. I had been crying earlier and have been having some negative thoughts at the little party. But my best friend managed to get me through it and get me back into things. Later, with different friends, I ended up using my latest Ouija board. We met two spirits, and it was one of the most heartwarming sessions I've ever had. The first was a little kid who was concerned that I was crying earlier and was very sweet to me. The second was an older man who spoke in mostly gibberish, as some spirits tend to do, with open-ended questions, but clearly he had a message for me, to say no. 
I asked to what, and he just spelled out, suicide. So I guess the moral of my story is that it is a tool, and if you know what you are doing, things will go well. But if you don't, it could get very, very bad. My first time using a Ouija board. Submitted by Ham Slam. I had played around with different methods of contacting the other side since I was very young. My grandmother always encouraged those sorts of things, but my mother was always very adamant that anything paranormal or not approved by her church was nothing but crazy and required a one-way ticket to an insane asylum. My grandmother always warned me to never use Ouija boards. It had something to do with how they are made, I guess because they are made in factories most of the time, or even homemade ones because you as the user don't know who made it or how. This can lead to a poltergeist or demonic possession much easier since most don't know how to properly make and use one. So, though I dabbled in other methods whenever I could, I never used a Ouija board. At 19, I was living on my own and had gotten out of a very bad relationship the year before. The guy had been an abusive religious asshole who loved hypocrisy. I started dating again and dabbling with contacting the other side but I still never used a Ouija board. I finally met a nice guy, and we had a lot of the same interests. I told him how I wanted to use a Ouija board and was thinking of buying one. He urged me to not do that, but said that if my heart was set on it, after a while of us dating, he asked me what was in my closet. I asked him, what do you mean? He said that he kept seeing a pair of glowing white eyes in the closet. I tried laughing it off, but ever since I had kicked out my ex, I had been seeing glowing white eyes in my closet. I always assumed I was just scaring myself and that nothing was there, so I suggested that I finally buy a Ouija board and we find out. I went to Target and bought a Ouija board. It took me nearly an hour to find it because the toy section was the last place I would have ever thought to look. There was only one left and it was behind a crap load of other games. I brought it home and we used it. We started off with basic questions. Does anyone want to talk? Has anyone ever died in this apartment? Shit like that. After a while, I started to think that my boyfriend might be messing with me and moving the piece on his own. So I asked, What is in my closet? It spelled eyes, then kept pointing to something off the board. We said goodbye and decided to move our Ouija board session to the closet and see if we could get a better answer. We started playing again, but kept getting the same movement pointing to something off the board. I finally asked it if it was trying to show us something. Yes. We followed our line of sight to where it was pointing, and in that corner, there were a bunch of plastic bags. I looked through them and found some of my ex's clothing and old belongings. We tossed out the bags that night, and immediately it felt like there was new life in the apartment. It was getting late, and I went to bed while my boyfriend watched TV in the living room. At around two in the morning, I woke up and checked on him. He had fallen asleep on the couch. I decided to use the Ouija board and see if I could contact someone alone. But much to my displeasure, I was only getting nonsense and random letters, which I believe means they were just trying to create or find a way into this world, and they were trying to keep the connection. I tossed the board on the floor and said to whatever was communicating, Yeah, right. I'm going to bed. 
I went to bed and thought nothing more of it. But my sleep was filled with nightmares that I hadn't had in years. I was drowning. Then I would wash up onto the porch of a large house that just screamed horror. I would then get buried alive, and right as I was about to die, I'd wake up to the sound of the pallet scratching on the Ouija board. All night, I relived the vivid nightmares, only to wake up hearing the pallet scratching furiously on the Ouija board. When I finally got out of bed, I was pissed. I argued with my boyfriend about how him scratching the pallet on the board wasn't funny, and how he was an asshole for keeping me up all night. He swore up and down that it wasn't him. We argued for probably a good hour before he asked me, Did you say goodbye on the board when you were finished? I hadn't. We used the board again briefly, asking who was keeping me up and if it was the cause of my nightmares. Then we said goodbye and tossed the board in the dumpster. A few months later, we moved into a new apartment, and while unpacking the boxes, we found the Ouija board at the bottom of a box. I took it as a sign that maybe we were supposed to have it, but he wanted nothing to do with it. I convinced him to use it again with me. We sat in the living room and began but this time we kept stopping because we would see shit in the apartment or catch something from the corner of our eyes. I finally agreed that we should stop. But as we were about to say goodbye, my boyfriend started having a seizure. I freaked the fuck out and called an ambulance. While on the phone with 911, I moved the pallet to goodbye and tossed it under the couch. I told the lady on the other end that he had just had a random seizure and I didn't know what could have triggered it. I sure as hell wasn't going to tell her what had happened. No one would have believed me. So the ambulance came, took him away, and I followed him in my car. By the time I got there, he had stopped seizing and was waiting to have a scan done. I asked him what had happened, but he just shrugged his shoulders and said he didn't know. One second he was going to say goodbye, and then he wakes up in the ER. We went home and threw out the Ouija board again. It showed up another two weeks later, under the bed, so we did a ritual my grandmother had taught me to help me appease any spirit that tries to come through. We wrapped white cloth with blood on it around the board, sealed the board in a bag, and said a firm goodbye as we threw it away. It's been years, and we haven't seen it since. We're glad, but now my boyfriend has a very stern no Ouija board policy in our home, and has become much more vocal when friends show interest in Ouija boards. Ouija Board Haunting, submitted by Lost Vegas. I have no idea what we were thinking. I've never heard anything good come of using a Ouija board. That didn't stop me and a few friends from trying to talk to someone or something on the other side. And I can tell you right now, we did not have the best prospects in mind. It was a Friday evening. We had just gotten out of school, Terry, Garrett, Corbin, and I. Usually, we'd either laze around playing video games or just read comics and manga. That day was different, because that day was the day after we had discovered that my mother had a Ouija board tucked away in her closet. Lucky us, we all thought. As soon as we got to my house, I ran to my parents' room and grabbed the box holding the board. My parents didn't come home from work until around 5.30 in the evening. We gathered in a circle in my bedroom floor, going over ideas for what to say. 
The usual preteen obscenities were tossed around before we got serious and settled on trying to contact a demon. Okay, yeah, we were skipping straight to black, trying to contact a being that would love to rip out our throats. But you have to understand, none of us actually believed in demons or ghosts. We were just trying to have a laugh. We definitely weren't laughing in the end. I laid the planchette on the board, and we all placed our hands on it. Garrett, being the most outgoing one, decided to do the speaking. Is there a spirit amongst us? He deepened his voice, trying to sound all creepy. I could hear the other two snicker. Of course, there was no answer. I was actually amazed that none of us were trying to move the planchette on our own. I didn't feel any pressure from the others. They all seemed too distracted by Garrett's theatrics to care. Are there any demons here with us? He asked even louder, as if taunting a faceless presence. Nothing. He continued, Do something freaky if there is a demon. Before Garrett could finish, Corbin's head came crashing down to the board, and the planchette flew across the room, hitting and cracking the window. My heart sank. All our smiles fell from our faces. Suddenly, the hanging light on the ceiling fell to the floor and busted into a hundred little shards. That's when we all jumped back. We had no shoes on at the time, but I'm sure that was the last thing on our minds. A few seconds passed by and perturbed before we collected ourselves and ran out of the room, slamming the door behind us. The moment we shut that door, we heard a terrible racket coming from the room, like a herd of bulls were rampaging inside. The door itself was eerily still, but it literally sounded like a warhead went off inside. Just as fast as I had left, I ran and opened the door. I couldn't breathe at the sight of everything. My bed was stood up against the wall vertically, the sheets shoved in the windowsill blocking out the sunlight, everything that had been in the floor, including the Ouija board and the planchette, a few PS3 controllers and some books, had vanished. None of us talked about that day with anyone else. Not only was it terrifying, we were kind of embarrassed for being stupid enough to call out for trouble from a being that would prefer all of humanity to be dead. Oddly enough, when I put my room back in order, I found the controllers and the books, even the planchette. But the Ouija board was gone, as if it had never existed. I honestly have no idea what the hell happened to it, even weirder was the fact that my mom never asked about it. I don't know if she simply never used it, so she never noticed it was gone. But she hasn't confronted me about the missing Ouija board yet. I'm just lucky that thing didn't start haunting our home. I'm happy that what happened was all that happened. It was the most horrible experience of my life. Demonic Life, submitted by Matt. Before I delve into telling you my tales, I must warn you that I don't really care if you believe me or not. These experiences really happened to me, and these experiences have shaped the person I am today. Now with that out of the way, let's begin. These experiences have taken place from when I was seven to most recently, November of 2015, up until my first Ouija board. We shall start at the beginning, the first apparition. 
as stated before. This happened when I was eight. I had just fallen asleep. One of those, close your eyes, open them, and it's suddenly seven in the morning kind of night. However, I awakened around four in the morning. The right side of my bed was pushed against the wall, so I turned my head and saw nothing but the wall. I turned the other way, and I saw a figure that will haunt me until I die. Its eyes were black, a black hole for a mouth, and eyes a charcoal color. Its skin was a greenish gray. I remember pulling the covers over my head and trying not to scream. I peeked out from the covers and saw it was unfolding and folding its arms, as well as opening and closing its mouth, almost like it was trying to say something, but no sound came out. I then remember blacking out, opening my eyes, to find that I had lost four hours, making it eight in the morning. This is what sparked my experiences. My second experience happened when I was ten. I was watching TV one Sunday before church. Then came a feeling of intense dread, fear, like eyes watching me. It got so bad that I hid behind the couch I was sitting on. I stayed like this until my mother dragged me out to go to church. Throughout the day, those feelings permeated my entire body. This lasted throughout the entire summer. Each day the feeling got stronger and stronger. Every minute I spent in my house, the greater the feeling of dread and of being watched became. The first night I was feeling this way, I remember closing my eyes and seeing a white shape of a skull. The details were fuzzy, as this happened many years ago. The feeling, though, of something going into me, and I remember feeling completely isolated and alone. I started crying and screaming for my parents. They came rushing in to find me in the fetal position, whimpering. Nothing happened again, until around January when the same feeling came back. At this time, my family had moved, not out of the state, you understand, but just a few miles down from where I had originally lived. It didn't come on as fast as when I was younger. This time it was more subtle. I felt minor bursts of dread instead of weeks of feeling it, as well as easily shaking feelings of being watched. Now this is where it gets crazier. I started to hear a voice. It had the overtone of a child, but it had a deep, gravelly undertone. It would say things like, You are mine, by my power. After these, I decided to seek a priest. I told him everything, and was convinced that a demon was terrorizing me. He told me how to, in his words, rebuke spirits. This worked for a while, and the activity died down for a few months. It started to pick up again when I got interested in Ouija boards. It was a week before Halloween that I got one, and I used it immediately. Each time I used it, I got a feeling of what I can only say feels like something wanting to enter my body. It wasn't on one specific place. This feeling was throughout my entire body. Each time I used it, the feeling got stronger and stronger. It is now three months since this time, and since I used a Ouija board. There has been no activity since then, and at this point, I'm just waiting, waiting for something else to happen. Never use a Ouija board by Boo Venon. My name is Bia. I'm a 17-year-old student, and I'm just here to give you one piece of advice. Do not use the Ouija board, ever. 
Everything started when I decided I was going to make a Ouija board as decoration for my room. I went to a stationery and printed the image of the Ouija board and pasted it in a piece of wood. It was spotless, as if I'd purchased it from a store. I was pretty happy with my result. I actually did it without the intention to use it, because, let's face it, I would never believe that a ghost could talk to me. But there was one night when my parents had gone to deal with some family matters in our hometown, Tavira. I invited my friends to come have dinner and spend the night with me to see a movie and share some laughs. I had the idea to get the Ouija board and use it to scare my friends, and of course, I put my alarm with the sound of a door closing. So they came, we gathered in the living room, and we set the Ouija board on the floor. Everyone was playing. I asked really serious questions. Hmm, is there someone here we can talk to? No answer. So I said again in a stronger tone, If you are here, give us a sign. Still, no answer. We laughed, and nothing really happened for the rest of the night. My friends went home, I thanked them for the company, went to my room, and closed the door. I am pretty paranoid. I do not like to see the door of my living room. I always think I'm going to see someone. I closed the blinds, and I laid down on my bed, falling asleep easily. What must have been moments later, I wake up. I felt something on my bed next to my feet. I immediately assumed it was my cat, which made me comfortable and happy. I love having my cat next to me, but then I was almost falling asleep once more. I heard an anguished breath to my left. I panic, not knowing what to do. A lot of thoughts went through my head, but I couldn't do anything. I tried to stick up my hand to feel what was breathing, but I instantly thought to myself, are you fucking crazy? What am I going to do if I find something's head and hair in my hands? Don't do it. The breathing continued, and it sounded like it was coming from a woman. I'd had enough, and I got the guts to turn the lights on. But I was so scared, I could not find the lamp button. I honestly thought I was going to die without my parents there to help me, and with no idea of what to do next. Then, finally, I managed to find the button. I turned the light on. It took so long. When the lights came on, there was nothing in the room but my cat standing with sleepy eyes one meter away from me, next to the wall. So the thing is, cats don't breathe through their mouths. So who could have made that sound that terrified me that night? A Night on Patrol by SBNP this is a true story that happened to me a few years ago. I still get freaked out any time I think about it, so let me share it with you. A few years ago, I was a supervisor for a security company. I worked in the patrol division. We would basically patrol various clients' properties through the night. We had businesses as well as residential. We also responded to calls from residents on the properties. Most were harmless. Drunk, loud people, usually. Parties that get out of hand. One night I got a call about a suspicious person walking around some town homes. This area is pretty quiet, surrounded by woods, and it was more middle class than the others. After getting the notice, I arrive on the property about ten minutes later and drive to the area. I shut off my vehicle and take a look around. As I am walking near the woods, I hear something walking not far from me. Now there are deer and other animals in those woods. 
but this one seemed to not only keep pace with me, but stop when I stop. I shined my flashlight into the woods, but I couldn't see anything. Not finding anything unusual, I go back to my vehicle and write my report, just saying that it was probably kids messing around. I leave and go about my night. About two hours later, I get another call. This time the caller said someone was looking into their window, but could not give a description. I go back this time, running with no lights on. I get out of my vehicle in a different area facing the woods, with the dome light disabled. I open the door, leaving it cracked, and proceed around the houses. Again, I do not find anything except a handprint on the window in question. I walk close to the woods on the way back to my vehicle. I was standing about twenty feet in front of it, but right by the woods. Suddenly, I hear a rough voice say, Hey, hey, come here. Thinking it was a prank, I say, All right, you've had your fun, but you're scaring the residents. Come out and talk to me. Again, I hear from the woods, No, you come here, and we will have some fun. Insert creepy chuckle. At this time, I am freaking out. It is dark. I'm alone, even if the police or a phone call away. I try to play it cool. I reply, Whatever. Just stay off the property. I turn to go when I hear someone in the woods moving. Then, in a loud voice, I hear, Don't turn your back on me. I said get in here or you will pay. That was it. I was 100% terrified. I turned fast, drawing my 9mm as I did, pointing it and my flashlight into the woods, saying, So much as show your face, I'm going to shoot. I'm calling the police. I didn't get a response. I went back to my vehicle, turning on all the lights. Headlight, spotlight, and light bar, all of them shining onto the woods. I called the cops. We are well known and generally liked by the police. So it only takes a few minutes for them to respond. They have me wait a while while they check the woods. A few minutes later, one calls over for me to come to him. There, forty feet into the woods, is a nightmare. There is a homemade hunting blind set up, a shovel, a tarp, and a shallow pit. The police never found the person, and no one had seen him since that night. I still don't know what to make of it. Was it a harmless prank, or a killer waiting for me in those woods? The two calls that night were made from a prepaid cell phone. All the residents said that they never made any calls, so I assume it was him. I quit my job shortly after that. I don't think I could handle another situation that weird. The Trainee by CDC This is probably not what you were expecting. But here we go. I used to work for a relatively small security company. It was privately owned, and about 30 employees were there altogether. They'd get a contract with a factory, and then basically your job was to sit in that factory for 8 to 12 hours when no one was working. So I'd be working by myself, alone, overnight, in a completely empty factory. In my two years of doing that job... I never one time saw a single thing I would call supernatural. However, I did see Dennis. One night, my captain calls me on my phone and tells me a new trainee will be coming in the morning at about five. I had to show him the ropes, teach him how to make the rounds. You walk around the building, that's basically what making a round is. 
So it's about 4.45 in the morning, and I step outside of the parking lot to have a smoke and wait on the new guy. After about 10 minutes, a car pulls up, stops, backs up, and drives away. I was clearly visible, so I have no idea why he left, but the car passed by three to four more times before finally pulling in and shutting off the engine. I can see him in the car, and he's just sitting in the driver's seat, staring at me. In the back seat are two kids probably around six to eight years old. After about three minutes of me wondering what the hell is going on, he gets out of the car. Dennis is fucked up looking. He's about four foot ten and fatter than damn near anyone I've ever seen. He has a huge rash covering about 70% of his body, with a white crust outlining most of it. And then he speaks. Had a little trouble finding the place. His voice is high-pitched. I mean, really high-pitched. I'm talking Judge Doom in the final scene of Who Framed Roger Rabbit high-pitched. Then he extends one hand to shake mine. Without thinking much, I, I shake it. There's one finger on it. Just one. And the rest of the hand looks like some kind of stumpy flesh mitten. One of the kids gets out of the car, has the same rash, is also very fat, is also missing fingers. He says, Daddy, can I get a drink? Dennis turns around and screams in that high-pitched voice, Get back in the damn car and don't get out again. I'm in fucking shock, so I take the guy around the factory, show him the perimeter, tell him where the emergency stuff is. About a minute into our walk, I notice this guy smells like hell. I mean, he literally reeks of sweat and fresh diarrhea. The whole time he's asking me strange questions like, Do you have a crush on anyone that works here? Or, can I hunt on this property? He finally leaves after standing in the office trying to make small talk with me for about 15 minutes after the tour. On his way out, he said, We're going to be good friends, even if you don't think so. I went home about two hours later and stood in the shower for a good solid hour, washing myself, trying to get the image of that guy out of my head. I called my captain and asked him to reassign me someplace else. Never had to see him again. That's been more than ten years, and the thought of Dennis still bothers me. The Tenth Floor by Dr. C. Read by Shivers. I used to work second shift at a hospital, 3 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. One thing I've learned about hospital folks is, if you ask them if the hospital is haunted, there's an extremely high chance they'll say yes and tell you stories. One night, it was extremely slow on our floor. We sat around and the nurses told scary stories. My shift ended, so I went to leave. I was the only person who left at that time, so I got in the elevator by myself. An important note here is, we were working on the ninth and topmost floor. I had, on many occasions, gone up the single flight of stairs and out the door to the roof to watch the life flight helicopter take off from the ground. So I'm getting on the elevator to leave and I push the button to the parking garage. The doors close and I'm relaxing and leaning against the back wall. Thinking about all those ghost stories I just heard, I look up at the display to watch the floor numbers progress when I see the up arrow glowing. That's impossible. I'm on the top floor. I watch fully, expecting the arrow to switch directions when the car starts moving up. My eyes are wide open right now. This should be physically impossible. 
there is no tenth floor in this hospital. I'm fairly sure this elevator is taking me to hell right now. The car slowly stops, and the doors open. It's a blank, unmarked hallway. It's really dark, only being lit from the elevator lights and the single emergency light at the end of the hall. I stick my head out just enough to peek out the door. All I can see is this dark hallway with some really old hospital beds without mattresses. After a few seconds of perfect silence, the elevator dings and the doors close. The arrow points downwards and takes me to the parking garage. I told my story to a couple nurses the next night. Apparently, it was a floor only used for storage, and you're not supposed to be able to get to it without the special key. No one had an explanation for why it took me there, other than someone pushing the call button on that floor. Late Night Visitor Submitted by Vanessa This incident happened to my little brother when he was only about six or seven. He's twenty now, and still tries to find a logical reason for this occurrence, and lives in denial of it. My parents, however, recall this incident pretty vividly. In our home at the time, my parents' room was the first one in the hallway, then the bathroom and our bedrooms were at the very end. My two brothers shared a room, and my sisters and I shared the other. Our parents always left the hallway light on for us, in case we needed to go to the bathroom, so we wouldn't be afraid, due to previous paranormal incidents. One morning, my youngest brother asked my father, Dad, in, in the middle of the night, did you go and check on us? My father asked why he was asking that. My brother told him, Because the last few nights, I hear you when you open Vanessa's door, and then you open mine and look at me. Then you close the door and walk back to your room. I know it's you because you drag your feet on the carpet. My dad said, Yeah, I, I check on you guys to make sure you're okay. My brother just said, All right. Little did my brother know that it wasn't my father checking in on us, and he only said that so that we wouldn't worry. That night, my dad tucked us all in, as he usually did when he was home, and we all went to sleep. Later that night, my little brother heard my dad walk down the hallway, open the door to my room, then shut it. Then he opened the door to his room. Whoever it was stared at him for what seemed like forever. Finally, he closed the door and began walking back down the hallway, dragging his feet and presumably headed to my parents' room. My brother got out of bed to go talk to what he thought was my dad. He opened his bedroom door and saw this figure walk into my parents' room. He followed curiously to see my dad. When he walked into the room, he saw both my parents asleep in the bed. Then something caught his eye, a figure crouching in front of my parents' bathroom door, covering the long mirror attached to it. It was tall, but sort of crouched, with its legs slightly bent, its arms lifted, and its hands were positioned in the way someone's would be if they were pretending to be a monster. 
and it had a long, wavy tongue, like a serpent's. My brother instantly began screaming and crying as he jumped into my parents' bed. My parents woke up and tried to comfort him, but my brother told them what had happened, and my father made a sweep through the house. He found nothing. The nightly visits stopped, and my brother never saw that thing again. My Horrible Night Shift Experience by Ghost Rider 10 Read by Shivers So, it's 11.30pm, and I'm making my nightly rounds making sure all doors are locked before I start my nightly cleaning routine. I'm a janitor at one of the many Gold's Gyms. This Gold's Gym is hidden from the road enough to where the doors aren't too visible from the highway. I won't lie, it creeps me out sometimes working here alone until 3am, so I always make sure to bring headphones to listen to my music. I also make sure to leave all the lights on and have weapons hidden in each room as I clean. I'm minding my own business, mopping the main floor by the front desk and getting ready to turn on my music. That's when I hear loud banging on the glass. I look up and see nothing. I feel chills. The window shows nothing but pitch black night sky. I shake my head and go to press play. But, then more banging. This time it's even louder. I run to the front of the gym to see a man. He is pressed against the window staring at me. He is dressed in a hoodie and sweatpants and looks to be in his thirties. His eyes looked bloodshot as if he was exhausted. Sorry. We are closed, I say nervously. I try to show that I'm not scared, but my heart is pounding a little too fast. I left my gym shoes, he says flatly. You will have to come back tomorrow, I say. He stands there and doesn't say anything. Moments go by and I feel like an idiot just standing there. A creepy smirk appears across his face. Have a good night, he says a little too happily. He walks off into the darkness. I shake my head and tell myself to calm down. I decide it's best not to play music at this time. I need to make sure this man really left. I, being a man myself, know that I'm a pretty strong guy. But this guy looked built. It honestly freaks me out. But I started cleaning again. As I keep telling myself, there is nothing to be scared of. I hear a loud bang come from the back of the gym. I feel my breath catch inside my throat. I hear it again, louder this time. I inhale deeply as I reach for my knife. I slowly make my way to the back door. I hear a constant banging as I grow closer. Luckily, the back door is solid metal and sturdy. I know it's locked but I can see the vibrations with each bang. What makes it even creepier is, I swear I hear snarling and growling. I put my hand on the door and hold my knife up with the other. Just then, the banging stops. Go away, or I will call the police. I manage to choke out. I can hear a man's laugh. They can't save you, he groans. 
I run away from the door as quickly as I can to the manager's office. I lock myself into the room and grab my cell phone to dial 911. Just as it starts ringing, the power to the gym goes off. I let out a huge gasp. 911, what's the emergency? A woman says from the other line. Please help me. Someone is trying to break into the gym. I hear glass shatter. I think he just broke in. Okay, sir. I need you to stay calm. Where are you located? She asks. As I start to reply, I hear footsteps outside the door. I get down behind the desk next to me. 412 Southern Plaza, off Brook Road, I whisper. Okay, sir. Just stay in the line. Cops are on their way, she says assuringly. I start to reply when laughter comes from the other side of the door. I can smell you. You smell so scared, a rusky voice bellows. I gulp. Sweat is pouring down my forehead. Sir, are you there? The 911 operator asks. Yes, I whisper. The cops won't make it by the time I get through this door, the voice yells. Please, you can take anything you want. Just leave me alone, I yell, trying to sound non-frightened. I grip my knife close to me, and I look around for weapons in case I have to fight. You know, you're right. I think I will let this be a warning. When you least expect it, I will find you, and I will come for you. It could be at your house, in the quiet neighborhood, the place where you go to play cards every Friday, or here, where you're all alone every night six days a week. I can't catch my breath as I realize this man must be stalking me. Who? Who are you? I yell. The man laughs devilishly. You will see me in time. I hear footsteps getting fainter. Then I hear cop sirens in the background. So I hung up the cell phone. I don't come out from under the desk until a cop busts down the door. When they lead me out, I see the front windows are shattered. I tell them everything and they take it all down. They suggest I go nowhere alone and always have a weapon on me. I proceeded to take it a step further. I now have moved, switched jobs, and my weekly routine. I will take no chances. Working After Hours by Shy Fox I work for one of Australia's biggest telcos in their operational security department. My team is unlike all of the others in that we work out at a special restricted site since we handle very sensitive data. Every morning, I have to drive through a security gate and have my pass vetted by one of the two guards, then park in the nearly empty lot and pass through two more security doors and get by another guard before I even make it to the stairs. The buildings on the site were built in the 70s and 80s, and as far as I can tell, they haven't been updated since. The lights are old fluorescent tubes with ancient air conditioning ducts spewing dust onto our heads, and the only lift is a cranky fire hazard that grumbles its way up and down the cables. Luckily, my team is on the first floor, so it's not too stressful to climb one flight of stairs. The bathrooms especially are particularly disturbing. As you can probably imagine, despite the company's best efforts to be inclusive in its hiring practices, there are very few women in the building. 
The men's toilets on the floor are large and have been recently renovated, but the few women have been relegated to an ancient room beside the photocopiers. Accessing that bathroom is strange in that you have to pass through two lockable doors, the inner of which swings outwards and the outer of which swings inwards, and trap you between them for a few seconds. The space is so small, you have to close one in order to open the other, and there are no lights in that tiny space. Each of the doors has a narrow window in it, of the type of glass that makes figures look as though they've been blurred. On the day in particular, I was working late. There had been a minor security incident, and I was on a long phone call working through it with my manager, two of my teammates, and a few other people in other departments. It was heading for winter, so it was getting dark early, and the sun had set by the time the incident was solved. I needed to finish up a few emails, so I stayed seated at my desk when my teammates left. Needless to say, I was now alone on the floor. I finished my emails and spent some time cleaning up my inbox. You'd be surprised how quickly unread emails pile up after hours, and it's always bugged me to have too many. Now, the two doors leading to the women's toilets had a very specific pair of squeaks. They both had matching laborious E sounds, always followed by a heavy clunk of a door hitting the frame too hard. And it surprised me to hear first one door and then the other grudgingly open and close. It was rare to hear those doors even during daylight, but right then, I was pretty sure I was alone on the floor, and even then, surely I was the only woman. I waited, breathless, for any sound. I turned my chair around and watched the outer door, clearly visible over the top of the cubicle walls, waiting for a repeat performance. It stayed mute and motionless, but I couldn't bring myself to either turn around and resume working, or to get up and go investigate. I'm not an idiot, after all. While I was thus occupied watching a door that wouldn't move, I heard the distinct tapping of feet coming down the stairs from one of the upper floors. Assuming it was someone else going home, I ignored it, continuing to focus on the silent door. The footsteps on the stairs paused halfway down, and this time I spun around subtly to glance at whoever was standing there on the stairs, only to discover no one was there. At this point, I was ready to nope the fuck out of there, when there was suddenly a third sound. There's a large plaster dividing wall down the middle of the building with a walkway punched through it, approximately halfway through, and I sit with that walkway to my direct left and my back to the main aisle between the cubicles. As I stared at the stairs, trying to logic my way through these impossibilities, through the plaster walkway I heard a distant whistling tune. It was so out of place on the silent floor that despite the cheerful sound, my blood chilled and I started shaking. The whistling got closer, heading for the gap in the plaster wall, and my heart hammered against my ribs. My mouth went dry, and tears formed as whatever it was made its way toward me. The bathroom doors banged again behind me, first one, then the other. I stood with a startled yelp and knocked over my chair, turning to look at the loud doors. My legs were shaking, and my fingers were like ice as I stood in the middle of an empty floor and just waited. Even the smell of the place had changed. The sense of thirty-year-old dust and layers of people were gone, and instead it was replaced with a hard metallic tang of unidentifiable origin. Just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, the lights in my row flickered and took on that purplish demi-glow of sulky fluoros. 
the bathroom doors audibly smashed again, and I collapsed onto the floor, skidding across the old carpeting to shelter under my desk in the darkness. Clutching my knees, I closed my eyes, tears falling freely. As that distant whistling picked up again, and an equally distant phone started to ring, something thundered up and down the stairs, invisible feet beating every step, and the whistling started getting closer and closer. It remained cheery and unperturbed, despite the elephantine levels of noise from the stairs and the awkward banging of the bathroom doors. I huddled under my desk as the sinister, cheerful noise passed by. Whatever it was, stopped next to my desk, and I held my breath. All of a sudden, the lights came back on, the darkness disappeared from the floor, the bathroom doors remained blissfully quiet, and the stairs were apparently unoccupied. It took me almost ten minutes to brave crawling out from under the desk, and, still shaky, I righted my chair and sat down to shut my computer off. As my body slowly calmed down, I tried to rationalize what had happened. Wind creating the whistling noise, weird air pressure currents that made the doors bang, ancient wiring causing the lights to turn off. I packed up my laptop and headed downstairs cautiously, just in case. I said goodnight to the guard at the front desk, and he looked up from the poor quality CTV screens with a friendly smile. You guys are always up there working so late. At least you're not the last one to leave tonight. Frowning, I wandered over and looked at the CTV screens and gasped. Standing there, unmoving in the middle of the first floor landing, was a blurry figure. The screen flicked automatically over to another view, and after ten seconds or so flicked back to the first camera, and the figure was gone. As I watched, the lights on that floor went out again. The guard frowned with obvious confusion. That's odd. It shouldn't be turning off if someone's up there. He glanced at me. After all, the lights up there are motion-controlled. Narrated by Blue Spooky Assisted Living by CNA I have worked on plenty of night shifts, and very few have been creepy experiences. But this, unfortunately, was one of the creepiest. I take care of the elderly. I provide any medical or domestic care that they need in order for them to remain at home. But sometimes I have clients that live in assisted living facilities. In the morning, I took care of a couple who lived in one. The wife had become a walking vegetable after two bad strokes, and the husband was too obese to do anything without assistance. One day, I get asked by my boss to stay overnight, because the husband had been hospitalized. I asked what my duties would be, and I'm told that it's a warm body case. I get paid just to be another warm body in the apartment, so there really were no duties. I show up for the shift, and everything's going pretty smoothly. My client is asleep, and the facility is locked up, and there's the occasional nurse or caretaker walking down the halls. Around 11 p.m., I hear a knock on the door. I look through the peephole and see one of the nurses that I'm friendly with. I open the door and we chat quietly in the hall for a bit before he leaves. He tells me not to leave my client's room unless necessary, because after midnight, things get weird. I just laugh it off and we go back to work. 
and the night continues to be uneventful. And around 1 a.m., I need some coffee. I grab the keys, lock the door behind me, and take the elevator from the third to the first floor. The ride is a little odd. Lights flickered once, and the elevator seemed to be going extra slow. I brush it off as my nerves getting the best of me. I go into the kitchen area and see something move out of the corner of my eye. I feel my blood go cold, but walk quicker to the coffee pot. I tell myself to calm down and stop being a coward. It's all those horror movies and the creepy setting just getting to me. I feel like something is behind me. A cold shiver runs down my body, and I can feel the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Against my better judgment, I turn around and see just the last glimpse of someone walking into the dining hall. I follow the person, and once I'm in the unlit dining hall, I call out to them. Hello? The person turns around, and all I hear is their walker hitting the floor. It's an old woman. She says back to me, Oh, I didn't know anyone was still up. I take a step back towards the lighted kitchen area. It's pretty late, I say. You should really be going to bed. What if you fell? She walked closer to me, and once in the kitchen area, says, Oh, you're right, darling, but I just enjoy the quiet of the night. She gives me a wide, toothless grin. Something about her face just unsettled me. I had seen plenty of toothless smiles before, but her face when smiling seemed so menacing. I grab my coffee and listen to the tap of her walker go towards the elevator. I heard her begin to talk to someone, but couldn't tell if she was still in the hall and going into the elevator. Either way, she wasn't my problem, especially not with that unnerving smiling face. I took the stairs to the second floor and walked to the other side of the building to take the other elevator. I enjoy taking this route back during the day because the second floor has an open type of hallway where you can see the downstairs lobby and the piano next to the reading area with a large window from ceiling to floor. It's a very picturesque view. I looked at the lobby as I passed by and saw multiple white and gray blurry figures outside. I stopped dead in my tracks and felt my blood go cold and rush to my feet. I told myself that it must just be foggy outside, or maybe there was some new shrubbery and in the dark my eyes were playing tricks on me. I somehow found a way to start quick walking down the hall again, but was stopped after only a few steps by the sound of keys being hit on the piano. Alarms started going off in my head, and now was the time to freak out. Now was the time to run like hell back to my client, and never work here again at night. But all I could do was look back down into the lobby, and stare at the piano. There was a tall, very pale, elderly person sitting there. I felt a bit of relief, and began to calm down as he played a few more keys. I let out a sigh of relief as he looked up at me. His face was clearly covered in wrinkles and very gaunt but his eyes were completely hollow and black. I felt my breath leave me and I was frozen. I couldn't comprehend anything. My mind kept saying that it must be an illusion caused by lighting or something, but everything else in me kept screaming that this wasn't an illusion.
the man got up silently. Not even the bench made its usual creaking sound. He ran out of sight towards another room on the first floor. He ran, not hobbled, not walked, but ran. He didn't shuffle his feet. He didn't move at the speed of any other elderly person I had ever seen. I lost my nerve and sprinted to the emergency stairway and ran to my client's apartment. By the time I had calmed down, I realized that I had lost my coffee along the way and my right ankle was sprained. All I cared about was that I was safe and that I wouldn't end up being in a horror movie scenario. The rest of my shift I was wide awake and would occasionally hear footsteps in the hall or knocks on the door. Twice I had gotten up to investigate through the peephole but didn't find anything and figured I shouldn't push my luck. I still do the same type of work but I haven't gone back to that building since. I told the guy I was friendly with about it, and he said it was very common and was the reason why none of the caretakers went outside after a certain time. Read by Joey's Nightmares Attacked by a Shadow by Milius M.D. In August 2015, I was visiting my parents. My parents and I were talking. I love reading about mythology. I study mythology when I'm not actually studying, and when I get a bit enthusiastic, I can get completely carried away in discussions on this subject. On one of my mythologic rampages, I was discussing the Titan Nyx. This is a Titan of Darkness. On that subject, my mother pitches in a little nugget of information. That talk about the dark reminds me, do you know what your eight-year-old cousin has done? Now, that particular cousin is on my father's side of the family, and we don't really keep in touch that much. So I answered, no, of course not. Well, they just moved into a new place, and her daughter was having trouble sleeping. She kept seeing something of a shadow coming out of the wall. At this point, I started getting goosebumps, not really knowing why. I'm agnostic. I love reading about mythology. I love visiting places that have mythological significance. However, I couldn't remember experiencing something paranormal or really creepy that can't be explained. My mother continued, did you know they got a psychic over there? They removed the drapes where the shadow kept reoccurring, and now it's quiet. My feeling of discomfort kept increasing, even though I have less faith in psychics than I have in winning the lottery. I wish I had done that. It took me years when this happened to you. Now at this point my hair was standing on end. I remembered that exact thing that she was talking about. However... I hadn't thought about it for years. I couldn't remember it. But now that I can, I don't know why not. I remembered the real pressing feeling of something watching. It gave me chills. I asked what we did about it. Well, we changed the drapes and moved you to another room. Then it stopped. However, I moved back to the same room when I was 12. Indeed, I never had a problem again. So I thought I'd forget about it. The dreams I've been having afterward have been messed up, so a friend and I plan to just go out. 
We went to the pub and started talking after a few beers. He started, So what's up? You look like crap. I told him about the nightmares that started a week ago and the story that started this. His eyes went wide. He started, Are you for real or are you just messing with me? I never told that story except to my girlfriend. What story? He told the exact same thing. A shadow, oozing out of the wall at night, keeping him awake as a child. We started talking and he told me about shadow people. I started searching and this is how I actually stumbled at the first stories of Darkness Prevails. Since the story my dreams have been messed up, either drowning under a tidal wave or running from something. My personal favorites are waking up to someone standing over me with an expression of utter hate and dreaming about a white place, like the scene we need lots of guns in the Matrix, where a shadow with fangs attacks me, stabs me in the right shoulder, and me waking up bolting upright and a shoulder that hurts even three months after that dream. I visited the hospital with this shoulder and nothing was wrong except a decrease in mobility. I don't know what is happening, but I am starting to train myself for lucid dreaming. At least it helps me wake up when I want to. The dreams are finally decreasing with me learning more control. However, from time to time there are still dreams happening where a shadow tries to attack me. Read by Shivers. Heristry by Vanessa. In our home on Harris Street, we've encountered everything from disembodied voices, dark figures, levitating items, shaking beds, to full out physical manifestations of family members who weren't in the home at the time, or they were on the opposite side of the house. Here are some things that happened to my mother. But first, let me give you a little more information on my youngest sister's imaginary friends. My little sister at the time had three imaginary friends. Katie, who was a little blonde girl. I don't recall the name of the lady. All I remember is my sister saying she had a blue dress and her hair was in a bun. The third wasn't really a friend, I suppose. She called him the Woodchucker Man. He was a very tall, heavyset man with blue overalls and a red long sleeve plaid shirt underneath. She said he was bald on top and had longer hair on the back of his head and that he was a very bad man who didn't like Katie. At the time, the crazy paranormal stuff wasn't happening other than disembodied voices and the occasional dark figure so all of us brushed off her friends until one day I was watching TV in our living room. My sister was playing and talking with Katie when she suddenly looked over to me and said, Katie wants to tickle you. I said, okay, whatever, let her tickle me. And I kept watching the show on TV. Out of nowhere, I get this really strong tingling sensation in my armpits. It scared the shit out of me, but I didn't react at all. I wanted to ask my sister if she knew where Katie was tickling me. Before I could even ask, she looked at me, smiled and said, 
she's tickling you on your armpits. My heart sank, and I began to think, if Katie's real, what about the other two? On another note, my dad would work 4 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day, so my mom would wake up to make him lunch and send him off, then afterwards fall back asleep. So she's laying in bed, and she flung her arm to the other side, and she hit someone. Thinking it was my dad, she brought her arm back to her side of the bed, when suddenly she remembered having packed his lunch that morning, and she noticed that the body was too big to have been any of us kids, or even my dad. So she rolled off the bed and crawled out of the room. That's when she started sleeping in the living room. I couldn't help but think that was the woodchucker man. Fast forward a week. My mother is asleep on the couch, while the kitchen and living room have no wall separating each other. So she would leave the light on above the stove to keep the living room semi-lit. It's about 3 a.m. when she wakes up to the sound of drawers in the kitchen opening and closing. Thinking it's one of us, she ignores it at first. But the rummaging continues. Still half asleep, she asks, Who's there? There was no answer. Then the fridge opened. My mom opened her eyes and looked into the kitchen through the reflection of the television to see a little girl standing by the fridge holding it open. Still thinking it's my sister, she asks, My daughter, what are you looking for? She said the little girl looked at her through the reflection of the TV and disappeared. Then the fridge door just closed. My mother was so paralyzed with fear, she couldn't even move. Let's just say, she didn't get much sleep that night. Cedar Crossing by Alyssa I. I was about six or seven when I moved into my new house in Virginia. I've lived in my house for about 13 years, and I've been experiencing several different unusual things. Most seem more like isolated incidents. Others are still going on to this day. I've been convinced that my house is haunted for as long as I can remember. It began when I would be overcome with dread at seemingly random times usually while I was in my bathroom, taking a shower or brushing my teeth. This never happened in the other two bathrooms, only the one my brother and I shared. It got to the point where I would actually make excuses to use my parents' shower or just not brush my teeth. This continued for a couple of years, but then died down. That is, until I was old enough to stay home alone. That's when I began to notice a lot more. Every day, I got a powerful sensation that someone was watching me. And once, while looking into the pantry for something to eat, I felt someone's breath on the back of my neck. The weird part is, I wasn't afraid. The presence didn't seem dark or threatening. It was just there. One day, I was in my room and a robotic toy pig fell from the back of my bookshelf onto the floor and turned itself on. The on switch was located on the pig's stomach, surrounded by the toy's four stuffed legs. There was no way the switch would have turned itself on just by falling. 
and this wasn't the only occurrence. Other things around me fall out of nowhere from secure places like the middle of the kitchen table. It didn't get much weirder than that until about a year ago. At this point, my brother was in college and I had the bathroom to myself. That's when I began to see small, brownish-red drops inside the bathtub. I didn't really think much of it, so I turned the faucet on and waited until the pressure from the shower had washed it away. I thought it was just crap that had leaked through the ceiling. This kept happening every time I went to take a shower. Then, one night, it must have been two or three in the morning, I jumped out of bed and ran to the bathroom. I had a nosebleed. This wasn't extremely uncommon for me, especially during dry weather, so I quickly took care of it and was back in bed in no time. The next morning, however, I went to the bathroom to take a shower, and the drops are in the tub again. I also notice a drop of dry blood that I forgot to clean up from my nosebleed. And I finally made the connection. It looked exactly the same as the stuff in my bathtub. It was blood. The final event that happened was about a month ago. I woke up at 5.30, as I do on most weekdays, to see something sitting on my bed. It was completely black with slightly blurred edges. I could make out a head, an arm that it was leaning on, a torso, and the thigh. Though it had no facial features at all, I still knew it was looking at me. I blinked several times because I thought it was just a trick of my eyes or a dream or something, but every time I reopened my eyes, it was still there, exactly the same as before. This went on for several moments before it disappeared. Again, I wasn't afraid, merely startled. I don't believe it wanted to hurt me. After thinking on it for so long, I believe something may have happened here long ago, in that bathroom. And whatever happened, that ghost was the victim. Some other things have happened at my house. For example, one Saturday... I woke up and went outside to find something odd. There were dried foot and handprints of a grown man. Then again, it could have been something else. It looked as though the prints were sharp, as if they were claws. My father said that they were bear tracks. Yeah, I don't believe that. We may have woods in our backyard, but it's so thin that we hardly even see deer, let alone bears. So that leaves me to wonder, what was it? Another time, very recently, I went outside one early morning to walk my dog, and I heard a shriek from the other side of the woods. It was brief and shrill, like a child. Then it happened again, and again. It went off once every minute or two. This carried on for several days. I told my father, and again, he said it was an animal. This time he said a bobcat, and again, I know it's more likely a banshee than a bobcat where we live. It makes me wonder if he knows something and is just making excuses. Read by Joey's Nightmares Dead X by Vic Pryor This story is kinda long and has two parts, so be prepared. A little bit of backstory. My boyfriend had a girlfriend who committed suicide a few months before we started dating. 
Also, my sister died a week before that happened. Keep in mind my memories are slightly fuzzy on these facts. One night I was up at almost 11, and I had finally decided to sleep, but I wasn't really tired. I had a test the next day and wanted to have a good night's sleep, and soon I felt as if I wasn't alone, but I ignored it. Every night I had my TV on so that made me feel good, and I slightly opened my eyes a little bit and noticed a figure, short blonde hair, maybe a blue sweater with even designs, standing right in front of me. Considering I almost fell asleep, I didn't think much of it, so I closed my eyes again, but not even seconds later I popped open my eyes and quickly turned on the lamp. I looked back over at the spot and they were gone, no signs of anyone there, and I went back to sleep a few hours before I had to wake up. Okay, this is the second time. One morning my alarm went off and I went to turn it off. When I did, I noticed my friend texted me saying school was cancelled. Keep in mind, I like to stay up late as hell, and because of that, I decided to go back to sleep. I slept a few more hours until I woke up, maybe at 8 or later. It's still fuzzy, and I was still tired, so I tried to sleep again. When I shut my eyes, I started to notice it was very cold in my bedroom. And this was really weird considering my bedroom was so hot I didn't have a- And this was really weird considering my bedroom was so hot I didn't have on pants. And then I noticed it wasn't only cold. It felt as if there were gusts of winds in my bedroom. I slightly opened my eyes, and I was still half asleep. But right in front of me was a figure. It looked like the one from last time. Blonde hair, blue sweater everything. The disturbing part was I remember my bedroom door not only being open but the light was on, but there was nothing outside my door, just a bright yellow light and the entity was running towards me. Once I closed my eyes and opened them back up, my door was closed, my room was hot again and I was alone. I have a theory it was my boyfriend's ex seeing me for some godforsaken reason. If I saw her eyes, though, I'd know it's her. Why? Because she had purple eyes. And if it wasn't her, then I'm worried. Hell, I already am. Read by Shivers The Childhood Hauntings by Lauren My story starts when I was about four to six years old. My name is Lauren, and this story occurred at the first house I lived in. It was a one-story blue house with a creepy-ass shed in the back. The backyard was very large. You could fit at least three other houses in that backyard. Anyway, my backyard will have a purpose later on. The first paranormal experience I had was when I was about four years old. I was half asleep one morning, laying on my bed. Then, I felt my feet and the blanket around them be pushed down. I opened my eyes because I thought it was my mom, but I was wrong. There was no one there. But I still felt the pressure on my feet. Then, all of a sudden, it lifted, and I was so confused, but what could I do? I got out of bed and sat in our living room, 
I hugged my stuffed teddy bear and looked down to it. When I looked back up, I saw a white mist. It slowly gained features, and it was an older woman. She had a nightgown, a bun in her hair, and she had no shoes. I started to freak the fuck out, and I tucked my head between my knees. I quickly looked back up, and she was gone. I told no one about this. After that, things got out of hand. My name was screamed in the voices of people who were gone. There were shadow creatures, things being dragged and thrown. My stuff kept disappearing, and there were spirits that attacked my friends and family. Fast forward about three years. My parents got divorced when I was eight. My brother, father, and I moved out of the house to our grandma and grandpa's house, which is now my aunt's. Sadly, both of our grandparents died soon after we moved in, and my dad decided to move on from my mother, so he dated a woman named Tina, but it didn't work out though. He then happily met a woman named Shari, who is now my stepmom. We moved into her house, and before we did, I will always remember seeing my grandfather's face in the mirror in the bathroom of their house. My mother was kicked out of the old house, and now others live there. All I have to say is, I hope they're happy in that house, haunted by my great-grandmother, multiple dogs that were poisoned, shadow creatures, and name-calling ghosts. Read by Blue Spooky Strange Happenings at an Old Newport House By Sadie When I was 16, my mother decided to rent a house in Newport, Rhode Island for a long weekend in July. Joining my mom and I on this mini-vacation were my younger sister, Shelley, her best friend, Dee, and my mom's best friend, Nancy. We arrived at the house at about 6 o'clock Friday evening and proceeded to unpack. The house itself was older, but beautiful. The furniture looked like something out of a magazine. There was a giant screen TV in the main living room and a bedroom right near it. My mom and Nancy snagged that room as it had an ensuite bathroom Shelly and Dee took the remaining room on the main floor. There were two bedrooms upstairs, so I snagged the largest one. As I was putting away my clothes, I heard a soft creaking, almost like a door moving slowly. I looked around just in time to watch my room door slowly shutting. Now, I can be a very skeptical person, and a door creaking shut isn't something that would scare me. I just assumed that a draft, though I had felt none, had caused the door to move slightly. I finished unpacking and headed downstairs. It was then that I noticed the door to the attic. It was right outside my room. I gently turned the handle and opened the door. As the door swung open, a blast of cold air hit me and my room door slammed shut. Instantly, the hair on the back of my neck prickled, and I shut the door. It was the middle of July, and we were having a hot spell. Shouldn't the attic have been stiflingly hot? It wasn't. It was cool, 
as if there was an air conditioner set to high cool up there. I looked warily at my now-closed bedroom door and decided to go downstairs. And the rest of that evening was uneventful. We ordered pizza and relaxed by the pool in the backyard. Eventually, around midnight, we all headed to bed. As I climbed the stairs, I remembered the incident earlier and felt a little nervous heading to my room. But when I opened the door, nothing seemed strange. I crawled into bed and to my surprise, fell asleep rather quickly. Creaking woke me up at around three in the morning. It sounded like someone was slowly walking back and forth in the attic. I won't lie. I was terrified, but desperately tried to rationalize what I was hearing. Maybe it was just an animal. I listened to the creaking as it continued. Finally, I threw the covers over my head and shut my eyes in an attempt to sleep, which I eventually did. I woke up the next morning and the first thing I noticed was that my door was closed. I distinctly remember having left it open. I asked my mom if she had closed it when I got down for breakfast, and she just told me no. She then asked why I couldn't sleep. What do you mean? I asked her. Well, Nancy and I heard someone walking down the hall last night. I had assumed it was you. I shook my head and she shrugged. Maybe it was my sister. Of course, my sister and Dee denied that either of them had been awake, and the issue was dropped. We spent the rest of that day sightseeing and at the beach. At around 7 o'clock, I decided I wanted to head back to the house. I had had enough of shopping and just wanted to relax. Thankfully, the house was within walking distance of the shops, so I headed back home. I quickly changed into my pajamas and sat on the couch, TV on and book in my hands. About 45 minutes later, I heard a door open and close, followed by the sounds of footsteps. Thinking everyone had come back, I called out to them. Why are you guys back so soon? Silence. I leaned back on the couch to look into the main hallway that leads to the front door. It was closed, and there was no one in the hallway. I got up and slowly made my way down the hall. Mom? My voice wavered. I made it to the front door and looked into the driveway. Her car wasn't there. I went back to the living room and sat on the couch, listening intently. Silence again. I decided that my ears had just played a trick on me. I tried to continue reading, and couldn't, so I focused on the TV. Suddenly, the footsteps started again. They were upstairs in the attic, and were slowly making their way down. I was frozen to the couch. The footsteps were on the stairs now. I could hear them slowly creaking as something invisible came downstairs. Two things happened as the footsteps reached the bottom stair. The TV shut off and the front door swung open. I screamed loudly and jumped up. Sadie, what's the matter, honey? My mother ran into the room. I threw my arms around her and cried. I told her what had happened and what I had heard. 
She didn't believe me. She thought I had fallen asleep and dreamt of it. I refused to sleep in that room again, so Nancy said she would. The night passed without incident. The very next morning, Nancy told my mom that she believed me. That all night she heard what she thought were footsteps in the attic, and the door had shut on its own. We decided to leave a day early. I don't know what I experienced in that house, but I know it scared me terribly. There really are things that go bump in the night. Look Out by Kai About three years ago, my mother and I lived in a two-story house, and first everything was fine and dandy till three months after. My mother referred to herself as a witch. She loved to communicate with the dead. She loved to have any contact with spirits. One night, my mother had stayed up to use her Ouija board. She wanted to try and communicate with my grandfather, who had recently passed away. About an hour later, I had woken up to someone shaking me. It was my mother. She told me she had come into contact with my grandfather. She was smiling and full of tears. I went downstairs, and in the middle of the living room floor, I saw my mom's Ouija board and a few candles. We put our fingers on the planchette and began talking to my grandfather. Or so we thought. About an hour after communication, I started to get skeptical. Every question my mother had asked got a false answer. So I decided to ask a question that only my grandfather and I would know the answer to. I put my finger on the planchette and I asked, What happened on May 8th in 2012? I got a reply, but it was not what I was looking for. The planchette slowly started to move, and when it was finished, it spelled out the word nothing. Now, on that day was when my life was changed forever. It was the day I lost my baby boy. As soon as I got that reply, I immediately started blessing the house. After about two hours of blessing, I finally didn't feel so uneasy. I went to bed, but unfortunately... I was woken up again four hours later to the sound of my mother screaming. I rushed downstairs to see her on the floor holding all of our family pictures that had been smashed and thrown on the floor. We did some exploring to see if anything in the house had been tampered with. To our surprise, there it was in the middle of the floor. The Ouija board was exactly in the same place as yesterday, but I swore I had picked it up and put it back in the attic. Along with the Ouija board were three black candles that were lit in a glow that neither me nor my mother had lit ourselves. Ever since that day, we hear voices, voices of different genders and different ages. We see black shadow people everywhere. It's been three years, and unfortunately my mother has died at a young age. I've since moved out of that house and moved to my own place, but unfortunately... The activity has picked up. I can actually say that for once in my life, that I am very, very afraid.
the coin submitted by John. During the time of this story, we lived in a smaller city just south of Las Vegas called Henderson. We lived tucked inside a very quiet and boring suburban neighborhood that never really had a lot of action. It was me, my mother, and my dad living in the house, and up to 2011, my grandmother on my mom's side also lived with us, as she needed to live with us because she had extreme emphysema and was on oxygen 24-7. Growing up, I was always at odds with her. We didn't really like each other, and she died in 2011. Fast forward maybe a year. I'm not entirely sure as this was at least several years ago from now while I'm typing this story. When my grandmother died, my mom had her cremated, and her ashes were kept at the crematorium, I guess, because after cremation, my mom didn't come home with the ash urn until a few days after it happened. But she brought it home one night and put the urn up on a cabinet in my grandma's old room, which still had all her stuff in it, by the way. My grandmother's bedroom is the first floor bedroom with a bathroom attached. It stretches into the kitchen, so the bedroom door is right by the stairway. A series of strange shit happened afterwards. The same night we brought her home, we were all in the upstairs bedroom. Me and my mother heard a loud thud downstairs, so we go downstairs and didn't even bother to look in my grandma's room because we were busy looking in the living room and dining room. Finding nothing, we forgot about it and turned to go back upstairs. Then we realized that the light was on in our grandma's room. The door was still shut. Immediately, we were freaked out. As my mom opened the door, we saw her old lamp, thrown across the recliner chair next to the dresser the lamp usually resided on. We looked at each other, and I felt my face turn a pale white. We freaked out. After we calmed down, we tried to rationalize, but knew we really couldn't. Because no animal could have gotten in, the door was shut all day. This was very strange, and it's not even the worst thing that happened in the story. Maybe a few weeks later, one night, I'm having a friend spend the night. We go to a movie, stay up till around midnight, then go to my room upstairs with my grandma's room right under mine. We sit there for a while, just talking, and eventually the topic of my grandma comes up. So, of course, I tell him about me and my mom's story. We just agreed it was very weird, and eventually went to bed. Now, right after my grandma died, I was looking for spare money she may have had. I found this cool, old, 1898 silver dollar. I took it and had it on my nightstand and just kept it there. After ten minutes, I'm finally drifting off to sleep, when I was suddenly shot awake, when I heard something metallic fly across the room and smack into my glass table. It woke and startled the shit out of both of us. We quickly went into rational and calm mode because we figured something simply fell. I got up and hit the lights. We looked around and saw nothing around the table. I turned and realized the silver dollar was gone. This gives me a very eerie feeling, and we start tearing the room apart, flipping the couch and the bed, the table, we check the closet, etc., but nothing. So we searched the room with a fine-toothed comb, and still we found nothing. We checked our pockets to make sure, then a light bulb goes off in our heads. Our shoes were on the ground. We just kick them aside to search everywhere else, so we check our shoes. Find nothing, though. But then I decided to lift the sole out of the shoe, and when I saw the coin there, my heart sank. We immediately ran out of the house like madmen. 
After a few weeks, the ashes were taken and emptied into the air. When the urn was gone, all this paranormal activity stopped, and nothing like it has happened before or since. I've tried to debunk this event as a freak accident, but the fact is that the coin was obviously thrown with force, and of all places it could have landed, it landed underneath the sole of my brand new shoe. This isn't a weak, worn-out sole that something could fall into by accident. If something was in the shoe, it was downright enough to where I struggled to pull it out. I don't see a real explanation for this. Something paranormal was going on. Read by Shivers The Ghost from the Ashes by Tala I would like to share with you my experience that happened when I was about 15 or so, which was a few years ago now. I was with my cousin, who I will call Marla. Marla and I used to hang out all the time. We were more like best friends, if anything. We used to go visit Marla's grandparents quite often. They were her dad's parents, so they weren't directly related to me. But we were a close-knit community, so everyone knew each other. So, anyway, one day we visited quite early in the morning, and we ended up staying all day. We had dinner and treats, and all kinds of things. At around 12.30pm, my cousin asked if we can go up into the attic and sort through some of her stuff from when she was a kid. Her grandparents said it was okay, so we made our way up to the attic, and everything was fine for a little while. We came across a box, and inside were newspaper cuttings, old letters, and other weird things. On the inside of the box, there was something written. This belongs to Jesse Quant. And as Marla read out that name, a strong feeling of being pulled backwards came over the both of us at the same time. We both looked at each other, wide-eyed, and made for the ladder. Of course, Marla made sure she was down first, but I was practically on her shoulders. We almost flew down the stairs, and as we made it into the living room, Marla's grandparents asked us if everything was okay. We told them that we were fine, so they just smiled and turned away. That day went on, and we started to hear bumps and bangs coming from upstairs. No one could have been up there. It was only Marla's grandparents who lived in that house, and they were downstairs with us watching TV. I started to need to use the bathroom, and I begged Marla to come upstairs with me. And she said yes, because she needed to use it as well. So, I finished in the bathroom, and Marla tells me to wait for her. So I stood outside the bathroom, which was opposite the room where you get to the attic. I started to smell a smoky kind of odor, and I started to get really nervous, so I shouted for Marla to hurry up. She mumbled something, but I didn't hear what it was. The smell started to get stronger, like something was burning, and I looked through the hinges of the open door, and I could see something unnaturally black staring at me. I saw it move, and I screamed as loud as I could and ran downstairs. Marla came tearing out of the bathroom. I think she still had her knickers around her ankles, but she didn't care, and neither did I at that point. Marla's grandparents were dozing off downstairs. So, they didn't hear a thing. We really wanted to leave, but we didn't want to wake them. 
and we also didn't want to leave without saying goodbye. It was a horrible situation because I just wanted to go home. We decided to wait a little bit longer, but we heard footsteps and banging upstairs, and that burning smell intensified. The ceiling light was swinging gently from the movement upstairs, and it was also flickering. I started crying and we decided to leave, but we left a note saying that we'd be back another day. We did go back a couple weeks later, and we asked Marla's grandparents if they knew anybody by the name of Jesse Quant. They said they had no idea, but when we spoke to Marla's father about it, he drove us to the local library, and we found a newspaper report of a man being killed in a fire in the same house now occupied by my cousin's grandparents. Shockingly, his body was found in the same room that I saw that figure. The fire happened during the night, while the man was sleeping. The house was obviously cleaned up and renovated, and Marla's grandparents bought it cheap, not long after it was fit for sale. They were completely oblivious to the house's past, or at least we think so. They have long since passed, and we never really got to ask them if they heard or seen anything. So, that's just one of my experiences, but it's the one that affected me the most. The Tattered Spectre by Lone Ranger Ever since I was six years old, I've lived in eastern Virginia, in a town called Williamsburg. It's just up the road from the original Jamestown settlement, and smack dab in between the state capital, Richmond, and the largest naval base in the world. Norfolk Williamsburg is already a major hotspot of tourist activity, but it's helped by the fact that Williamsburg is one of the oldest towns in the state, possibly in the country. It has a lot of the original buildings and architecture still intact, even after hundreds of years. Banking on this, the town's tourist industry is centered around an area known as Colonial Williamsburg, filled with lots of 18th century buildings, and people walking around dressed as if the American Revolution had only been won yesterday. It's actually very interesting. There are plenty of fun mini-histories that go with the buildings, in addition to the area's overall historical value. Now, as with many old places, Williamsburg has its fair share of ghost stories. Some buildings are said to have had literal skeletons in their closets, while some are the sites of brutal deaths. And over the decades, people have reported seeing various phantoms and spirits haunt the area. I don't know if the encounter I had was with a ghost or an entity, or if it had anything to do with the fact that I live in an area known for being haunted. But a few years back, I had an experience that truly boggled my mind. My family used to take walks around the neighborhood. The main portion of it is just a giant loop, so it was very convenient for a short evening walk. I was probably about 14 years old, and one evening, my sister and I went with my mom for a walk around the loop. Only around a block and a half away from where we lived, I stopped in front of a neighbor's house and told my mom and sister to walk ahead of me. For the past several years, one of our cats, named Brutus, 
had been living in their yard because they kept leaving out treats and extra food for him, even though we asked him not to so he would come back. He was getting pretty old and his health was failing. We didn't see much of him at our house, but often we walked past theirs and he'd come out from their side yard and greet us with a friendly purring and meowing. I wanted to see if he'd come out. I watched my sister and mom walk away for a few moments, and then I turned back to look and see if Brutus had come out. I was shocked to see something hovering near the upper left corner of my neighbor's garage door. I've always had a hard time thinking of how to describe what it was. It was very, very bright, though the light seemed to be contained within itself, and it had lots of tendrils and ragged extensions billowing outward in slow motion. It looked almost like a shining orb of maybe hair, or even a torn and frayed dress, like the kind an old doll might have worn. But whatever it was, it was tattered and bright. I stepped closer a few times, and accordingly it got larger in my perspective, and I saw it begin to slowly move in an upward direction, toward the right. And there was still a lot of light out, so it wasn't as if the darkness was playing tricks on my vision, and I must have averted my gaze to look at my family farther down the street at least half a dozen times. Yet every time I looked back, that tattered ore was still hovering and moving in the same direction. For whatever reason, I didn't call out to my family, and I started to walk closer to the object. Something in the back of my mind told me, No, just leave it alone. After a solid minute, I decided to keep walking in order to catch up with my mom and sister. I walked slowly, looking back every few seconds to see if the orb was still there. Sure enough, it never disappeared, and I kept looking back until we finally rounded a corner and I lost sight of the house. Since then, I've walked down that same street many times, in every season and at every time of day, but never once have I seen that orb or anything remotely similar to it. It wasn't a particularly significant, frightening, or exciting experience, I know, but it definitely left me puzzled. Not entirely sure what I'd seen, or if it had any importance in any way. More for my personal curiosity than anything else. If anyone has had a similar experience or seen a similar object, I'd be very interested to hear your story and see if it can shed any light onto mine. Ghost in the School by Anonymous I was about 12 years old going to school in London and this happened about three years ago. Me and my friends were all into paranormal things and liked scaring each other a lot. Some of them would talk about any paranormal experiences they had but I hadn't experienced anything paranormal at the time. My friends also used to say that if you would say the word ghost on the stairs in front of two big metal doors in the hallway, then the doors would swing open and something would chase you. I completely thought it was a joke, as nobody said they saw it happen to them, and it sounded kind of stupid. However, when my teacher asked me to go get something, I thought I would try my luck for the hell of it. So, since I had to go past the stairs, I said ghost. I was all alone, and I felt pretty nervous, but I waited for something to happen. 
just as I was about to start walking again, I saw a faint, dark figure through the window of the door. Although it was very hard to see, I knew it wasn't human. And the door then slammed open, and I saw a huge, hollow figure standing there. Thinking about it now, it was only about ten meters away from me. It had very long legs and what looked like a stretched face. As soon as I could get a proper look at what it was, it was gone. I told many of my friends, and a couple of them did believe me. I told the people who didn't believe me to go try it for themselves. Every other time they did do it, and they said that nothing happened. All I know is that every time I was alone, I would avoid those stairs. Blink by Ham Slam I am tired of keeping quiet and having it rack my brain trying to figure out what the fuck happened. A bit of history first, though. I was always an odd child, even as a baby, and I guess now you could say I've grown into an odd adult. I have had countless experiences and stories that have just become my every day, but there is one thing that constantly sits in the back of my mind, and I have exhausted every logical explanation I can think of or think of researching. The earliest I can remember of this strange thing happening is probably at four years old. Although, whenever I've questioned my family about it, they say that they can remember it happening at around six months old. I was always one of those kids that was curious about everything and got into anything I'd be told not to. I would always appear or be found in random places, places that I either clearly could not have gotten into or places where I wasn't left. But at four years old, I remembered that I would blink, feel like my body weighed nothing, like my mind and senses had been turned off, and then appear in some random place not too far away. I thought that everyone could do the same thing and thought nothing of it until I steadily got older. Many times I would blink and suddenly be on top of a counter or in a cupboard. I'd get scared and start crying. Then I'd be reprimanded when I couldn't explain how I was just in the other room or in the living room and now suddenly I was somewhere else. I thought I would be in trouble for doing it without any knowledge or control. My parents were very disturbed because when they would find me in these high places, there would be nothing around me to have climbed on to get to where I was. As I got older, I realized the problem was because they thought I had did it on purpose, that I had deliberately disobeyed them. Not that I was randomly appearing in rooms, and I learned that no one else would appear in rooms like I did. I remember being so afraid because it would happen randomly. One moment I would be reading in my room, then I would suddenly be on top of the dining room table. Doctors had reassured my parents that all it was was an adventurous spirit and lack of parental supervision. But at eight years old, it began to happen less often, then it eventually stopped altogether. I thought about this for many years and had eventually settled on the conclusion that I just must have blacked out from time to time. And due to the lack of supervision, I was able to somehow get into places and find ways that others just couldn't think of. And I went through my preteen and teen years with this only happening a handful of times. Usually it would happen when I was walking, 
I would somehow travel three to five blocks without the time changing, when it should have taken about fifteen minutes. During those years, I saw doctors, and they always asked if I was taking any drugs. My answer was no. I was always sober, and had never done or tried drugs when it happened. I began researching more and started thinking that perhaps I just simply blacked out due to some theory that a guy proposed, which pretty much says that the only reason why we or anything in the universe exists because it is a thought in what someone else or ourselves perceive as reality. For example, that table is only there because you think it is there, that you will it into existence subconsciously. But if it subconsciously doesn't register, then it disappears or doesn't exist. You think, therefore you are. The name escapes me at the moment. I'm sorry. So it doesn't happen any longer for a while, and I just chalk it up to my mind, skipping out. When I was 19, I moved across the country, and my boyfriend and I lived with his parents. My boyfriend's younger brother had a habit of sneaking out at night, and was going through the general rebellious stage. He had been arrested a few times for doing dumb shit, like graffiti, vandalism, trespassing, stuff like that. So we came to an agreement that we would go out with him at night and pretty much babysit him to make sure he didn't get in any trouble. Our third night of this, and he continuously made fun of me for being a wet blanket, to put it nicely. As we're leaving the house via the back kitchen door, him and my boyfriend jump from the small steps and land gracefully on the patio. Due to bad depth perception, I always took the stairs when it was night. My boyfriend jumped first and went to the front of the house to make sure the area was clear and no one would see us. Then, his brother jumped and stayed behind to get on me once again about using the stairs. The thing about the steps was that there was a small standing area, about half a foot long and one foot wide, and then a two foot stop directly in front of you, stairs to your right and a small hole that led to the basement that was safely covered by a window about three feet down. I'm only five feet tall, so either of those falls would have been trouble for me if I fell. But, due to getting tired of the teasing, I decided to jump in to shut him up, Mature, right? Well, due to my short legs and bad depth perception, I jumped too far left and saw myself heading toward the hole to the basement. I let out a half scream. Everything went black and I felt the weightlessness come again, like I had no body. I felt my body again as I hit something hard. It was the trunk of a tree. My arms were splayed out over the exposed roots. My head and back were laying against the trunk, a good eight to ten feet from where I had jumped. And all I could hear were my boyfriend and his brother freaking out. They kept yelling, what the fuck? While he was pacing in a small circle, my boyfriend asked him what had happened. And all his brother kept saying was, how the fuck did she do that? And what the hell just happened? That can't happen. My boyfriend asked me what happened, and I just shrugged my shoulders. I honestly couldn't give him an answer. I explained what I remembered, and I could only follow up with, I think I jumped further than I thought. My brother didn't believe that I could jump that far. After all, I'm not exactly built for jumping. The thing is, I didn't even believe what I had said either. We asked his brother what he had seen, and he just kept saying, that's not possible. We eventually got him back inside, but the whole time his eyes were wide and he refused to let me go near him. After a few hours, we questioned him again. According to him, he saw that when I was about to jump, I was too far to the left, so he just couldn't miss seeing me beef it. And when I jumped, I did more of a final step off of the plank rather than a jump. But when my foot was about to hit the beginning of the hole, I had let out a scream, then disappeared, 
and the scream had stopped. That's all we could get out of him, because he started to freak out again. After that, we tried talking to him about it once more, but he'd always start freaking out when we mentioned it, so we eventually just stopped bringing it up. It's been almost seven years, and he still refuses to talk about it. I've noticed it happening again every so often, but it honestly worries me. Usually it will happen when I'm walking to work. What is supposed to be a six-mile walk in two hours will suddenly be one hour, or I'll blink, and I'm randomly three miles further than I'm supposed to be with no time having gone by. I'm worried that one day it might happen at work, or in front of a crowd that notices, or that I might end up in a wall or a different dimension or something weird like that one day. So that's my terrifying experience. I'm 26 and have no clue what this is, what might happen to me, or what to do about it. Maybe it's a slip in time, maybe it's a glitch in the Matrix, or perhaps some spirit has attached itself to me just for the sake of torment. Ghosts on my street by Wyatt H. I've had many experiences with the paranormal, especially in my own home. It all started when my dad was young. He lived in a very haunted house that supposedly had demons. He says that whenever he was about four, a demon tried to grab him through a vent, and then when he had me, my nursery was in what is now the back room, and up until I was two, somewhat paranormal things had happened. At three every morning, the witching hour, the TV in that room would go to static, and it would be on full blast. Every time it happened, my dad went to go turn it off, but one time it turned off itself. I would always cry that a monster was eating my bed or trying to eat me. That back room is always very cold, and even now I refuse to go in there alone, and my grandpa who lives next door has experiences himself. At night, while he's asleep, he feels something sit on the bed beside him. Often we see shadow figures cross the hall from his room to the spare room, and the spare room there is always cold. My uncle says when he slept in there, it sometimes felt like someone was sitting on his chest. Our neighbors also have had experiences. One day I found out that a trailer across the street once caught fire. Apparently someone died. I can't help but shake the feeling that something greater, or worse, is at work here. White Face, submitted by Jojo. This took place during a summer, maybe five or so years ago. There was a party at a close friend and neighbor's house, and all the neighborhood kids decided to play Manhunt. In the first game, I was one of the seekers, so after time was up for the hiders, I ran to a close friend's home. Some backstory here is important. At the time, she had recently moved into that house. Before she moved in, there was an elderly couple who both died there. Back to the story. It was a cold, windy night. I wasn't scared. I had played Manhunt many times, and I knew where I was. There wasn't anything to be afraid of, anyway. At least, 
not until I saw it. The wind, despite being in the wrong direction for it, it opened the shed door in my friend's backyard, and I saw a completely pale white face. I was scared out of my mind, and honestly, my heart is racing just writing this now. It took a while for me to get over this experience. I was terrified to go by the shed and stopped playing the game at that point. I'm pretty sure now, or at least I hope, that it was the spirit of the elderly man who died in the house. And as a side story, my friend told me that once she woke up during the night, there was a rocking chair in the side of her room that was... that was rocking by itself. She could clearly see that no one was there, that no one was sitting in it. I've never known my friend to lie about something like that. Of course, though, you don't have to believe me. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. But this experience, like I said, scared me for the longest time. I don't think I've completely gotten over it. And whenever I get near that damn shed, I feel more uneasy than I ever have. Target Ghost Story Submitted by Scantron I have always preferred shopping at Target. Walmart is such a huge chain, and everyone goes there. No matter what I do, it seems like a fight just to get some bread or a gallon of milk. There are people everywhere, and the aisles are so thin, at least at my local Walmart they are. Now, this took place in northwest Georgia, in a town I had grown up in. Now fifty, I remember a time when all we had was a very tiny Walmart that was nothing like the massive chain it is today. Eventually, the town got bigger, as small towns usually do, and sadly, I miss the days where you could know everyone in the town and greet them by name as you pass by. Nowadays, no one greets anyone anymore. Anyway, I've shopped at Walmart for years before I decided to try Target. I was just so tired of the rude customers and employees at Walmart, as well as the terrible layout of the store. I used to enjoy shopping. Now, every time I made a grocery list, I got anxious, ready to come home before I even left, if that makes any sense. Well, this story took place about a year ago. I was at Target to pick up quite a bit of stuff, off of an extra-long grocery list, as I had been putting it off for a while. Now, that night, the store was pretty empty, which was weird. It's odd to see any place like Target so... empty. It was probably 8 o'clock at night. Definitely a weird time to go grocery shopping, I know. But I've always been a bit of a night owl. As I was leaving the tissue aisle, I heard something fall... Instinctively, I walked backward to bring the aisle back into view. For a moment, I didn't see anything out of place. But then, I saw that a package of toilet paper had fallen from its place off the shelf. I assumed that I had skimmed it as I had walked past, or that someone in a different aisle had moved something, causing the package to fall. So, ignoring it, I continued on my list. The next item I needed was Windex, which was just adjacent to the tissue aisle. But the moment I entered the aisle, about five different bottles of spray cleaner fell from their places on the shelf. When they hit the ground, a couple of them busted and sprayed chemicals across the floor. This startled me, to be honest. But at that point, 
I still assumed it was just an accident caused by terrible placement or someone in a different aisle behind this one. Before I started to push my cart again, I swear to God, one of the busted bottles that was motionless on the floor slid to me like someone had kicked it as hard as they could toward me. But no one else was in the aisle. I had been looking in that direction when the broken bottle just took off. That did it. I was finally starting to get spooked. Apparently not spooked enough to just go home, though. No, I found myself trying to find more people to be around so I could calm down. Rather than just forgetting the grocery list and driving home, I just kept on shopping. I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe I just wanted to get the damn shopping done at last. Or maybe I was still so sure that nothing weird was really happening. I tried to have at least one other person in the aisle with me for each remaining item on the list. Of course, most of the people that were actually at the store that night were in the food aisles. And by most of the people, I mean literally the three other folks that were shopping there that night. So, I got to the frozen food section, where the freezer lights go on and off depending on the motion in front of them. At the end of the rather long aisle, there was a man standing still on the right. He didn't seem to be going anywhere, so I started scouting out the Cool Whip. But when I stepped forward, the lights in the freezers didn't come on. I didn't really notice it until I was halfway through where the whipped toppings were held. In fact, none of the freezer lights had come on, save for the light where the man was standing. This didn't really creep me out. I mean, maybe there was just something up with the bulbs. I didn't really give it another thought. Not until I noticed the very first set of lights on both sides started flickering in unison. What the hell are the odds that both lights on both sides would start flickering at the same time? It was then that I decided it was time to invade someone else's personal space. I walked ahead quickly until I was standing with my basket right behind the bald man. The man didn't move nor budge in any noticeable way. Sir, I almost whispered. I didn't really mean to say it, but I was very scared at that moment, and I needed to hear someone else's voice. Still, he didn't so much as flinch. He didn't turn. He didn't respond. He didn't do anything. Come to think of it, the lights to the freezer next to him shouldn't have stayed on. The whole situation was beyond weird. I pulled my basket back and decided to come up around him. I looked behind me first to see those two freezer lights still flickering somehow simultaneously. When I was next to him, I still couldn't see his face. He was slightly turned toward the freezer, casting the side of his face in shadow. Keeping my eye on his face, I walked forward until I could finally see him completely. I was both bewildered and terrified. I could see his lips moving constantly as if he was chanting or muttering something over and over as quickly as he could. And he was smiling, but he wasn't blinking. In fact, he still wasn't moving any other part of his body, save for his lips. But no sound came from them. I had no idea what he may have been saying. Instead of being a curious idiot and trying to get his attention again, I simply left my basket where it was, despite the items inside, and walked toward the checkouts. I was done. I had no earthly idea what the hell was going on in that store, but I didn't want to be a part of it anymore. It was time to go. As I approached the checkouts, 
I noticed that there was no one around and all the lights were out to the checkout lane lights. You know, the little numbers that light up to tell you which lanes are open. Apparently, none of them were open and there were no employees around to ask if I needed anything or to check me out. This only made me walk more quickly toward the exit. Now, at that point, I wasn't walking. I had begun running. I ran toward the exit. I stepped over the rubber mat at the door, waiting for the thing to open automatically, just as it always did. Nothing happened. I walked closer and finally tried to pry the damn thing open myself. But it didn't budge. I could feel tears falling from my face. I actually felt like my life was being threatened. If I didn't get out of that store, I knew something terrible would have happened. And when all the lights in the place went off, I screamed. Through teary eyes, I could see the parking lot as I beat on the door. Even though there were dozens of cars parked out there, I could not see a single person. No movement either. Where had everyone gone? When I walked in maybe a half hour ago, the plaza was pretty lively. People walking into nearby stores, folks holding conversations just outside. Yet now, everyone was gone. I had never been so scared in my life. I beat the door, trying with all my might to break the glass. I wanted to grab something to throw at it, but I was too horrified to turn around. I was completely alone, but I felt as if I was being watched. Just as I thought I was never getting out of that target, the doors slid open and I fell onto the ground in front of me. I looked back, all the lights were on, customers were being checked out, and employees were tending to their shifts. It was as if nothing had happened. Within half a second, everything had returned to normal. Even the folks in the parking lot were as they should be. I got up, and without any care toward the people around me, I ran back to my car. It may be one of the most unbelievable-sounding stories you've ever heard, but it happened to me. I wish that it hadn't. I honestly wish I didn't have a story to share with you, but here I am, telling all of you about a very terrifying experience. If I had any advice for you, it would be this. Do what needs to be done during the day. There's no place safer at night than your own home and around other people. Because at night, the most terrifying things happen and entities that could care less about whether we lived or died are the most active. Be safe out there, everyone. Salvation Submitted by Miss Mulko Every family has its ghost story, and this is mine. I warn you, there will be no apparitions, shadow people, eight-foot demons, nothing like that. Just something a bit, well, something weird. I was about nine at the time, and I wasn't aware of the story until much later. I phoned my dad a couple of days ago just to check I hadn't imagined the whole event, but he confirmed that all of this actually happened. My father's side of the family has no interest in paranormal or flights of fancy, which makes me more inclined to believe the following. Anyway, 
Make of it what you will. The memory I have of the incident is of one night. My granny lived close to our school, so my brother and I could go to her house every lunchtime. One day, we arrived to find a Catholic priest in our kitchen. Now Scotland in the 70s was quite sectarian. Our family were Church of Scotland, so to find a Catholic priest in the kitchen was odd. I couldn't have been more surprised to find the Pope himself and the entire College of Cardinals sitting, taking tea with my grandma, who, lovely woman that she was, was not keen on Catholics. In the mid-70s, my uncle, actually my great-uncle, Wooly, died. He was a nice man, a staunch member of the Salvation Army who played in the band. He used to buy me a copy of the Beano every week. Like I said, he was a nice man. You hear these stories of couples who are married a long, long time, where one dies and the other follows soon after. Well, this was the case with Wally's wife, Maggie, who died less than a month after him. They had no children, so the job of clearing their council house fell to the sons of Wally's sister, my grandmother. One evening after work, my uncle William went to Wally and Maggie's house, which was just along the street from my grandmother. Not long after, he returned to call the next brother in age, my uncle David, and asked him to come over. Together, they went back to Wally and Maggie's house, only to return very soon after. The rest of the story is as told to me by my father. William had gone to the house initially to go through any paperwork left by his aunt and uncle. He found a box of documents and sat on the bed to go through them. That night he said he had an uncomfortable feeling. That feeling of being watched from the doorway. But he told himself not to be so daft and that he was only imagining things. Not long after he began sifting through old letters and documents, he heard a noise behind him. He turned to find that the drawer of the dressing table was open. He thought this odd, as he was sure that it hadn't been opened before. He put it down to the fact that maybe vibration from a passing vehicle had caused the drawer to open. But the drawer had always been stiff, and only slid back on the drawer runners with some difficulty. Also, the house was on a quiet, residential street. There were cars, of course, but no heavy traffic, not enough to cause any real vibration. He returned the box of papers only to hear another noise behind him. He turned to find a different drawer of the dressing table open. He didn't have any time to ponder this before... Bang! The door to the bathroom slammed shut with force. It was a summer's evening with no wind to speak of. Plus, the bathroom window was shut. William was a pragmatist, a member of the Masonic Lodge, and the least person likely to be given to flights of paranormal fancy. However, he decided enough was enough and he went back to his mother's to phone his brother, David. They returned to the house that night to pick up where William had left off. The first thing they noticed was that the bathroom door, which had slammed shut, was now open. When they entered the room, the box of papers that William had been going through was scattered over the floor. William wrote this off thinking that perhaps he had tipped the box over in his haste to leave. It didn't, however, explain the faint rattling noise that they could now hear. Again, William suggested it may have been the vibration from a passing car causing the windows to rattle. However, 
It wasn't the windows, nor even the drawers, that appeared to have a mind of their own. The noise was traced to an old-fashioned washing bowl and jug on a separate dresser. The kind that used to be given as a wedding present in the days when outside toilets were the norm and people bathed in tin tubs in front of the fire. I suppose this all sounds positively prehistoric to this generation, but Wally and Maggie had married in the early 1930s, so this wash bowl and jug had probably been very useful in those early days. The jug was indeed vibrating, only slightly, but enough to cause them to pause for thought. What the hell was going on here? Bang! Again, the noise of a door being slammed with force. Not the bathroom door this time, but the living room door. Downstairs. Enough was enough. William grabbed the box of papers, and the pair hightailed it out of there. My dad himself isn't sure whose idea the priest was, but it was unlikely to have been that of William. What would his fellow masons have thought of that? Most likely it was my grandmother. What the priest did, I have no idea. My dad says he thinks the priest may have gone to have a word with it, whatever it was. Wally and Maggie were buried in their Salvation Army uniforms, and to this day, I wonder what they would have thought of a son of the true church splashing holy water around their home. I'm sure they were reasonably agitated. drive through Ghost Submitted by Maynard 2015 I worked for my local McDonald's for about four months. Yeah, it didn't last long. I like to believe that there's something better for me out there than fast food. Plus, this experience didn't exactly make me want to stay. It's definitely the creepiest thing that's ever happened to me. Trying to kiss ass and move up quickly, I let the managers know that I would cover any shift they needed me to, and I could fill in for any call-ins. I needed the money. The more hours, the better. Well, one night at around 8 p.m., just before my bedtime, yay, I got a call from work. Someone from the night shift had called in. Very irritated and tired, I hesitantly agreed to cover the shift and got up to get ready. I had never worked overnight before, not at that McDonald's and not at any of my previous jobs. I was kind of excited. I mean, it was night. There would be at least half as many customers coming through, and the manager on duty was John, the most laid-back guy that worked there. Easy money. When I arrived around 8.30, they were slammed. I clocked in and chiseled away at the mountain of customers in the lobby. By 10.30, the sudden wave had died down and the building was mostly empty. The previous shift leader left me with nothing but a good luck, even though this was my first night shift. So it was just me and John. He was busy checking drawers or something, while I manned the drive through the front counter, and the grill. Needless to say, I was nervous. If too many people pulled in, I was fucked. My drive through time would be horrid. So, instead of remaining relaxed like I thought I would, I ended up so focused that my heart was pounding the whole night. Anyway, at our restaurant, I'm not sure if it's the same for every Mickey D's, our headsets will chime whenever someone pulls into the drive-thru. It's a kind of pixelated bell sound that gets very annoying, very fast. This is exactly what I heard all of a sudden. 
So, naturally, I greeted the customer. Hi, welcome to McDonald's. How can I help you today? I said with so much fake enthusiasm it even made me sick. I never quite understood if it was a magnet or a scale that told us if a car drove through, but the microphone was on, ready to pick up the customer's voice as they ordered. Yet, all I heard was white noise. Nobody picked up. Nobody spoke. I didn't even hear the rumble of an engine idling. It was as if no one was there. Now, this wasn't too weird. We've had this happen a few times since I started. The thing can be triggered just by someone driving around the building or a person walking by. The thing needed fixed, that's for sure. I didn't want to know every time someone took out the trash in the back as they rolled the bins over the drive through After about three minutes of static, the mic clicked off, meaning whatever was on the wait was gone. Finally, no more annoying noise in my ear, but less than a minute later, it clicked on again that bell chiming loudly in my ear. I rolled my eyes and repeated my greeting. Hi, welcome to McDonald's. How can I help you? And again, there was no reply. The mic stayed on longer this time, though. I swear at one point I could hear heavy breathing. I started to get freaked out. At that moment, I was pretty sure someone was outside trying to mess with me. It turned off after about ten minutes of me listening to nothing. I was tempted to take off the headset and make John wear it, but my be-all-I-can-be attitude got the better of me. I tried to distract myself, and I started scrubbing the counters, which had already been wiped down, and checking to see if anything in the lobby needed restocked. But everything was fine. I needed to keep myself busy. There was just something so sinister about the darkness of the night just beyond those large lobby windows. When the bell chimed once again... I nearly fainted. I should have probably turned the volume down on that headset. Before I could say my shallow, meaningless greeting, I heard the loudest, blood-curdling scream. The moment I heard this screech, I threw off my headset and backed away from it. What the hell was that? Shakily, I put my headset back on. I was pissed and terrified at the same time. Without another thought... I ran angrily out of the store and headed toward the drive-thru. I stood right next to the menu, and there was no one there. But still, somehow, the static from my headset never disappeared. The mic was still going. Whatever made the drive-thru go off was still there. And then I heard it. I see you. A slowly whispering voice coming from the mic. I ran back inside as fast as I possibly could. I had been standing right next to the mic. No one was there. No one could have possibly made that sound. There was no one that could have spoken those words to me. I ran back into the light and warmth of the building and into the safety behind the counter. I found John. He was at the manager's desk, head in his hand, while typing in dates on the upcoming schedule. What the hell was that? I said louder than I meant to be. He jumped in his chair and turned around. Christ, man, you scared the hell out of me. What are you trying to pull? I asked. What are you talking about? I haven't done anything. He turned to continue typing on his computer. I kind of felt bad. I just interrogated my superior. The only fun superior that worked there. Shit. 
I walked up front and stood behind the counter, just waiting. It was about 1.30 when I looked at the clock again. We were about halfway through the graveyard shift. The night was going by so slow. I ended up just standing in the drive through nook. That way I could just play on my phone away from the view of the nearest camera. We had had only two customers in the last hour, so it was even more slow than I thought it would be. So I just stood there, leaning against the counter by the POS computer, playing Clash of Clans and checking Facebook every so often. But suddenly, I felt cold air on my forearm. It gave me chills. I looked over toward the drive through window, and it was ever so slightly open. I didn't mind. I paid it no attention and continued to invade random online folks. Slam! I dropped my phone, breaking the screen when it hit the ground. I nearly had a heart attack. My eyes darted all over, searching for the origin of that noise. The drive through window had been thrown wide open, but I had been standing right next to it. I hadn't heard anybody run off or walk up, and I definitely hadn't seen anybody. So who the fuck just opened the drive through window? I was done. I took my headset off and stood in the kitchen pretending to work, waiting for this terrible shift to end. Whether or not someone drove through the drive through I didn't care anymore. I wasn't coming back after that night. The rest of the night, or morning, I guess, passed by without any further incidents. Never in my life have I encountered anything so strange and terrifying. Standing out there, right next to the microphone that cold night, been hearing those words whispered to me. I will never forget it, and I will do anything in my power to avoid having to work fast food, and I am no longer a fan of horror movies. I know I'm in denial, but I pray every day that what I heard that night was nothing but a prankster, not a ghost or a demon that felt like taunting me. But if that's really what it was, I'm scared that there's nothing stopping it from happening again. Waiting at Target Submitted by Parker Peter My girlfriend used to work at the Target down the road. At the time, we lived in Houston, Texas. I was a bit in between jobs for a while, and she was a full-timer at Target. She had a closing shift, and since we only had one car, I had to pick her up every night. I didn't mind, though. I actually loved just sitting in the dark, listening to the radio. Sometimes I'd even fall asleep until she was knocking on the window to get me to unlock the doors. I never truthfully thought of it as creepy, and I'm not saying that to sound tough. Night was too quiet and calm to be scary to me. It was the best time to relax or focus, whether you needed a break or get a lot of work done. So, I was waiting as usual. It was about 15 till 10, and Target closed at 10, I believe, so there were still a few folks going in and out. Ashley always complained about people coming in at the last minute when they were trying to close up. I don't blame her. I bet that would be pretty annoying, especially if you had to stay longer. At one point, an older lady stopped at the side of my car. She looked in at me, then jumped. I almost laughed. She must have realized someone was inside the car. Maybe I should have kept it running. 
I don't know why she jumped, though. I mean, what else would you expect to find in a car? Anyway, the 15 minutes passed by slowly. For a while there, I started to feel watched. Again, this is unusual for me. I don't just get all freaked out for no reason. Eventually, as I had been laying back in my seat, I found myself pulling the seat back up and felt somewhat safer. Suddenly, I couldn't wait for Ashley to come out so we could get the hell out of there. I decided to actually start the car and turn up both the heat and the radio. Finally, at about 10.15ish, I saw Ashley come out of the building. She walked about halfway toward the car, then stopped. I was confused. I could see her frown, and then she covered her mouth with both hands. Then, frantically, she began waving for me to come over. Already pretty paranoid, I got out of the car and jogged over. The hell, what's up, are you okay? I asked, obviously worried. Oh my god, oh my god, was all she managed to say for a few seconds. Ashley, what happened? I tried to get her to answer me. There, there was someone in the back seat. Jesus Christ, I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand on end. What did she just say? What did she mean? There was no one else in the car with me. She had to have been talking about something else, someone else's car. She said it again. There was someone behind you. When I came out, I swear to God, I saw someone behind you. I turned and stared at the car. It was still running, the neon light from the radio reflecting off of the leather seats. There was no one in the car. Why, why are you messing with me? I was starting to get annoyed. I'm not joking, she insisted. I was still staring at the car, both hoping that I would and wouldn't see someone in the back seat. We must have waited there for another twenty minutes. I was too creeped out to get back in that stupid car. But Ashley was serious. If she was really joking, she'd be obvious about it, and she would have eventually stopped. But there we were, waiting in a parking lot because of something that couldn't have been a prank. Plus, that old woman from before who stopped and jumped when she looked in at me through the window. She must have seen something. I have no idea what happened that night. I'm not sure if it was some sort of spirit behind me, or if there really was a person in there riding with me that had somehow sneaked in and out of the car without me noticing. Either way, the possibilities are rather terrifying. I don't feel safe when I come to pick her up anymore. And I always keep the interior lights on when I'm waiting. I wonder who, or what, those two saw that night. But I really wish that that woman would have had the kindness to tap on the glass and at least let me know someone was there with me. The Phantom Pokestop Submitted by Shifty Five This experience isn't so much terrifying as it is just creepy. Then again, it may not be anything but a glitch. But still, I'd like to share it because it piqued my curiosity. I am a Pokemon Go addict. I'm talking all day, every day. 
If the phone isn't in front of my face, it's in my pocket, and I'm waiting for something. Now, I live out in the hills of Missouri. There's no flat land as far as the eye can see, but somehow, thanks to Verizon, I guess, I get reception everywhere. My Pokemon Go habit is easily enabled. Unfortunately, there aren't many Pokestops around. I mean, why would there be when there are trees around for miles? Whenever I went into town, I'd be sure to hit as many Pokestops as possible before I had to go home. Really, though, I think it's just crazy that they programmed any Pokestops all the way out here. Just amazing. Anyway, this happened during the weekend. I was at home, using an incense to lure my Pokemon prey to me because I felt too lazy to get up and walk. Ever since I started playing, there has not been a single Pokestop appear on the game while I was at home. So, when I saw a Pokestop appear about 200 yards away, I was surprised, to say the least. I remember wondering, what the hell? When did that get there and what landmark would that even be? There was nothing but woods. Curiosity took hold, and I'm sure you can guess what I did next. I threw on my shoes and I stepped out. I made my way toward the strange Pokestop. I of course tapped its 3D icon on the screen to see what picture it would show. That would at least explain which landmark it might be. But when the picture loaded, not like it was too bright to see, just that the picture was just filled with the color white. That was odd. If there was no picture, or if it hadn't even loaded correctly, wouldn't it have been black or something, I think? The whole situation was getting weirder by the second. I was in the middle of the woods now, slowly getting closer to the alleged Pokestop. I kept clicking the dang thing, but the picture never changed. Just a white circle and no text. Eventually, my little ring around the avatar hit it when I was close enough and the Pokestop activated. So I spun it. I might as well have grabbed the items, right? All that came out were two empty bubbles and an egg. Yes, empty bubbles. I popped them right away and two of the same texts appeared saying I had received something called blank white. The egg, of course, was just an egg. One of the ten kilometer ones, lucky enough. I just thought at the time that I hoped it wasn't an Eevee. I stayed there for a moment. I'm not sure why. I guess I was just expecting the Pokestop to finally load. I mean, I had full reception out there, yet the blank picture on the Pokestop didn't change. After a few minutes, I decided to walk back. I was starting to get creeped out, and I swear I started hearing footsteps somewhere in the woods around me. A couple of days passed, and I had walked at least 30 kilometers but not even a tenth of a kilometer had registered on that weird egg. In fact, I had two other eggs that were pretty new in my inventory that had hatched twice over at least, but this egg from the creepy Pokestop never even budged. I'm still waiting for the kilometers to register. If anything happens, I will update, but to end on a weirder note, that strange Pokestop is gone now, and I haven't seen it since. I really hope it was just a glitch. Walmart Shadow Submitted by Vindicated If you want to meet the weirdest and or trashiest people out there, just go to your local Walmart on a weekday. Actually, just Google Walmart and you can see some pretty hilarious or cringeworthy images of some of the oddities of the place. I'm not trying to be mean, but it's crazy how often people will refuse to look normal or approachable when they head out. 
I've walked behind a person here and there who obviously hadn't showered in a while, and I've even seen a kid pee in the floor when their mom was facing the other way. It didn't have to be so bad. I'm rambling, though. It wasn't a person I saw at Walmart that horrified me. It couldn't have been a person. I saw something else that scared the hell out of me. Being at Walmart was nothing more than a coincidence. Here is my story. This took place in Washington, not the capital. I've grown up here, and eventually I hope to head out and discover the states or see the world. For now, though, I was an outdoorsman stuck in my hometown. So, when I did go to Walmart, it was because it was convenient, close, and had outdoor equipment at the very back. That's usually where I headed. Now, this story takes place on a Wednesday morning. Most people were at work, or should have been at work, and I had taken a few vacation days. I was planning on going hiking or mountain biking, but I needed to pick up a new backpack. As mine was worn beyond the ages, I also needed a bigger water bottle. So, that morning, I stopped by and immediately smiled at the unusual lack of people there. The less folks, the better. Lines would be shorter, the place would be more quiet. I can't be the only one who thinks you can't go to Walmart without hearing a child scream or cry in the distance. Hopefully, I'd have none of that today, I thought. I made my way toward the back. Soon, the sudden presence of camo-colored products told me that I was near the outdoor aisles. I window-shopped, so to speak, for a moment, eyeballing things I'd seen on TV that were a little bit out of my price range. It didn't hurt to look, though, right? Well, apparently, I was wrong. There were no clerks in the area. Nobody manning the nearby desk. This wasn't weird. It was always difficult to find somebody to help you at this place. But something startled me. Someone walked by just outside of my view. I saw what looked like a person walk from one aisle to another, only appearing for maybe a third of a second. I hadn't seen someone so close since I entered the store, and I guess I wasn't ready for it. I almost jumped, even. Remembering that I had a question about them carrying a certain brand, I decided to walk toward the end of that aisle to see if it was actually a clerk I had seen. When I reached the spot where I saw movement, I looked in the direction they would have gone. There was no one there. Of course, they may have been in a different aisle, so I walked forward and scanned the aisles. Still, no one. Now this all took place within the course of about five or ten seconds. I saw movement. I had a question. I followed. And in that short amount of time, this person had disappeared, and I had been walking quickly to try to find this possible clerk, so they shouldn't have somehow outrun me. Immediately, I realized I must have actually seen nobody. Like how your eyes often see movement, then you turn and nothing's there. I shook my head and returned to my original aisle, looking at Yeti water bottles and portable coolers. Not a minute later, bam, the shadow walks across the aisle in the same direction, toward the same direction as well. At the corner of my eye, there was no mistaking it this time. Someone had walked past. Again, I headed toward their direction, walking even quicker this time and attempted to find the person. But it was as if they had disappeared off of the face of the earth. I checked each aisle twice. Nobody was there. Something freaky was going on. Maybe I needed glasses. Maybe I had gotten too hot before I came inside. I have no idea, but there was definitely not another person around. I decided to go to the opposite end of the outdoor section. This Walmart was really big, 
and the whole section could easily have been its own little store. I just wanted to put some distance between that specific aisle and me. I found the fishing equipment and walked straight down. At the end, there was a wall with more products, mostly lures, tackle boxes, and the like. About four steps in, I see it again. This time it was different. It wasn't some flash out of the corner of my eye, or some blur. A figure, a large, solid black mass of a figure, stepped right in front of me. For a second, this blackness headed from the end of the aisle on the left, and stepped over to the other end of the aisle on the right. It disappeared behind the shelves. I had jumped back, surprised and shocked. What the hell was that? I'm 26, and in my whole life I had never experienced or seen anything odd, definitely nothing supernatural, but I had just seen something that didn't make any sense. The figure was about six or seven feet tall, several inches over me. It looked like it had the build of a man, with broader shoulders and a thicker neck. It wasn't blurry like a faint shadow, it was solid black. What was freaky, though, even though it was solidly black, the middle seemed to be transparent. I honestly have never seen anything like it. Some sort of shadow person walking to and from aisles at Walmart, of all places. I was ready to go. I didn't need a new backpack that bad. After gathering myself, I turned tail and walked toward the exit. I shouldn't have let myself, but I kept peeking down every aisle as I walked. I was just scared and nervous. What if this thing was following me? I couldn't help myself. I had to scan every aisle that passed by. Tools, home repair, paint. I stared down to the end of each row. I even passed a few shoppers who were minding their own business. And then... Then I saw it. The shadow was there. I can't remember which aisle it was. It all happened so fast that I didn't even care to look. The same shadow... The same walk, this time coming toward me. I fell on my side as I tried to turn and run. I guess my body didn't keep up fast enough, and I tripped over myself. I had been staring at it, coming ever closer. But when I fell, I blinked. When I opened my eyes, the shadow was once again gone. I picked myself up and ran out of the store. People leered at me for running past them. I have no idea what exactly I saw that day. After doing a bit more reading online, it sounds exactly like a shadow person or shadow man, except I wasn't sleeping or dreaming. I was wide awake, in public, early in the morning, no later than 10 a.m. I know I saw something, and it terrifies me still. I don't think anything has ever really shook me up as much as that experience. I find myself leery to go down the hallways at my apartment. They aren't big, but at night, when there are a few too many shadows, I get a little more cautious before I walk anywhere. But why at Walmart of all places? I just hope this thing doesn't show itself again, especially at home. Haunted Apartment Submitted by Rasha My story is about the strangest apartment I've ever lived in, which ironically looked more normal than the first one I stayed in after leaving home. I have always struggled with depressive disorder, but I also categorize myself as sensitive. 
I have had dreams and premonitions that actually come true. And I am also frequently able to feel when a relative or a very close friend is messaging me, even before their text arrives. I think this is why I've had so many experiences in this apartment, although the older I've gotten, the more experiences I'm having in general. In 2015, I lived in a one-bedroom apartment with a roommate. We liked the place pretty well, especially after carpeting was installed. The building on the outside is kept in good condition. The rooms were comfortable, with white walls and college student furniture, and we were excited to have a balcony. I even found the living room area, my room, pretty in the sunset. However, the overhang from the balcony made the entire living room somewhat dark during the majority of the day, and the longer we were in the apartment, the stronger I got this sense of something being dark, heavy, and not quite right. I attributed a lot of it to the layout of the place, because I try to look for physical or physiological reasons, before I assume it's the supernatural or paranormal. I am religious, and I believe that there are more forms of reality than the one we can see but I also believe that a great number of supposedly paranormal phenomena are actually just misunderstandings of our environment. This is especially true for me, because I know that air pressure, lighting, space, and cleanliness can all impact my mood. However, even after taking all those factors into account, I have no good explanation for what happened to me in this apartment. I've been prone to nightmares my whole life, they stopped almost completely for a brief time in my early 20s, and then they began again, although less frequently, around 23. So I was not surprised to have a few nightmares while I slept in the living room of that apartment. But sometimes my dreams mean something, and they are definitely, although indescribably, different from my other ones. In one such dream, which will probably always stick in my mind now, I was being chased by an evil spirit that wanted to kill me. It was trying to choke me, in my sleep, though, I began to recite the Adhan, the Islamic call to prayer, and that thing stopped right in front of me. It got in my face, went all around me, and leered at me. But while I recited the Adhan, it couldn't get its hands on me. It couldn't touch me at all. Only later, when I was dreaming more normally, could it jump down on me and choke me. But then I would wake up. But this was mild compared to the other incidents. My roommate and I were both night owls and one of us would frequently fall asleep on the sofa in the living room. At one time, the bedroom was unusable, so we'd both sleep in the main room. Whichever of us was up later would just take the floor. That happened to be me a lot, and I was fine with it, since I've spent a fair amount of time sleeping on floors, and find it as good as anything else when I'm ready to shut down. So, for a few weeks, whenever I got sleepy, I'd just lie down close to the near right corner of the living room, with my head almost touching the base of the sofa, and I would nod off. I was also near my cat dishes because my rescue kitty does not want to eat alone and insists that I be near her and pet her whenever she goes for a munch. I thought sleeping there would help her relax and move more towards eating on her own. But after a night or so of doing this, I had one of the most terrifying experiences I've ever been through. I've never had sleep paralysis in my life, ever. I've had nightmares, I've talked in my sleep, and I sometimes struggle with insomnia. I've had sort of waking dreams where I feel awake, but I know that I'm still in a dream. But a couple of days later, after I started sleeping in this particular spot near the wall, I thought I woke up, and I was paralyzed. I tried my utmost to move, and when I couldn't, I began to panic. I tried to call out to my roommate, and I couldn't make the slightest noise. Claustrophobia set in, and I tried to scream. Still, I couldn't. I also had an almost overwhelming feeling of something coming close to me. 
It was behind me, leaning or crouching over me, but not where I could see it. I just knew that it was going to try to touch me and torment me while I was helpless. I did the only thing I could think to do. I refused to look or to continue to try to struggle. Like when I was dreaming, I said the call to prayer in my head and I began to mentally recite the beginning of the Kiron. Close as it was, that thing could not touch me. It was almost as if I could feel it sitting there, but stopping or even retreating a little. Very soon after that, I woke up, or I broke free. Whatever it is you do after sleep paralysis, I am still not sure whether I was awake or asleep. The first time it happened, I just wrote it off as a new life experience. I knew my roommate sometimes suffered sleep paralysis, and even though I never had before, I thought it was probably just one of those things that everyone has at some point. And maybe it was a consequence of sleeping on the floor, but it happened to me more and more frequently. I began to be afraid of going to sleep because I was so upset by the feeling of not being able to move and especially of something or some things crowding behind me and trying to touch me. The scariest part of the situation was that one night, when I was particularly anxious, I fell asleep across the room. I was still on the floor, but I was away from that corner, and the sleep paralysis stopped. Relieved, I passed a few more comfortable nights. Then when I went back to my old spot, I again experienced the awful feeling of being paralyzed, unable to make a noise no matter how I strained to scream. The last time this happened to me, I saw my roommate get up to go to the bathroom. It was completely normal, she didn't say anything. But she kind of stumbled across the room the way she always does when she wakes up in the night, went into the bathroom and came back to roll over on the sofa just to go back to sleep. I was trying so hard to scream for help, and I wondered if she'd hear anything. So the next day I asked her, Did you hear me when you went to the bathroom last night? I couldn't move and I was trying to scream. I was wondering if you heard me moaning or anything like that. She looked at me kind of oddly and replied, I didn't get up last night. And that's when I stopped sleeping in that corner for good, and as soon as I stopped, the sleep paralysis stopped too. I think I had maybe one more incident of it perhaps a week after that when I slept in another room, but it seemed much more normal and short and I didn't have the same sense of being crowded by something at my back. After that, those types of experiences stopped completely. I can't think of any reason why I would have sleep paralysis so often in only one part of the room. From what I know, sleep disorders can happen at any time or place. If I was having a cluster of incidents, changing the location of my sleeping shouldn't have mattered but I have not had an instance of it since moving completely away from that spot on the floor, and it did not even start up again when I slept on the sofa or on the floor in another part of the room. That's why I'm positive that there was some presence, a hostile one, in that apartment. It may or may not have been focused on that particular spot, but I was definitely more vulnerable there. Toward the end of my stay in that apartment, I got married and very quickly became pregnant. I began to see unusual things even before I knew I was pregnant. Now, I've hallucinated from tiredness before, and they're very mundane hallucinations. I'll hear joggers run by and glance back, but no one is around me. On one occasion, I was sitting in the library and thought I saw a remarkably geeky student walking by. I glanced up to see what books he had only to find that he wasn't actually there. But just like with dreams, I've seen some things that make an impression, things that I know mean something. But my tired hallucinations are empty, like a flicker on a screen or a plastic cutout. They're more funny than anything else, and I'm grateful that if I do tend to see things, they're simply everyday and non-special things. But when I got pregnant, twice I saw faceless people dressed in white who watched me or walked behind me. 
It was extremely unnerving the first time, but eventually these people made me feel safe. In fact, I was actually comforted by them and had a strong impression of friendship. The second time I saw someone like that, I was walking with my sister by a reflective surface and I caught sight of a girl in white walking behind me. Like the other times, I couldn't see her face, but I assumed it was because the glass was skewed. Yet I thought she was looking at me and I was almost sure she was a friend or someone I'd met before. I turned around to say hi and there was no one there but me and my sister. I explained why I had turned around and she got really creeped out, but we both calmed down quickly because the feeling I got from that image was such a happy one. Unfortunately, a while later in that apartment, I saw another presence, again in the earlier part of my pregnancy, and this one was not so nice. I was reading on the sofa one day, and you know how you sometimes see something over the top of your book, so you glance up. Well, I noticed a shadow and a movement while I was reading, just over the edge of the pages. I saw a tall, dark figure with horns and red eyes with a leering grin walking toward me. Unlike the other two presences that I saw outside my home, this one was moving at me in a really purposeful way, and when I glanced up, it vanished. This unsettled me because I was already so sure that something negative was in my apartment. I also got a bad impression off of it, not a terrible one, and while I was unnerved, I was able to easily shrug it off and go back to my reading but it was very different from my imaginary joggers and students. This was more engaged, defined, and personal. I'd never experienced any of my other hallucinations or visions coming so directly toward me. They go by me, or they stay away, or simply watch. But this one, although it wasn't strong or powerful or anything like that, it was much more aggressive. Since then, I've moved out of the one bedroom and into a studio with my husband. I have not hallucinated since. I have not had sleep paralysis either. It could of course have to do with the light. We have more windows now and direct access to sunlight. That definitely makes a difference. But from time to time, my husband and I will remark to each other how much more comfortable we are in this studio. How it's brighter and happier and more comfortable than the one bedroom. We're in each other's hair more often and I'm still struggling with my lifelong depression, which has gotten even worse as my pregnancy progresses. I still have dreams and strong impressions of things, but it's nothing like that of the old place, and I feel so much lighter and freer. I can only conclude that there was a hostile presence in my old place, which most people would probably call a haunting. I do not believe for a second that this presence was of a person. I think it's possible that the former residents left behind a bad energy, which attracted a negative entity. My husband, who also stayed there once we got married, says it's all because of the layout, the lighting, and our imagination. But I know I'm right, because even he's been unnerved by the accuracy of my premonitions and impressions. So no matter what he says, I'm going with my gut instinct on this one. There is no other explanation for why things changed when I moved, or why I would only have sleep paralysis in that one corner of the room. I do have a vivid imagination, and I know what that's like. But I also know when something is off and when it's real enough to make a big impression. So that is my story of living in an apartment with an evil entity. Again, I like to keep an open mind both ways and look for other explanations. But this is one of those cases where I remind myself and everyone that there is more to reality than we know. I believe I got a taste of a different facet of reality in that place. And I'm extremely glad to be out of it now. World War II Makeshift Hospital Submitted by That Comic Guy
This story is a collection of events that have happened to my whole family, not just me. As a bit of pretext, I lived in Pembroke Dock, Wales, and my town was hit hard during the Blitz due to having three refineries, a strong military presence with a staging ground in the base nearby, and a fort and barracks up the street from where I lived. It's not really important, but it's fun to tell people. We lived just above the old dockyard that built the Millennium Falcon for the Star Wars movies, but back to the story. My house and its neighboring one are conjoined through tunnels in the basements. These tunnels were built during the war and led all the way up to the fort and barracks I just mentioned. Our houses were large. They had five floors each, but seven if you count both landings. The two homes were turned into makeshift hospitals just after the first German air raid on our town in 1940. The damage was widespread. Many streets were completely leveled, but luckily casualties were low. Those who were injured or worse were brought to my house, then hospital, so the medics could get to work. I don't know for sure how many people were injured or died in the house at this time, but here in the present day, we know of at least three ghosts in the house and one in the neighboring house. Jump forward to a few years ago when we lived in the house between the years of 2003 and 2008. My family, me, my two older sisters, my cousin, and my parents all lived in the house. My parents slept on the fourth floor with my eldest sister next to them, while me, my adult cousin, and my middle sister stayed on the top floor. Oddly enough, the floors we had picked were unfortunately the ones with the most activity, that and the ground floor near the basement. One day, when most everyone else was gone, save for me, my eldest sister on the fourth floor and my mother on the fifth, I was on coming down the stairs to the ground floor to grab my Game Boy. As I came down the stairs, I turned to face the hallway to the kitchen, which has the basement door right next to it, and that's where I saw something. I don't know what it is to this day, but I remember it perfectly. It was a shadow of a person about ten feet in front of me, but glancing at the floor, my shadow was being cast beside me, so I know it wasn't mine. After checking, I looked from the floor up to it slowly. I noticed the thing was not cast in a line, where you can tell who was making the shadow. Nothing was casting it. It was just an independent shadow. It was so black I could see around it, but not through it. I could make out some features, though. It was tall, much taller than me at the time. Around six feet, I had to guess and something told me it was a male, and I called it a he. He seemed to be wearing glasses. He had the outline as if he was wearing some kind of long coat, as the bottom of it lay where his knees should have been, and he was holding something that he was looking at. It looked square, so maybe it was a clipboard or something I don't know of. I froze, just staring at the thing for what seemed like ages. But in reality, it couldn't have been more than a few moments. It was perfectly still, just looking at the thing in its hands. But then it spoke. Its voice was so quiet, it was hard to make out, but I remember it said, Are you looking for somebody? While lifting its gaze from its board straight to me, I did what any 12-year-old would do at the time. I bolted as if my life was in danger. I thought, sorry, Game Boy, but I'm not going down there with Doc Ghosty. Now I'll describe to you the events that would happen later, mainly on the floor with my parents and elder sister. Our lounge was in between their two bedrooms and we had a quiet party with our family over from Ireland. There must have been about 12 of us in the lounge just relaxing, chatting, and listening to music. My eldest sister moved to the table in the center of the room to grab a CD to replace the one that had just ended. But as she went to reach for it, it literally bounced off the table by itself and vanished. And I mean vanished. We were looking at it, and then it was gone. We all watched it happen, and I swear that thing never reached the ground. It was just gone, nothing hitting the floor. Needless to say, everyone was spooked, and later that night, after everyone went to bed, my mother was suddenly woke up by the dogs barking at around 3 a.m. 
The dang dogs seemed to be barking at nothing on the top floor. Now, this was odd by itself, as both dogs, a German Shepherd and a King Charles, were always locked in the pantry room near the back door at night, and they never came upstairs. Now they had somehow both gotten out, came up six flights of stairs, and were going nuts at something. My mother went to check it out, as my father was still fast asleep. She had only made it up the first step of the stairs when she told me later that she felt a hand on her shoulder, but not threateningly, more of a don't go up there, it's not safe. So she instantly froze and looked up. She didn't see what the dogs were going nuts at, but she could feel it. She said it felt like darkness, and there was no other name for it, so she screamed at it to get the hell away from her family. And a few seconds later, the feeling was gone. The dogs came back to her acting protectively, along with the hand she still felt on her shoulder. After calming down, she felt the hand too vanish. Then she raced upstairs to check on all of us, but we were all sleeping soundly. Once on the top floor where myself, my sister, and my cousin slept, we had a creepy closet in between mine and my sister's room, and no one, not even my hardest stone dad, felt comfortable in there, just like the basement. But in my sister's room, we had these little doors that led into secret spaces where only small people could fit through the doors. She had one and so did my cousin, as they were the same side of the house. Sadly, I didn't, as my side joined with the creepy house that was the other half of the hospital. My sister was, and still is, very quiet, and wouldn't start making things up for attention as she hated being in the limelight, so to speak. So when she started talking to this little girl, she said everyone just put it down to an imaginary friend. That's when things started to get weird. My sister would somehow know what everyone in the house was doing and where they were, all because she said this Emily would tell her. Emily did not make herself known to the others until one day, my sister had a friend around. My mother was with them in her room, showing them both how to do makeup. The girls sat on the bed with my mother standing over them, all three of them looking in the mirror. Behind my mother was this pink foam chair that could unfold into a bed. My sister kept looking at it through the mirror until my mother asked her to pay attention. It was then that my sister said to my mother that Emily asked her to move over as she couldn't see past. My mother instantly turned around and there was nothing in the room besides a small childlike handprint pressed into the foam chair where my sister was looking. We've moved out of that place since then, but Emily was always tagged along with my sister over the years, no matter where we'd go, and she's seen Emily a few times now. She says she's about 9 or 10, the normal size height for a child, has long blonde hair, and wears what sounds like old Victorian dolls type of dress, and always has a calming smile. One last thing I would like to mention was that the house next door that was conjoined with ours supposedly had a man living alone in it, but in all of our years living next to him, we never saw the guy. But someone in my class went with her family to view the house, and she said it was all boarded up inside with only the kitchen, one bedroom and bathroom unboarded. She told me the bathroom had no mirror, and the guy said the other rooms he'd never go in, but wouldn't say why. But just as they were leaving with the man outside seeing them off, they all heard what sounded like a kid's party in one of the boarded-up upper floors. The man himself went pale in the face and quickly shut the door. Needless to say, my friends never took the house, and just like them, I've never been back to either house since. One day I hope war stops and all the crazy senseless killing ends. But until then, battlefields will be littered with emotion and bodies, and what remains are sad, angry spirits. Spirits that don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. And sometimes they take their frustration out on the living. Good night.
Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. And don't forget to send us your scary stories today at darknessprevails.org slash submit. Thanks. The Lantern, The Boatman, and The Laughing Children Submitted by Joshua LaRue I am a 32-year-old man, yet it is broad daylight as I write this, because what I'm about to share haunts me to this day, to the point that merely thinking about it, or in this case typing this memory, is enough to send chills down my body and make me feel like a terrified child. I have only told this story to a handful of people over the last 10 years because of how terrifying an experience it was for me, but I feel like it can be therapeutic to get it off my chest and share it with others. Maybe others have had a similar experience. To tell this story and to give it justice, I have to tell you of an experience that happened three years before the terrifying encounter this post is about. Buckle up, this will be a long one, but definitely not boring. My name is Joshua but I will change the names to protect the privacy of the others involved in this story. I live in Arkansas, and in the late 2003, near the middle of fall, right before it started getting really cold, my wife and I were invited to camp with a friend of mine and his girlfriend at Sugarloaf Lake in Oklahoma. I say camp, but the actual plan was to meet at Sugarloaf, and my friend, we'll call him Bob, wanted to take me and my wife around to some paranormal places in the Sugarloaf area. So we got there around 7 at night. I was driving a white Ford 1996 F-150, and Bob was in his 1980-something white celebrity. It was really a piece of crap vehicle. Anywho, it was late dusk, becoming dark, and we all climbed into Bob's car. He took us around the area, first to an old abandoned house, but other than some raccoons rustling around, it was a two-hour waste of time. Then he took us to a graveyard that was supposed to be haunted. Again, it was a bust. Then we went to an old church that was run down and supposed to be haunted as well. Once again, yawn. At this point, it was getting close to midnight, and my wife and I were getting pretty bored. I spoke up to Bob saying, man, this really hasn't been that freaky of a night. And that's when Bob smiled, saying he was saving the best for last. He handed me a Polaroid picture of a hillside covered in trees in daylight. I asked him what it was, and he asked me if I saw a house or any type of light pole or anything in that picture. To which I replied, no. He took the picture back and said that's because there isn't, and there are no power lines either. About this time, he turned down an old dirt road and passed a small house. Then after that, it was two miles down an old dirt road with woods on one side and a barbed wire fence on the other, with about two acres of field connecting to a wooded hillside. Nothing else to light the night except the full moon above us and the clear, starry sky. After what seemed like forever, he stopped the car and told us all to get out. We did as he asked. He walked us to the side of the car where the fence, field, and wooded hillside were. He looked at his cell phone, which his phone and mine had no signal. This was 2003 and this area had no cell towers, but he looked at his phone and said it was 11.57 and told us all to watch the middle of the hillside. Even at complete dark, I could tell this was the same field and hillside from the picture. Two minutes go by and nothing has changed. Then at exactly midnight, a small light flickers on in the middle of the hillside. A chill runs down my spine as the four of us watch this small light which to me looked like an old kerosene lantern beginning to move, sway back and forth. We sat down and watched in complete silence for what seemed like several minutes when I finally spoke up and asked what the story behind this was. Bob replied that he did not know. 
but locals had told him that at midnight, every night, this lantern will light up and sway back and forth through the woods until the sun comes up, and that's when it disappears. Nobody knew what the story was. At the time, I was a 19-year-old guy who did not think anything could scare me or hurt me. So since we were there with no houses around, I yelled out to it, We see you. Wow, you're so scary with your little lantern. Then Bob shushed me, but it was too late. My wife suddenly screamed and pointed. I was laughing, but my laughing stopped as I looked to the hillside to see the lantern swaying back and forth. It was now moving down the hillside to the field at an unhuman pace. Gliding, it began to speed across the field towards our car. We didn't stick around to see what it was, because within seconds we were in the car and flying down the dirt road back to the lake. We looked back to see the lantern moving slowly back up the hillside to where it first appeared. The ride back was quiet. That was until Bob spoke up, saying, Crap, I forgot to put gas in earlier, and the only store around is closed. If we decided to go back out anywhere, it'd be best to take my truck until he could get gas in the morning. At that point, he only had about an eighth of a tank. I said okay, and a few minutes later, we arrived at Sugarloaf Lake. We had parked by the lake docks, and we dropped my tailgate and sat and talked about what had just happened. Bob's girlfriend was pregnant at the time and told him she was hungry. He told her we had brought some snacks, but she said she needed actual food. But since the local store was closed, he asked if we could take my truck to the next town to get some food, because his car would not have enough gas to get us to that town. I obliged. We shut our cooler, put the tailgate up, and loaded into my truck. I turned the key, and nothing happened. My truck was dead. Deader than dead. No ding, no lights, no clicking noise, nothing. For all intents and purposes, you would think the alternator was out. This was very strange. And after the night we had, it made us all feel uneasy. We stepped out of the truck and popped the hood. We pulled Bob's car around to the front and attempted to jump my truck with his car. And this is where it gets even weirder. As soon as we connect the jumper cables to his battery and to mine, his girlfriend starts his car, and within a second, the cables in between the connectors start to smoke. And in a flash of fire, they burn up within seconds. The cables were nothing more than bits of melted rubber and ash, with only the end clamps still on the batteries. Bob runs and turns off his car, and we take the clamps off the batteries. We look at each other in this eerie moonlight. Now, there are not any light poles around either, and we both get a bad feeling at the exact same time, as we suddenly realize we had been hearing a distant noise in the lake that was getting louder. It sounded like a boat motor. Now, like I said, this was the time of year it was starting to get cold, especially at night. We were bundled up, as it was, and we were standing still on land at night, but somebody was out on a boat after midnight, when it had to be chilly as all get out with the wind hitting them and from the sound of this motor, it was getting pretty fast. But we didn't see anything. That is, until the boat was about 50 yards away, and a very bright spotlight comes on, momentarily blinding us all. Bob and I tell the women to get to his car and lock the doors. I reach into the bed of my truck, and I give Bob a tire tool. I grabbed one for myself. I did work at a tire shop and had all kinds of tools of the trade in my truck. We are standing in front of the vehicles in the middle, the hoods were up on both as the boat pulls up to the dock, and two heavily bearded men in their 30s and 40s step out of the boat and walk up. It's hard to give an accurate description as their spotlight was still pointed at us, and it covered the men in an eerie shadow whilst blinding Bob and I. They looked at us and at our vehicles, and one glances in the direction of the car at the women, then back at us. He lets out a small chuckle. 
You fellers got some sort of car trouble? One asks as he lights up a cigarette. Yeah, but it's it's nothing we can't handle, I stammer. The guy with the cigarette sniffs the air and looks down between Bob and I's feet and sees the still-smoking ashes of what was the jumper cables. Looks like it was more than your pussy jumper cables can handle. Y'all sure you don't need some help? We got some tools on the boat that I think can fix you guys' problem right up. Then the other man who had chuckled in the beginning says, Mm-hmm, fix them right up. I am speechless at this moment, probably with my mouth hanging open. I can't remember as the two men walk back to their boat, and we hear what sounds like chains rattling around as we try to make out what they're doing, but the spotlight is so blinding we can't see. But those chain noises were enough. Bob looked at me, and without saying a word, we both jumped in his car and drove the hell out of there. For the next few hours, we drove to a populated area of houses, which really wasn't much in this rural area. We were pretty much stuck in this place since we had very little fuel. Yet we all sat in the car mostly quiet, looking around in all directions in near panic, thinking at any time those men could find us. Bob would turn his lights on every now and then, thinking he had seen some movement in the dark. After a while, the women fell asleep, and Bob and I talked about how freaking weird this whole ordeal was, and he laughs at me, saying, I told you it would be a scary night. I just didn't know it would be this sort of scary. At this point, the paranormal lantern wasn't even the main thing freaking me out, but the men never showed, and eventually the morning was on its way, and it was about 20 minutes until sunrise, and Bob asked if I wanted to go see the lantern, to see if it really disappears at sunrise. I asked if he was sure he had enough gas, and he said, yeah, the local store opens up in about an hour, so we should be fine. And I tell him in that case, yeah, we wake up the women and drive back to the hillside. We get there with about four minutes left until sunrise. We still see the lantern swaying in the woods. Bob looks over to me, and I smile. I do the motion for zipping my lips, and we all watch in wonder, as right at sunrise, the lantern slowly fades away to nothing. After this, we get back in the car and drive back to the lake, feeling a bit safer now. When we get there, there's no sign of the boat, and the hood of my truck is still up. Doors are all locked. On a whim, I tell Bob I'm going to try to start the truck one more time before he drives us somewhere. And I'll be damned, the truck started right up with no hesitation or problem. We all went our separate ways, happy to have seen the sunrise and counting our blessings and swearing to leave the paranormal investigating in this area to others and swearing that we never wanted to come back to this area and run into those boat people again. However, all things fade with time, even fear and common sense. Three years later, Bob, who I haven't seen in almost two years at that point, calls me up and says he has a proposition for me. He goes on to tell me he has a group of himself and three other Wiccans who go out and do seances in haunted places. He asked me if I would be willing to film their sessions in the haunted places. It was for their records, and they would pay me well for the service. I am no Wiccan, but I have always loved the paranormal, even after what I went through at Sugarloaf. I still had an itch to scratch, when it came to getting scared and dealing with the paranormal and the unknown. So I told him yes, I would love to film for them, but I had no interest in joining in. I was just okay with watching and just getting to be out there looking into the paranormal once more. So of course, my next question was when and where are we going to do this first? When he answered me, I got a terrible gut feeling and I wished so much that I had trusted my gut and told him I had changed my mind. You remember that lantern light out near Sugarloaf? He asked me as if there was any way I could ever forget. Y yeah, I stammered. Why do you ask? I told my group the story and they want to do the ritual there to see if we can contact that spirit and find out why it's there and what it wants, Bob replied. 
I don't know, man, I said. Oh, come on, Josh. Trust me. You'll be safe. I'm going to pay you 250 bucks just to sit there and film it, he retorted. At the time, I was about to become a father, and money was tight because diapers, formula, and the like cost a fortune. Not to mention it was mine and my new wife's first kid, so she had been going crazy spending money on not just the necessities, but also buying only the top-of-the-line baby products, like toys, a crib, a playpen, baby monitors, a stroller, car seat, a combination pack, and play-changing table, a diaper genie, and designer baby clothes. So because my wife was putting us into the poorhouse, I had to weigh out my fear of the area he wanted to go back to, with how important it was I make all the extra money I could. So against my better judgment, I accepted the offer. And a week later, I was in the same beat-down celebrity Bob was driving three years before. This time with Bob, two guys and a girl that were complete strangers to me. They each dressed very gothic and had these pentagram necklaces or something of the sort. It was 11.50 when we got there and the four of them sat in a tight circle. I was behind them to the right about five feet from the barbed fence that was in front of the field that led to the hillside, and my back was to the hillside and bushes at the fence line. I was filming my friend's circle as they all started chanting something. Again, as I have been typing this entire post, I have been getting knots in my stomach knowing that I was coming to this part of the story. This part haunts my dreams and even my waking hours to this day. I'm going to do my best for you to describe how the following events unfolded. Though I know mere words cannot do justice to the pure terror that ensued or how horribly horrific the events sounded and were. So when reading or listening to this, turn your imagination all the way up and believe me when I say, up to this point in my life, I was interested in the paranormal. It was a fun hobby to go out ghost hunting or getting myself spooked or whatever. But after this night, I never looked at the paranormal as fun or interesting anymore. I show it respect and stay as far away from it as possible, and as much as I dread it, I will now finish telling this story. As his group is chanting, Bob lights up this huge candle in the middle of them and opens some sort of book. It's not like a scary antique spellbook or anything, it looks like a newer hardcover. Anyway, he starts reciting words from it, then he looks at his phone and tells his group to be quiet and to look at the hill. I turn the camera and at midnight on the dot, the lantern appears. One member of Bob's group blurts out, Cool. I roll my eyes since the way these people were dressed and the way they carried themselves, the word cool did not seem to fit in their vocabulary. Then Bob says to his group to join hands as they attempt to communicate with this spirit. I hesitantly turn my back to the light, and I continue to film the group as they began again chanting, and Bob reads from the book. Then they start asking questions in hope that the spirit will respond. About this time, a wind picks up, and Bob's candle goes out. He tells everyone to hold on and tells me, Cut the camera for a minute. I oblige and stop recording, and I watch as Bob tries his lighter, and two lighters from the group, but none of the lighters are working. I'm sitting down watching the group when I start hearing a rustling behind me. I jump up, leaving the camera on the ground, and I spun around. Bob and his group are preoccupied with the candle and lighter problem and as I spin around, I am blinded by the brightest light I've ever seen. What I believe was the lantern up close and personal. But as quick as it appears, the light is gone, and the lantern is nowhere to be seen. If it really was the lantern that blinded me, it had moved from the hillside across the field and right behind me with me not realizing it. Within the span of maybe 30 seconds, the thing was fast. I looked around for the lantern on the hillside, and there was nothing there. It's only 12.15 or so and the light has always stayed until sunrise. 
At this moment, the wind quits blowing, and I hear Bob's lighter finally flick, and I see it light up, and I mutter to the group, Um, guys, did you just see that? They all turn around and ask what I'm talking about, but before I can answer them, we are all stopped dead in our tracks by a distant laughter. It's coming from seemingly nowhere and everywhere around us, but distant at the same time, like far off. This is no ordinary laughter. This laughter sounds like the laughter of hundreds, maybe even thousands of children. It haunts me this very moment. As I type this, I'm looking around the room I'm in. Whenever I think or talk about this experience, I can vividly remember that terrifying sound and hear it in my head. And I can't help but think about how, if you add the word S at the beginning of laughter, it spells slaughter. The best way I can describe this laughter is for you to imagine listening to a large group of kids singing, row, row, row your boat. You know how one kid will start and seconds later another will join in, starting at the beginning of the song and so on and so forth. Well, this sounded like I said hundreds or thousands of children laughing, as if one would start laughing and seconds later another would. And that pattern went on in an endless loop. I'm not saying the laughter sounded like the song, Row, Row, Row Your Boat. I'm saying they laughed in unison and around, just like kids do when singing that song. It kept going and going, and the laughter was only getting louder and closer. There was sinister laughing, goofy laughing, giggling all around us, coming in all directions. I was so scared that I was shaking. I couldn't run. I was spinning around and around, looking off into the distance. This couldn't be real. This sort of thing does not happen in real life. What the hell was happening? Then I scream at Bob and the group that we need to get the hell out of there. But they are already running for the car, leaving their Wiccan book and candle behind. Without hesitation, I run after them, and I jump in the car just as the laughter is becoming deafening. We haul out of there and drive about a mile up the road, and we pull over as Bob is in no condition now to drive. We are all just freaking out. We all get out, pacing around the car, asking each other if we really just heard what we just heard. I tell Bob that I'm sorry I, I left his camera behind. He says he doesn't care and that he's not going back for it. At this point, I got my hands on my knees, panting, trying to catch my breath, as I have never been in my life so terrified. That's when all of our chatter stops, as we once again hear the laughter off in the distance, very quietly at first, but slowly and surely getting closer and louder, until once again it becomes deafening. We jump back in the car and speed away. We drive about six miles, and for the first three miles we can still hear the laughter in the distance, with our windows down a little. We all start to calm down by mile four, when the laughter can no longer be heard, but we have no intention of pulling over again and Bob's friend is in the passenger seat with his phone, desperately waiting for a signal to pop up. And at about mile six, Bob's friend says, Hey, I got full bars, and he hands the phone to Bob. Bob calls a friend of his, who is into the occult, and well-versed and educated in it. As we are driving, he is describing what happened. Bob later told me his friend told him she believed it was the children of Hecate or something like that. I have no idea what Hecate has to do with it, but it sounded more like a guess to me. Anyways, as Bob is on the phone speeding out of the area, me and the two other people in the back seat all get a chill at the same time, and they told me later that just like me, the hair on the back of their neck stood up, as a loud snapping noise comes from the front end of the car, and Bob's celebrity stops dead in its tracks, and it won't go forward anymore. He tries everything, but the car is just not moving. We later discovered that a tie rod had snapped, 
Anyway, the friend Bob was talking to on the phone only lived about 20 minutes away, and they said that they were on their way. As we sat in the car, nobody spoke, and after about three minutes, we saw a pair of headlights coming down the road towards us. We knew it was too soon to be Bob's friend, but me and Bob thought maybe we could get a ride from a local, so we all unloaded out of the car and stood in front of it, waiting on the vehicle to hopefully stop. The vehicle does not stop, but as it comes into view, it is a beat-up old pickup truck, and it slows down. In the truck, there are two men in their 30s or 40s with huge beards. They stare at us and speed up after passing by. I look at Bob, and before I can speak a word, he says what I'm already thinking. Those were the guys from the boat. Before I can say anything back, we see headlights coming from the direction the truck that passed by just went. We went still and quiet as the same guys in the same truck passed by slowly again, staring at us on the side of the road. Bob called his friend back, and he told her to drive like hell and get here now. He hung up, and four or five minutes go by and we see headlights coming. Relieved, we all get our stuff ready, thinking it's finally Bob's friend. Then his phone rings. It's her, the lady who was coming to get us, telling Bob she took a wrong turn and is going to be about 10 or 15 more minutes before she gets there. Bob hangs up the phone and watches in terror as I do, as the same truck slowly passes by again. This time, there's only one of the boatmen in the truck. Now, the driver slows to a crawl, and he says, Looks like you fellers could use some help, and then speeds up and drives off. This cemented the fact to Bob and I that we were definitely dealing with the same boat guys. But where the hell did the other one go? Why wasn't he in the passenger seat again? And to make matters worse at this point, something we had almost completely forgotten about due to the boatmen, was immediately reminded to us as we began to hear the laughter again, off in the distance. It was all around us like before, and over the next few minutes it got closer and closer. I'm almost pissing myself as the sound is getting deafening, and we have nowhere to run this time. Then from behind our car, off in the distance, we see two sets of headlights come on and two vehicles coming towards us. Slowly, side by side, taking up the entire width of the backcountry dirt road, coming our way. Laughter now seems to be coming from the woods on both sides of the road, and it sounds like it's zeroing in on us, as if hundreds or thousands of children are within reaching distance. There's no wind, no sound, other than the crunch of the tires on the rocky dirt road of the two vehicles slowly driving towards us. With our last shred of hope fading away into the laughter of the children and the headlights of the two vehicles surely being driven by the boatmen, we are given a reprieve as at this time coming from the other direction, we see another set of headlights coming fast. We hold our breath. The laughter, the boatmen, what could be next? How will we get out of this? And that is when the vehicle that was coming fast pulls up. It's Bob's friend. She unlocks the doors on her car and rolls her windows down and starts to tell us to get in when something happens. The two sets of headlights ahead, coming from the other direction, turn off, and Bob's friend says, Oh my God, you weren't kidding about the laughing kids. She screams at us to get in, and we do. We begin to tell her about the boat guys, and she turns the car around, and no sooner than she starts to drive away, the other two sets of headlights come on again, this time with their brights on, and they are about a car length behind the car we are all crammed in. I yell to her to go, go, go. I tell her she has to go faster, she has to floor it. And for about the next mile, the vehicles stay on us. Then they turn off onto a side road. And for the next two miles after that, we can all hear the laughter still way off in the distance with our windows down. Then three more miles, the laughter was finally gone. To this day, 
I have no explanation to what happened, what the laughing children were, why the laughing followed us, if the boatmen were connected to all of this somehow, or if they were merely a coincidence that happened to terrify us at the same time as the paranormal stuff. And if that is the case, why did they not react to the laughing children sound? Is the lantern connected to the laughing children, or did Bob and his group mistakenly call forth the laughing children through their ritual? Like I said, this happened years ago, but I still feel just as terrified now when I tell people about it, or even think about it. I have had constant chills and goosebumps as I write this. If there are any typos or grammar issues, it's probably because I'm shaking. I hope someone who hears this has had a similar experience and can share their story as well. In a way, I believe that would help me deal with the trauma this experience still causes me. To all of you who think the paranormal is just a fun hobby to get your thrills on with, I beg of you, I warn you, that we are not prepared for what is really out there. You can think nothing will scare you or harm you, but you are dealing with unknown things. You have no idea how powerful or mundane the paranormal can be. If you use the paranormal as a thrill-seeking hobby, just use caution and always have your vehicle checked out beforehand. And watch out for seemingly sociopathic hillbillies and laughing children. I hope everyone hearing this sleeps well tonight, because I know after telling this story, I won't be having any sleep for the next few days. Pine View Woods Ghost Submitted by Jade Blood Rain This happened in 2010. I was 10 years old. I was with some friends on a Friday night. Let's call them Cynthia and Megan. Cynthia was 11 and Megan was 10, like me. We all lived on the same street on a little road called Pine View Drive in Kingston Springs, Tennessee. Our houses were all situated in a sort of triangle, all on the edge of a slope that descended into the huge forest behind our houses. At the time, Cynthia had two dogs in her house and Megan and I had no pets. This will be important later. This happened on a Friday at the end of October. We met up at Cynthia's house to have a sleepover. It must have been around 3 in the afternoon. We arrived early to have as much time together as possible. So we were at Cynthia's house, and around an hour later, the subject of the woods behind our house came up. I don't remember the conversation exactly. It was so long ago. But I do remember that we really wanted to find a ghost, because it was rumored those woods were haunted. We all agreed to go out, but first we found a flashlight for each of us. I immediately claimed the big heavy-duty flashlight, one of the big square ones that has a large battery. Obviously, I was that friend who was easily scared and looked over my shoulder whenever I was alone. Because of that, I was reluctant to go, but they convinced me to come along. By now, it was getting dark, and we brought out our flashlights. We headed down the hill into the forest and immediately felt something wrong. Very wrong. The forest had suddenly gone quiet, like all the animals and insects had suddenly fallen silent. Normally, there was a whole mess of noises like crickets and songbirds. And like I said, it was early October, so they should have still been out, making their calls and typical animal noises. But instead, it was just dead quiet. But as creepy and foreboding as the silence was, we still went into those damned woods. I guess we were just curious, as kids normally are but still, it was unsettling to say the least. We walked about 20 yards into the forest, and the trees started to get close together, making it hard to see through them, even with the flashlights. Still, I kept shining my light around, praying to God nothing would pop out at me, 
and my child's imagination was running wild with things that could kill me. So when I began to hear something that sounded like footsteps behind us, my fear turned into panic. I stopped and I grabbed Megan by the shoulder, quietly telling her and Cynthia to just stop. We stood there listening, and the sound stopped as well. I know it sounds cliché when I describe it, but I know I heard another pair of footsteps that were definitely not ours. I asked Cynthia if she had let her dogs out before we left, thinking that maybe those sounds were her dogs running around in the woods with us, but she said that they were still inside and her parents could not have let them out because they were not home from work yet. Besides, the footsteps sounded heavy like a person. It was certainly creepy, but we didn't give it much thought. We continued to walk just trying to ignore it. But the moment we took our first few steps, the sound came again. And now I knew. It was not my imagination. I had, in fact, heard footsteps. I begged Megan to let us head back to the house, but she was not as easily scared as I was. She raised her flashlight and shone the light around us, searching for the source of this sound. I looked with her, and we saw no one. She then called out to it. Hello? Is someone there? There was no answer. Megan just shook her head, and we continued to walk further into those woods. And I bet you already guessed that those footsteps started up again. I held up my flashlight instantly and looked in the direction I thought the sounds were coming from. There still was nothing there. I decided to try my best to ignore those sounds. We walked for about five minutes, I'd say, before Cynthia stopped. Her flashlight pointed at something in front of us. Her face was pale, like she had just seen a ghost. At first, I wasn't sure why she was so spooked, and then I turned to look at what her flashlight was pointing at, and I felt my whole body seize up with horror, like I was suddenly unable to move. There was a doll, sitting upright on his stump in the middle of the path, sitting like someone had deliberately put it there like someone was expecting us. I started freaking out, and had even begun to cry, when all of a sudden there was this giggle, like the sound a little kid makes when they're hiding and they make a little laugh. It was a girl's laugh, and it came from the direction where the doll was sitting. I whipped around, expecting to see someone standing there, but there was nothing. Now I was really freaked out. I, I wanted to get out of those woods and get home, at this point, there was nothing my friends could say to convince me otherwise. I started in the direction of the house, and my two friends did not protest. We all headed back in silence, not saying a single word. When we made it to about ten yards to the edge of the forest, suddenly a horrifyingly blood-curdling female scream erupts from behind us, way out in the woods like someone had just been stabbed. And that's when we all straight bolted up the hill to Cynthia's house. Her parents still weren't home from work, so we just ran inside and locked all the doors, sitting there in silence. Not one of us spoke up, and we decided not to speak of it, since it was clear no one would believe us. I moved out of there one year after the incident, and to this day, none of us talk about our weird and creepy experience in those woods. It's been six years now, and oddly, nothing has happened since. But I still have nightmares about that awful scream from the forest. And I hope, like hell, whatever that thing was did not follow me, whether it was a ghost or something else. I'll probably never know, and I don't think I want to. Ghost in the Hallway Submitted by Lizzie Liz 
I live in a small town where the school has roughly 150 kids, and that's kindergarten through 12th grade. And if that doesn't tell you how small my town is, nothing will. And of course, every small town has its own haunted house. That house happened to be mine. My mom has always claimed that our house was haunted. She claimed to see shadows, hear voices, and footsteps in the hallway. But I was always a skeptical kid. Anyway, I was about 12 at the time. I was home alone, waiting for my mom one night. She was to come home and take me to a church activity. It was seven o'clock at night, and I was sitting on my couch with my dog at my feet, most likely sleeping. I had always been afraid of ghost movies and such, but that night made my fear of the paranormal activity much worse. The whole house seemed to be alive. The floors were randomly squeaking, walls moaning, and there was a terrible wind outside. I was terrified. I tried my best to just pay attention to what was on television. But all I could hear was my scared breathing. But suddenly, all at once, the squeaking and moaning stopped. It was dead silent. But out of the silence, I could hear obvious, heavy footsteps coming from the hallway behind me. My sleeping dog instantly shot up and started barking and running around the house. Being a scared little twelve-year-old, I curled up in a ball on my couch and screamed, "Please go away!" And just like that, the footsteps stopped. Everything stopped. The squeaking, moaning, footsteps—all of it. Since then, I have never stayed home alone. My mom blamed it on my reading Goosebumps, submitted by Pompey. I don't know if this is really scary to other people, but it sure as hell scared me. Anyway, I was almost twelve when the X Files, the original series, was at the height of its popularity. So naturally, my friends and I were all into supernatural stuff. Maybe that's what started everything, or maybe it was just a timing coincidence. I still don't know, but I don't suppose it really matters. What matters is that this really happened. It started in the littlest, stupidest way. It was the morning after a sleepover at my best friend's house. I was eating breakfast with her family. It was cereal, juice, and milk. And suddenly, the milk cap went flying off of the milk jug that was sitting on the table. It didn't fly across the room or anything. It just went off with a little pop and landed on the table. We all kind of laughed about how weird that was, and my friend's mom said something about how it must have been the air in the jug equalizing pressure. And I agreed, but even at the time, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, it's not like milk is carbonated like soda. The next time something weird happened was a couple weeks after that, and again, it was something small and rather stupid. The upstairs toilet started flushing by itself. At first, I didn't even notice. I just figured it was some other family member, since I have three brothers plus my parents living with me. But then it happened when I was home alone, and I realized what was going on. Of course, my parents brushed it off. But then it started happening when we were all together. At supper during movie night, my parents decided that there was something faulty with the flushing mechanism, and after my dad unsuccessfully messed around with the workings, they finally replaced it. And that's when things got really scary. The definition of poltergeist pretty much means noisy ghost, and yes, it definitely lived up to its name. I started hearing knocks on my wall at night. 
I would have blamed one of my brothers, except the knocks came from the wall that faced the street, and my room was on the second floor, and that means I was easily 20 feet up. My parents said it was probably just the house settling, or maybe some nighttime creatures thumping against the house, which is possible except that after a couple of weeks the knocks started coming from the ceiling. Then they went to my closet, and then on the footboard of my bed. Then my doors, the one to my closet and the one to my room, started slowly opening and closing on their own. And this is where it gets kind of ridiculous. My mom easily blamed the wind. Again, this would have been possible except that it happened when none of the windows were open. So what wind? Also, I doubt the wind would have responded to my tremulous, trying-to-be-polite request that whoever's there, please, could you stop, please? For the record, it did stop for two minutes, and then it started up again, except even faster. I finally couldn't take it anymore. I hadn't been able to sleep well in weeks, and the constant fear was distracting me from my schoolwork. I broke down in tears and told my mom what I thought was going on. Not only did she not believe me, big surprise, she said that I was no longer allowed to read any more ghost stories, not even the then-popular Goosebumps series, because obviously they make my imagination run away from me. I highly doubted not reading about poltergeists would stop the actual poltergeist, but I agreed. And I was right. The knocking and the door swinging open, it, it didn't stop. Even that stupid toilet would flush all by itself every once in a while. This went on for a whole year. The grand finale was one night in the late summer before I started the seventh grade. There was the usual knocking and the door swinging. I was almost used to that by now. But then my dresser started almost vibrating, like someone or something was jiggling it back and forth. Then, with a mighty crash, it tipped forward and smashed onto the floor. My jewelry box went flying. My little glass figurine shattered into hundreds of shards. My scented candle crumbled. I screamed. The first time I can ever remember screaming in the middle of the night, even when I was a little kid. My parents and even my brothers came running to my room. I told them the dresser had just fallen over, and they accepted it, although my parents had the floor checked for warping. I had to get a new dresser since the old one was cracked from the impact, and my dad rigged up something to bolt it to the wall so that it couldn't fall over anymore. <sighs> and that was the end of it. I don't know why it started, I don't know why it stopped, and this story was probably only scary to me, but I swear to God it happened. And if it wasn't a poltergeist, I don't know what the hell it was. Poltergeist Encounter Submitted by Big Game Hunter So, a while back, my brother was trying to find work. My brother found a job offer from one of his old friends. His friend's name was Jubal, and my brother's name was Jake. So Jubal was a contractor and would work on houses so then he could turn around and sell them. Anyway, Jubal and my brother found a job on an old, creepy house. It looked okay on the outside, but what was on the inside was horrifying. So they started to work on it, and at one point Jubal went to get more tools for the job. Five minutes later, my brother heard someone talking upstairs. So then he called for Jubal, but no one answered. Ten minutes later... Finally, Jubal returned, and Jake told him about what happened. So the next day, they were going to leave the house for their lunch break, and when they left the house, it was around 80 degrees, but when they came back, the house was freezing cold. 
My brother joked with Jubal and said that they woke up the poltergeist. Then Jake came home from work one day and told me that I was going to go to work with him the next day. Since the house was close to my school, I just walked there after school. As soon as I walked in, there was just this really eerie feeling. So we were just doing some normal work, and then one of Jubal's friends, we'll call him Rusty, stopped by. All of them headed upstairs, and Jubal told me to sweep up one room that we were working on. As soon as they were upstairs, the basement went dead silent. So then all of a sudden, some boards that were leaning against the wall just fell over. I picked them up and swept up as fast as possible because I didn't want to be down there any longer. So about three days later, my brother Jake comes home from work again and told me that they were working on one of the closets upstairs and they found some weird writing on the studs behind the drywall. The writing that they found just said 666. Birthday Party Poltergeist Submitted by Mia Rose When I was around five or six years old, my family tended to host multiple birthday parties for different groups of people at different places. One of these parties, a female friends-only party in the woods near my house, had several extremely weird occurrences happen. Now I love the forest, and I constantly went on hikes and animal watch with my parents. Yet, never before this did I fear those woods until my sixth birthday party. The party was set in a pretty little clearing. There were tables and even a small bouncy house set up. My mother even got a friend to dress up as Jack Sparrow, do some pretty good impressions for the party, because at the time I was in love with the Pirates of the Caribbean. So, the other kids and myself were running about foolishly, playing freeze tag or something of the sort. I was getting creeped out, because whenever I said anything, loud crackling would come over my voice from the tree line. I thought it was my friend, and for privacy reasons, we'll call her Taylor. She liked to play pranks on me, so I went and told my mom about the crackling and who I thought it was. She just said I should keep playing until it was present time. We found that the presents had been hidden around like an Easter egg hunt, only the adults didn't do it. After all the presents had been found and opened, it was cake time. While I was just eating, I wanted to go get a drink, so I left. And when I returned, my little plastic fork was gone. So I went to go get another. And when I came back, my fork was there, so I put the other away. That was weird. I had just looked there and the fork wasn't there. Anyway, when I came back from putting the other fork away that I didn't need anymore, my original fork was gone again. Once again, I suspected Taylor was pranking me, and then I accused her of it. She denied and said my fork kept sliding off and back onto the table. That didn't make any sense. I checked my chair and sure enough, there it was. Extremely confused, I apologized to Taylor and resumed eating. Nothing else really happened the rest of the day except one thing. One of my Barbie dolls from my room, one that I didn't play with outside, ended up in the bushes. The thing is, I hadn't seen anyone go into my room that day, and I didn't see anyone in that particular area in the woods. I think these experiences were more confusing than they were terrifying. Never Sleep at a Deserted Gas Station Submitted by Jack's Bro Before I start my story, I would like to say that I am about 6 feet and 3 inches tall, and this took place during the middle of summer in 2015. I had recently landed a position in field cells, 
and I couldn't be more happy with it. The money is great, and the company I worked for even gave me a company vehicle. The only downside to the job is that my sales territory is quite expansive and could at times end up with me driving across several states, and the people I work for sometimes expect me to drive to most of my customers. I was grateful, however, since not that many people my age get these kinds of opportunities. After a couple of weeks of getting the hang of things, I had gotten a business call from a clinic in northwestern Florida that wanted me to come and provide a demonstration of our product. I told them that I'd be there by noon the next day. This drive would take me straight down the middle of Alabama on Interstate 65 and then bring me through Alabama State Route 113 down to Florida. I planned to get there by 11 p.m. the night before. Once I got past Montgomery, it was almost half past nine, so it was already dark. I have experience with driving long distances during the night, so the fact that it was night didn't really bother me. Once I saw the exit sign for Flomaton, I took the exit. I had just noticed that it was already 10 p.m., so I stopped at a gas station and bought myself an energy drink so that I would arrive at my destination on time. Once I had gotten back on the road, I realized this drive was going to bring me through the middle of nowhere. After about 25 minutes of driving past farms, fields, and small towns, I arrived at another small town, and I stopped at a McDonald's to stretch my legs. Once I got back onto the road and headed south, I noticed a sign. The sign read, Farm Machinery and Deer Crossing. Crap, another long drive through the middle of nowhere. After about ten minutes or so, I noticed that my car was running low on gas. After a couple of minutes, I was just praying that I wouldn't be stuck on a country highway in the middle of the night, because it didn't look like there was going to be a gas station anytime soon. As I was driving down the country highway, I tried to use as little gas as possible. Just when my car was about to completely run out of gas, I saw a small gas station barely a quarter mile away. I pulled up, and I noticed that this gas station was pretty run down, and there were no cars at all around it. When I started to think this place wasn't open, I found out that the fill-up tanks were. Once the car was filled up, I was looking at my phone when I heard a sudden but barely noticeable sound on top of the gas station roof. I then looked up, being really quiet to try and hear the sound again. Nothing. Everything was silent. Thinking it was probably nothing and I'm probably just tired from driving so long, I decided to just stop driving for the night and sleep in my car. I looked at my phone for a bit and then fell asleep. I was out for a good hour or so, but I woke up to the same noise again in the same place. This time, I went outside my car to investigate. That was a big mistake. I went to the road so that I could see the roof better, and when my eyes adjusted, I saw a huge, man-like figure crouching on the roof. Hey, what are you doing up there? I called out. The thing then suddenly stood up. It locked eyes with me, and then let out this huge, ear-piercing screech, which I remember clearly to this day. The next thing I remember, it jumped down and I was amazed by how tall the thing was. Based by how tall I am, this thing seemed to be over eight feet tall. It then ran inhumanly fast into the woods. I know after seeing this thing that this was no skunk ape, but something worse. 
I as well ran as fast as I could back to the car and got out of there as soon as possible. My heart was beating so fast it could have popped out of my chest at any moment. God knows what that thing could have done to me if I was still sleeping. Once I got to the nearest town, I got a hotel room and tried to calm myself down. I stayed awake all night and then drove down to where I needed to be. A couple of months after my encounter, I remember watching this TV show about mysterious creatures in America. I remember seeing this part about a mysterious creature that matched the description of what I saw that night. Honestly, I still have nightmares about what I saw. That experience has now made me scared of driving through country highways at night. And whenever I go to a gas station after it's gotten dark, I make sure there are at least one or two cars there already. Poltergeist in Albion Submitted by Bear Pig Nation This story has two sightings in it. Both I'm severely scared of. I'm now 14 and I live in a small township in Pennsylvania called Springfield. Now my family owns four acres of land and most not fenced in, a pain in the ass to push mow. But we have a lot of property about 10 acres of woods behind our fence. My family are Irish folks. We live in an urban area and just yesterday someone just died in front of my house. Now getting to the actual story, my sister goes to a school far away from mine and my mom is a nurse and my dad is in the military. So I'm often home alone. My house itself is about 130 years old and we have a dog and three cats. One day I came home from school and thought I'd take a nap after eating some Greek yogurt. So I sat on my kitchen floor with my backpack still on, eating some yogurt. I got up and realized my dogs didn't bark when I walked in the house like they normally do. So I went to go check on them to let them outside. I walked into the living room and slowly opened the door to see all of them in the same corner of the room, whimpering and scared for their lives. I was extremely confused, and honestly I was scared because nothing ever scared my dogs like that. Now these are big dogs, and could kill a person if they broke into the house, I'm sure. I decided to let it go and let them outside. I had to drag them outside because they just wouldn't move. When they got outside, they all dashed to the back corner of the property, just staring at the house. I left the room and opened the garage door to go do the laundry. Now my garage is dark and has a concrete floor. Picture it as a creepy dark room and that's pretty much it. I went to the laundry room and turned on some music, but my phone instantly died. I was pissed but confused because the last time I checked it was at 50% and that was only 5 minutes ago. I finished the laundry and I was up to the living room door, but before I could turn the knob, I heard footsteps. Not just any footsteps, it sounded like someone was stomping. I put my ear up to the door and listened. They got closer and closer to the door I was at, until it hit the door and the noise just evaporated. Scared as hell, I opened the door and ran to the other room. I looked back to see a dark, tall figure staring back at me. I'm a pretty tall dude myself, I'm six feet tall and this thing was definitely, was easily taller than me, maybe seven or eight feet tall. I freaked out and dropped the laundry and ran. That was one of the scariest experiences I've ever had. The other was when I was asleep, and I woke up around 1 in the morning. I sat up in my bed, disoriented a little from just waking up, and instantly I was pushed down to my bed. I could feel someone's hands pushing down on my chest and on my neck, 
but no one was there. Then I could see a transparent figure towering over me. I tried to breathe, but I couldn't, and for two minutes, which seemed like an eternity, I tried to scream, but I couldn't say a word. After every little bit of air that left me, I could feel my body getting more limp. The ghoul-like hands evaporated into thin air and I jumped out of bed and ran to the bathroom. I locked the door and looked in the mirror. I had two large red imprints on my throat, shaped perfectly like hands. I sat with my dogs the rest of the night, all of us in the corner waiting to die. It sounds like some cheesy horror movie, but I lived it, and by God it was the scariest thing I've ever been through. I honestly thought I was going to die. I still live in the same house, and every night something new happens. One night I had a can of fish food go flying across the room and hit me, to someone pushing me down the stairs. Thank you all for listening, and always know that wherever you are, you might not be safe, not even in your own home. The Plague House Submitted by Fight for the Fright I've always been a staunch believer in the paranormal, but even I can separate fact from fiction. Ever since my mother and I moved into our new house in a semi-ghetto neighborhood, by which I mean one block is upscale and the next varying degrees of rundown, we've gotten every pest from bugs to rodents. My mother seems to take it all in stride, leaving me to deal with the infestations on my own. Well, all was pretty manageable until the mice started showing up. I would feel my bed moving around at night, wondering if they were crawling down below me. So I would slip the covers under my feet and wrap up cocoon-like, so nothing could get to me. My anxiety began to grow as it happened every night, and we caught the little things in small white traps. It got to the point where we had no choice but to spend more of our money on what is essentially a house that didn't pass inspection. The feeling of my bed moving continued for months until one night. After having gotten down and looking under, I determined there were no signs of mice or anything there at all. There was no signs of gnawing, scratches, anything. Nothing that would indicate that the treatments weren't working. Lying down, I commanded in the name of God for whatever it was to leave me alone. And with that, the bed stopped squirming. It stopped moving. I grabbed my small head pillow and went to sleep. A few nights later, with great relief that my bed no longer shook, and with the added protection of a metal rosary over my bed, I awoke to the feeling of someone or something standing over me. Awake, unafraid but definitely startled, I looked over my shoulder to see nothing. I tried rationalizing this when I saw the pillow in my arms begin to be pressed down. Keep in mind, I was wide awake. I was not paralyzed, I was not afraid, this was real life, and there was no transition to a fully aware state of mind. I was already there. The pillow pushed down as if a hand lay on it, so it could free up my arms for something more, or because it was curious. Furious, I grabbed my pillow and yelled for the invisible force to leave. I shouted in the name of God and fiercely banished whatever it was. Like a rush of sentient wind, it swept away and out of my closed window. I laid back down and a little bewildered. I finally went back to sleep. Though I still get the occasional pests, I have never felt my bed move again and thankfully nothing else has happened. I feel a little guilty that I drove out the very thing I was always interested in, the paranormal, but some things are best left to TV or the imagination. Ghost of a Special Person 
Submitted by 2002 Archer. As I'm typing this, the events I'll be talking about happened three months ago and about a week and a half ago, respectively. As a bit of background information, I'm almost 14 years old and I'm a guy. I currently live in a house with my family, and ours is the first family or anybody to live in this house, which makes the story that much more chilling. In my family, I have a brother, my mother, my father, and our family German Shepherd, and occasionally my sister is in the house, but when these events took place, she was not in the house. The first of these very strange events happened close to the middle of June in 2016, one night around 11.10 p.m. I was in my bedroom, and in my room between my bed and the wall, there's about one inch of space. And in a clear-as-day voice, I heard a voice I recognized say my name from right behind me, almost in my ear. For me, the scariest part about this voice was the fact that it was the voice of my first-ever friend, who I met ten years ago in kindergarten, but who I also moved away from about three months later. So I didn't get to know her that well. When I heard something saying my name, I sat up instantly like a bow when the string is released. I looked around me in the darkness of my room and saw absolutely nothing. But that wasn't nearly the creepiest part. That was to come the next night. The next night, when I was in bed again, around the same time I heard the same voice from the same place say something. I've forgotten what she said but I set up like I did the night before, and I whispered a few questions. I couldn't talk very loud, because my parents were sleeping only about ten yards away in their room, and I asked, Where do you live? And what I heard next was the scariest, yet most comforting thing I'd ever heard in my life, and the response I got came from my closet, which is about six or seven yards from the foot of my bed. I heard the spirit, I heard her say in a voice that was fading away as she spoke, I live in here. Now, my mother also had an encounter of her own that told me that I was not crazy. As of writing this, it happened only about a week or two ago. My dad usually leaves for work at about 4 in the morning to beat rush hour traffic, and my mom at about 5 in the morning. She saw this silhouette standing in the 6-foot-long hallway between the master bedroom and the master bathroom. She asked it. She asked it, and I believe she thought it was my dad. What are you still doing here? It gave no physical or vocal response. Then she nearly yelled at it, and again, still no response. That's when she decided she must be seeing things, or still partially asleep, so she just went back to bed. And I remember I'd only told a few of my friends at school about my own encounters. The only reason I know about what happened to her is because she brought it up the next night at dinner. <laughs>